It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. Now tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Okay, all flight controllers, go no go for landing. Retro, go. Fido, go. Guidance, go. Control, go. Telcom, go. GNC, go. Econ, go. Surgeon, go. Capcom, we're go for landing. Eagle, Houston, you're go for landing. Over. Roger, understand. Go for landing. 3,000 feet. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Welcome to the mop-up. Let me just make sure I hit record. Yes, I did. Okay, <laughs> welcome. Welcome to the mop-up for April, April 12th, 2021. I'm David Feldman coming to you from an air shaft overlooking a parking garage somewhere in Manhattan where it's 40 degrees, wet and rainy. We have a very, very big show, as always, scheduled. But first, let us now go to our very special guest in Washington, D.C. We are now joined by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, coming to us, I believe, in Washington. It's an honor to have the Congresswoman for Bronx and Queens, New York, to reach out to our friends and patrons of Diabetic Fury with a shout out. We, we, do, we do Diabetic Fury once a month. And one of the tiers, if you want to pay extra, you get a, a shout out from a, a celebrity. And, and 
Congresswoman AOC agreed to do shout outs. So welcome, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Hi, everyone. What is up? How's it going? <laughs> Thank you for joining. Um, we'll give it a minute, David, for everyone to sign in. Um, Thank you, everybody, for hopping on. Okay, let's, let's get to it. Um, okay. What are we talking about tonight, David? Um, this week, we have been wow. just going back and forth, going crazy, everybody. Wow. But, but we got it. We got it. We passed the COVID bill, everybody. We got it. We got it. Checks are coming out. Checks are coming out. Everybody is going to get their $1,400, $2,000 check. Thank Checks you. Checks are coming out. Checks are coming out. People, people. People, oh, I love people you. who didn't even have any money before now are getting checks. Uh-huh. Now they're going to have money. Uh-huh. And, and also, also, let me tell you, we got the shout outs, everybody. <laughs> got it? You all, you all got it, everybody? You got it, David? Yes, thank you. I love you. I love you, AOC. I love you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, Very we got happy. it. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming to the David Feldman Show. Thank you, everybody. All right. This, hang on. Okay, let's get to it, David. Okay, I'm so honored. I love you, AOC. I really do. Oh, you, thank you. you. We love you. Big <laughs> hugs. Big hugs. Well, big hugs to you, too. The shout-out from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez goes to William Hayden. William Hayden. Okay, um, so we're going to get into that. Hold on a second. Um, <laughs> Actually, um, first, I wish to thank William Holden Hayden. for his William Holden for his tremendous work in Bridge Over the River Kwai. <laughs> but um, I and um, however, there there are parts of his portrayal in Sunset Boulevard that are still very troubling, and in my opinion, need addressing. Got it. Uh, okay. Uh, yes, but it's William, this isn't William Holden, it's William (laughs) Hayden, Hayden, not Holden. Okay. Um, okay. Now, now, you know, the first thing I want to say is the fact that this keeps happening over and over and over again with you and your audience, et cetera, (laughs) that needs addressing, that needs needs addressing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and I don't want to drop false equivalents here, but, um, and we're going to get into that and it's not my intent to ramble, but, um, actually, because I want to be very clear about that. And I think it's I love important. you. I love it's you. Important. I love oh, thank you. Thank you, David. I love but you. I really, really think it's important. It's important to talk about it. It's important I, to talk about I agree. it. 
agree. I agree. And I'm just so you just made me so happy, AOC. But with, you know, you did call him William Holden when his actual name is William Hayden. Perhaps, Congresswoman, you, you should get it right. OK. Oh, OK. So, OK. Yeah. You guys, you guys like my haircut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. You, you guys like my yeah, haircut. I do, oh, OK. Uh, um, is that what you're talking about? So no. let's let's not start another. Um, anyway, now before everyone gets ahead of themselves, this is <laughs> this is deeply disappointing, David. Mm. Oh. And, and 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 the sad thing is, as a result of that statement, people have already been radicalized <laughs> because. Because what you're doing is not just tone, oh. it's violence. It's what? It, it's, violence. it's violence. It's violence. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I deeply apologize, Congresswoman AOC, for my behavior. I guess I need your help. Please tell us, tell me what actions you think we can take to police violent speech on social media. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. And so earlier, just now, you were you were of course talking about this and and that this and you of you were of course talking about the this, the that, and the other and the what and the how, right? Uh-huh. And, yes. and, and and I think that that when people talk about the when and um and uh, and centering, mm-hmm. you know, people's humanities are and protecting their localities. They're what? Okay, first, let's talk about this, okay? It's not just about the what, which tend to get a lot more focus, okay? I think okay. it's actually about much more about the who than the I don't know what, when, and whatever, <laughs> okay? Okay. I'm sorry. Could you repeat whatever you just said? Okay. Um, so, and I, I, uh. I am just, and, and, and I, I just think the issue here now is, <laughs> is, is the importance to go forward and going forward to move forward. Mm-hmm. But it's much more about the how and the why, and we're all coming together than it is about the what. Of, of, of all of us being all together, going forward in a non-backwards motion, and how we can interpret that that and that what and the where and the where we talk, we take, we take the what's to interpret and move forward, to, to forward more, move forward ideation of that um, process. And that is why I no longer oppose apartheid. I'm sorry, what was that? Was that a question? So so actually, there, there are two ways of looking at this argument. First, more than anything else, more than anything else is, is the question of more, right? More, more than anything about process. We really need to make sure that we are evaluating a process where all parties are respected uh, and... Um, and where e- equal opportunity is allowed to process and grow in good faith, et cetera. If, if the what has been decided to stay, then ding, ding, ding. The, the action is, is not the how to get to that what. 
and 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 so you know i think it's a central thing that that you know we we center i agree i agree that's a central value we all need to value uh, centrally so that being said um and by the way i already have said and to sum up there are known what's, there are unknown who's. That is to say, there are who's we know and what's we don't know and unknown what's who don't know who. In other words, actually, what I am saying is what is happening here is not the same as what is happening here. What is happening here is actually happening. And now what happened before, even though they're both identical, you lost me again. Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Are you for real? Are you for real? <laughs> well, well, first of all, just gut check. Stop. You're about to get very, you're about to get a very disturbing visit from the California Highway Patrol concerning your threats of violence against my, against myself and similar thought leading alpha influencers. <laughs> Got it? Yes. Well, thank you, uh, Representative Cortez. Thank you very much. Actually, thank you for recognizing the process, which is actually, by the way, ding, ding, ding means blah, blah, blah. And um, <laughs> bye, everyone. Thank you all so much. Love you all. Big hugs. Uh, Big hugs. Happy springtime. Thank Big you, AOC. Bye, everyone. Bye. I, I, I do love you, AOC. I do. Love you. I love Bye. you. I love you. That Thank was, you uh, I believe that was Martha Previt, Previt and Jim Earl. Wow. 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 That was as perfect Dan, are you there? We have to call Jackie the joke man, Marley. Yes, but, I am. That was that was fantastic. that was as perfect as anything could be. I'm sure everybody was happy. <laughs> that was, <laughs> and Jim Earl and Martha wrote that. And Jim Earl, I've known Jim for close to forty years, and he is worth every every stab in the back every stab in my heart what what he he can do no wrong after giving after doing something like he can do whatever he wants to say on this show he has carte blanche he is he is a genius and of course martha previtt of course martha previtt that is as perfect as it can get i am in awe of martha previtt and jim earl that is just Perfect. Perfection. Wow. Stunning. Well. Thank you, David. Yeah, thank you, Congresswoman. Martha, that was, I, I'm telling you, that was, uh, it doesn't get, that was just, I, I'm sorry, that was just fantastic. And Jim Earl, I, uh, he's a pain in the ass, and that's why he's such a genius. He really is. I'm going to call Jackie. Uh, he is. He's just a genius. Uh, he just nobody thinks the way Jim Earl thinks. 
and uh, he must be listened to. Uh, he just must be. All right, let me see if Jackie is there. I need to just clear my head. That was so great. Are you there, Jackie? No. Oh, okay. We're gonna we're gonna start. <laughs> I just want to mention before we uh, turn this over to Jackie, we're doing Diabetic Fury May first with Martha Previtt, Rick Overton, Jim Earl. I I would assume AO, AOC will be there as well. What a I, I, I you know it's been a rough couple of weeks for everybody. That was a gift, Martha. That really was a gift. Thank you for that. That just that just changed the way I look at the world. I mean, I'm just so happy now. I was so miserable until you came on. From New York, from beautiful Bayville on the glorious Gold Coast of Long Island's North Shore, let's welcome our old friend, Jackie, the joke man, Martling. You'll love Jackie's autobiography, The Joke Man, Bow to Stern, available everywhere for endless jokes. Say, Alexa, play Jackie Martling. Follow Jackie on Twitter at Jackie Martling. A great joke every day at 4.20 p.m. International Marijuana Time. And for personalized videos, go to cameo.com forward slash Jackie Martling. Instant fun. Call Jackie's Dirty Joke Line. Use your finger. 516-922-WINE. And for more, for more information, go to Jokeland. Dot com. Hello, Jackie. Mommy, mommy, what's rigor mortis? <laughs> Shut up and go stand grandpa in the broom closet. <laughs> <laughs> I missed the toilet last night. So I went on the floor. <laughs> Yeah. I cleaned it up with my toothbrush. I don't brush my teeth much anymore. <laughs> the guy says to the bartender, boy, I was what a fat one last night. The bartender says, big, eh? Oh, what a porker. I rolled off her. I was still on her. <laughs> ah, come on, Jackie. Be, be nice to these people. Hey, nice. hey, what's a what's a sardine? What's a sardine? <laughs> a sardine's a little fish that smells like your finger. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> An Irish guy walks into a bar and he says to the bartender, "What are, what are you doing here?" The bartender says, "What do you mean? What are we doing here? It's a bar, you asshole. People drinking here." Oh, is that so? I'm I'm so drunk I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) So Eddie puts an inflatable doll in his bed. He comes out and he tells his roommate to go in and take a turn with his date. His roommate goes in and when he comes out, Eddie says, so how was she? He says, she's weird, man. I I bit her on the ear. She farted and flew out the window. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> a Polish guy says to his date, "You flat, you tight." She says, "Get off my back." Operator, operator, please give me three mine, three, 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 three. Excuse me, sir. I say, operator, 
Read, give me a tweet, man, a tweet, 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 tweet. I'm sorry, sir. What was that? Operator, do you know how to play dictaphone? She, she says, no, I don't. Well, you dig the phone up your ass and give me three months. Three, three, three. <laughs> <laughs> My mother told me that when I was four years old. <laughs> I swear she, to God. Your mother told your mother told it to me last night. I know she did. Now see how rude you can be. It's, it's people like you that wreck society. Hey Feldman, you know what calories are? No, what? Calories that a little bastard to get into your wardrobe at night and sew your clothes tighter. (laughs) (laughs) So the third string quarterback says to his wife, Honey, I never get in the game. Will you do me a favor? This Sunday, put on my uniform and sit on the bench so I can go fishing with my friends. And she agrees because it helps the joke. (laughs) So... (laughs) You are at the game, and halfway through the first quarter, first string quarterback twists his ankle, and they put him the second string quarterback. Uh oh! Sure enough, halfway through the second quarter, the second string quarterback gets banged up real bad, and they send her in. But needless to say, very first play, she gets smeared. She sprawled out on the ground. They run out, load her on his stretcher, and rush her into the locker room. The little trainer says, okay, up on the table, up on the table, off for the suit. I'm going to see what I can do. <laughs> they put her up on the training table, and they strip her naked. The trainer turns around, and he takes a nice, long look up and down. And one of the assistants says, what are you going to do, Tony? Well, <laughs> I think I'm going to start up here and work them on down nice and slow and maybe the testicles are going to pop it back out. (laughs) 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 Hey, how's drinking alcohol-free beer like going down on your sister? What? It tastes the same, but it's just not right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. Mathematically correct. Don't you dare not laugh at that. That is a a mathematically correct joke, Jackie. Don't you dare not laugh at that. That works. That's a joke. So a guy says to the bartender, women are impossible to please. The bartender says, so this is news? Yeah. You know, last night I gave my date an orgasm. Yeah. And she spit it out. <laughs> All right, hang on, hang on. I have to remember that to tell my kids. Hang on, hang on. Did, last night I gave... What, give me that one more time, please, just so I can remember that. The guy says to the bartender, women are impossible to please. So this is news. Yeah, well, last night I gave my date an orgasm. Yeah, and she spit it out. (laughs) (laughs) How did that joke, how how many have you done on my show? How could that joke, how did you not do that? You must have told 
Like this is our this is our hundredth phone call without repeating. Yeah, how could that joke not I have been the keep, first? I keep looking, searching, finding. Unbelievable! How could that I, joke not have been the first one you told me? Because Go ahead. I spin them around and spin them around oh and then rework them. What a great hey, what, joke! What can a goose do? A duck can't do, and a lawyer should do. <laughs> what? <laughs> Stick his bill up his ass. <laughs> uh, so a really, a really fat girl goes oh, up to a really oh, oh, hang on, shut hang up, on. Right. shut up. Okay. A really fat girl goes up to a really skinny girl at a party and says, "To look at you, you think there'd been a famine." And the skinny girl says, yeah, to look at you, you think you caused it. <laughs> All right. Mathematically correct. That is, in fact, a joke. That is a joke. Very so fun. a guy's in a bad motorcycle accident and his cock gets ripped off. <laughs> what? We're, you're breaking up. I didn't hear you. Guys in motorcycle action, his cock gets ripped off. What? Hang on. The, the internet is all screwy. <laughs> Jackie, give it to me. Give me the setup again. There's a really fat broad that's been blowing <laughs> David Friedman, and he's scared that laughing at the fat joke is going to keep her from sucking his cock. All right, so all right, all right, all right. Just, I love that setup to the joke. One more time. A guy's in a bad motorcycle accident, and his cock gets ripped off. And he goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, Harry, listen. Here's what you do. Get five of your relatives and your pals. You each give a little of their penises. And I can graft you back to normal. So the doctor does the operation. A couple months later, Harry shows up at the office. And he's all pissed off. <laughs> the doctor says, what's the matter? And Harry says, for fuck's sakes, doc. Did you have to put grandpa's hunk in the middle? <laughs> I take my wife with me everywhere I go. The bartender says, you love her that much, eh? He says, fuck no, it's just she's so ugly, I don't want to kiss her goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Ugliness and beauty is subjective. It's what's inside of you. Did you hear about the couple that was stranded on an island and had nothing to eat but clay for two weeks? No. They were shitting bricks. <laughs> wow. wow. A little old, old lady says to the butcher, I, I, I don't know what to serve my family for dinner tonight. He says, well, lady, how about some of this cow's tongue? But are you insinuating that we'd eat something that's been in a cow's mouth? I don't know, lady. I saw you in the grocery store this morning buying eggs. (laughs) 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 So the baby bear, the baby bear says, somebody's been eaten by porridge. The papa bear says, somebody's been eating my porridge. The mama bear says, 
Well, you two assholes, shut up. I haven't even made the fucking porridge yet. (laughs) 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 I have no idea why that's funny. But it's great and it's clean. It's so brilliant. It's a a joke that you could tell kids, you know, maybe not Uh, with the F word. But so the wife says, the wife says, mother gets very upset when you use the word cunt. Her husband says, yeah, I guess it's about time I learn her name. (laughs) 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 A guy says to the bartender, you're never going to guess who I bumped into on my way back from eye surgery. The bartender says, who? He says, everybody. (laughs) 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 Hey. Did you hear about Anorexics Anonymous? No. <laughs> they took a group picture and it looked like a barcode. <laughs> oh, oh, we don't. That, we can't. We, no, we, I, no. I, that is, there's nothing funny about that. No. no. Not even a little bit. Uh, well, not in public. We don't laugh no. at that in public. All right, well, pretend I just told it here. Okay. A guy's watching football when his wife walks in and says, you want to make love with me? He says, after the game. She says, you could record it, you know. He says, now you're talking. Make sure your iPhone's got a full charge. I'll come upstairs at halftime. Well, I I just laughed at now you're talking. Is there more to that? You you laugh before I get to the end. Well, now you're talking. Now you're talking is... uh... Is the punchline what what comes after you know, that? You you laugh before I get to the end. I feel like I'm fucking. <laughs> <laughs> what is the uh, what's the? Guy, shut up! A guy's watching football when his wife walks in and says, "You want to make love with me?" He says, "After the game." She says, "You could record it, you know." He says, "Well, now you're talking. Make sure your iPhone's charged up, and I'll come upstairs at half." <laughs> okay, all right. I, I just I think it ends with now you're talking, but what do I know? Hey, what's an Italian ten? <laughs> I don't want to know what. No crabs in her mustache. No, 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 no. Not that's that's very mean to the crabs. Oh, come on now. So Luke shows up for fifth grade at the country schoolhouse three hours late. Three hours late. The teacher says, Luke, where in darnation you been? Well, you see, Ma woke up Pa in the middle of the night, said she heard something out in the hen house. Well, Pa, he sleeps without nothing on, and he grabbed his shotgun and ran out nude into the yard and stood there with the gun pointed at the hen house, waiting for something to come out. That's when Pete, our old hound dog, came up behind Pa with his cold nose. And we've been cleaning chickens since three o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best one you've ever done. We, we have to wrap it up. This is the best one you've ever done. This is as good as it gets. <laughs> I got so many more. I know. We'll come back next week. Let, let's do this. So a guy says to the Times Square bartender, I fucked Pamela Anderson yesterday, and there's two things people need to know. First, holy Christ, is she sexy. And second, 
The people at Madame Tussauds are miserable cocksuckers with no sense of humor. I didn't hear the punchline. You can't laugh through the punch. What's the punchline? The people at Madame Tussauds are miserable cocksuckers with I no can't sense hear. of humor. The people at what? Madame Tussauds. Oh! <laughs> All right, I got to leave you with some funny ones. Uh, a guy says to the bartender, you know, it's tough being the parent of a 13-year-old girl. Either my teenage daughter's a whore or her braces are growing pubic hair. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. My God. My God. Let me write that one down. My God. Okay, okay. It's a, it's a nice, long, silly one you'll love. Okay, then we, have, then we have to wrap it up. You'll come back, Nicole. Morris. Morris comes home and finds his wife crying. She says, Boris, I found out from Mrs. Goldberg you're having an affair with your secretary. Why would you do that to me, Mo? Why? I've always been the good wife. I cook for you. I raise your children. I've always been by your side 35 years. What have I done to make you unhappy? What haven't I done that, that you want? He says, it's true, Sadie. You've been the best wife a man could ever hope for. You make me happy in all ways but one. Sadie, you never moan when we have sex. Morris, if I moaned when we had sex, you'd stop running around? All right, you come to the bedroom so I can show you. I can moan during sex. They go to the bedroom, they get undressed, they climb in, they start making out. And she says, now, Morris, should I moan now? No, not yet. She starts groping her boobs and groping at her lap. And she says, what about now, Morris? Should I moan now? No, Sadie, no, I'll tell you when. He climbs on top and he starts fucking her. She says, now, Morris, should I moan now? No, Sadie, no, I'll tell you when. A minute later, just because he's about to finish, he says, now, Sadie, moan now, moan. She says, oh, you wouldn't believe what a day I had. <laughs> This is the best one you've ever done. Pick up Jackie's uh, autobiography, The Joke Man, Bow to Stern. It's available everywhere. This was the best one you've ever These are, uh, I, for endless jokes, say Alexa, play Jackie Martling. Follow Jackie on Twitter at Jackie Martling, a great show every day at 4.20 p.m. International Marijuana Time. For personalized videos, go to cameo.com forward slash Jackie Martling for instant fun. Call Jackie's dirty joke line. Use your finger. Call 516-922-WINE for more. That's uh, 516-922-WINE. For more information, go to jokeland.com. Thank you, Jackie. Great job. So a guy comes out of a store and there's a cop writing a parking ticket. And she says to me, they just ran out. The guy says, come on, how about a break? She ignores and just keeps writing the ticket. He says, you're a low-life Nazi whore. She says, the car isn't exactly in the parking spot. She starts writing the second ticket. He says, you're a big, fat, ugly fucking sow. She says, you want me to put a third ticket on this car? He says, like I give a shit. My car is parked around the corner. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, I'm going to try that. That's a that's a great idea. That, a gynecologist, a gynecologist is examining a lesbian, and he says, uh, "Lady, that is the cleanest vagina I have ever seen." She says, "Well, I have a woman who comes in twice a week." <laughs> great. Thank you, Jackie. We'll talk to you next week. Great job. Thank you. Hey, what's the best way to keep a heart on? What? Don't fuck with it. <laughs> Okay. Thank you, Jackie. Great job. Really great. All right. Tell, tell your friends I hope they're not too offended. But but no, they were great jokes. Thank you. We'll talk to you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jackie the Joke Man. Amazing, isn't that? Well, let us now go to Austin, Texas, where the showrunner for the BBC's Secret Life of Boys is standing by. And... She hasn't been here for a while. Last time we talked to you, there was a, a freeze. Hell had f- frozen over, I believe. Oh, yes. Texas had a big old freeze. Everything's bigger here. Yes. Even the freeze. Laura House joins us. It's good to see you. You know, I was in such a foul mood when I started the show today. And everybody is just cheering me up for some reason. Martha Previtt. Really? Yeah, Martha Previtt and Jim Earl did something. And then Jackie had some amazing jokes. He tickles you. Jackie has... It it is amazing what he does. I cannot... I can't remember a joke that he just told three minutes ago. Right, right. (laughs) I have no no capacity for jokes. Yeah, and uh, either do I. You've seen my act. You know that. Uh, (laughs) What's amazing about Jackie is... He truly, he is probably the world's leading expert on jokes. There is no, yeah. And he is in dialogue with professors all over the world. He has cataloged every street joke that's ever been told. You cannot stump him. You cannot give him a punchline or a setup that he doesn't know. The answer to, and I, and I will occasionally call him and say, you know, I, I think I've written a street joke, and, uh, and he'll say, yeah, that's that's never been done before. If we, you know, he is a national treasure. That's crazy. Yeah, he's the keeper of the jokes. He's the keeper. He has boxes and boxes of jokes. Yeah, and, I I think of stand up as like a different thing because stand up comes from. You know, it can be different things, but a lot of stand-up comes from a personal experience or, you know, the thing about my dad or my grandma. So it's so I can remember that because it's my take on whatever that was. But this is like, is this your, um, I'm, is this intermission? No, no, I'm listening. I'm just putting some Windex <laughs> on my eyeglasses. Is that how you clean your glasses? I never thought of doing it that way. I don't know. But can you? Sense. Is that allowed? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, stand, most stand-ups, I think with stand-up, you're, like you're, suddenly... you're supposed to hide the joke. But just stand-up. like a joke that doesn't have to do with me or my experience or my take on something, I can't remember it at all. Yeah. But with stand-up, you're not supposed Which to tell when jokes. when I was in Ireland, they were really disappointed. I'm sorry, what? Hmm? Huh? When I was in Ireland, they were really disappointed. <laughs> Some guys on the set were like, tell, tell me a joke. You're a comedian. I was like, I, I genuinely... <laughs> 
don't and they were like you're the worst comedian i've ever heard of you should have said uh tell me uh, tell me a two-hour story with no punchline you're irish (laughs) they have a saying don't let a little thing like the truth get in the way of a good story that's, I loved playing Ireland because they hang on your. I, I one of my happiest times was uh, playing the uh, the comedy festival in Ireland. They hang really? on your every word. They 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 listen. Oh wow! They're the best. They really are. I, I would I would love to get Irish citizenship. Did you? Th- well, you were in Northern Ireland, right? Yeah, I was outside of Belfast. So you're talking in Dublin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, so are you going back to Great Britain? You froze. It's just one of the, let me just, uh, while, while Laura remains frozen, let me remind everybody never to get your internet through Spectrum. Never use Spectrum. Hi, Laura. (laughs) Hi. I don't know why... I, everything looks good on my end. Yeah, it's probably... Uh, Is that happening again? It, it's Spectrum. Uh, Spectrum. What? Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. Is it really? Yeah, I, I think I have it's to been, switch. It's been fine. It's actually been really good. Okay, let's continue. But I... Uh, my advice to all Americans is never get your internet through Spectrum. Never. It breaks down. I'm constantly calling Spectrum to mm. ask them. It, it, like I work for Spectrum, essentially. I, wor- I would say I spend two hours each week on the phone with Spectrum. Oh, wow. And you, you can't even get them to prorate your bill. This is interesting. Your, your is internet has to be out six hours in a row. Oh, for them to to reimburse you for those six hours. Oh, wow. That's their policy. And so I said, so do you automatically reimburse me if it's... No, you have to call us and tell us it's been... That's Spectrum. <laughs> I, I will be switching my internet provider. And I but do have... I don't know yet, but uh, anybody. No one's really. That's the problem with like. It's not like there's some good one out there that we're not trying. Yeah, we're a third world nation when it comes to the internet. So. And two other things. What, healthcare? I. Yes. Guns. Police. Sure. I just thought police indiscriminately. In what ways? <laughs> the indiscri- indiscriminate killing of. Unarmed, innocent African American males. That, that. So you have some yeah. good news, don't you? Do I? I? Can you talk about the 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 where you're coming from? That I moved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I lived in LA for decades, and um, you lived in LA a long time. We we were we were house shopping there house hunting and it was super depressing and we were looking because you're like oh $600,000 to live in this one bedroom 800 square feet <laughs> like I, I in a part of town I don't even want to live in right. 50 minutes from every anyway so um 
but I'd really wanted a house and we went and lived in my dad's house that I inherited for, we were there for winter. Um, and then I, we just decided to move to Texas where we can have a home and I guess get some kind of job. Right. Well, <laughs> it's more civil jobs now. Austin, Texas is way more civilized than Texas. Yeah, it's um, it's not the worst place. That's for sure. I would think, but I don't. I it, don't. it is getting weird though, because it's it's been like tech bombed. You know, like like kind of the unofficial mayor, I guess, is sort of Elon Musk at this point. It's kind of a weird, um, huge. Like he signals crazy stuff. Like he's like, hey, everybody moved. He's like calling it. What's he calling it? Like space base or something? Oh, he's building his own city. Isn't he trying to get his own city going? He he kind of is. I mean, that's the kind of stuff he's tweeting. I don't know how like official those those cities are, but yeah, he's. It's a very and it's a weird thing because Austin has always been very like self congratulatory. Like we're Austin, we're totally different than anywhere else. Like we're super weird, and to kind of. I don't want to say suck the dick of big tech, but <laughs> I guess I did. It's a, it's a weird, it's, it's kind of like, it's like, can you really, like you have to change the bumper sticker from like, keep Austin weird to like, I guess we love money too. Austin. Uh-huh. <laughs> I did. Yeah, you did. So, well, that's exciting living in Austin. And I do think it's, nice to have a home yeah and i think living in shelter yeah i think living in a state like texas we all want identity and we all want to belong to a tribe i I think living in a state like texas you can really carve out who you are because other people are defining you in other words if you're a a lefty (laughs) you know in texas you wake up every morning and you realize you're a lefty in New York City, you know, everybody is supposedly a lefty, but then, you know, you find out that they're actually, they don't even know how conservative they are. I I felt that in LA a little bit of, um, like, you know, when people were like, get out the vote, I was like, but I mean, we're all voting <laughs> the city, you know, like it's right. it's just going to be millions of people. We all know who we're, you know, obviously there were a lot of phone banking on behalf of other states. But then that that always seemed not wrong, but kind of a little weird to me, too, is like, well, then we have to fix Georgia. And it was like, well, I mean, we're very far away from there. And I don't know. Yeah. It's, so tell I me like I, the is, most important question. Good citizen talking. The most important mm-hmm. question is three you, times a day. Well, that's important. Even, yeah. you know, even uh, <laughs> women should three times a day. Uh, uh, that's I unusual, that though. For a, I'm sorry. What? I painted this wall yesterday. It's it's beautiful. I'm going to be I feel like when I when I first got a job writing um, on a show, I was right on a network sitcom. It was the George Lopez show. And I walked, thank you. I'm getting lots of compliments, but I walked in. Uh, one of the writers was, he had just built a bookcase or something. <laughs> and he was saying like, I built like over the weekend, I built this bookcase. And he was just like marveling. Cause he was like, it felt so good. You'll get this as a writer. That It's like, I just made something. 
Mm-hmm. There were no notes. It's not, it's not a never ending. Well, we'll see in six months. Let me run it by 12. You just, you made something and then you have it and it's a thing. Unlike anything that you do in television or writing. And I've never had a place to like DIY stuff. And now I'm just like, Oh my God, I want to insulate the shed. And I want to, you know, like I'm going to put a chimney in that thing and I'm going to, I don't I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you the Disney set. It's a whole new me. Yeah, I'm going to show you. Oh, okay. This is, I think Gary designed the the Disney Center in Los Angeles. This is what you build when you get network notes. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's like these, this is, this is the Disney Center in in um, downtown LA and I remember mm-hmm. when I lived in LA I would walk past this and I go this Robert Iger gave Gary notes on how to build yeah. and then it went through a committee and this is what you end up with when it needs to be taller but also shorter <laughs> but it also needs to have some curves but, but the curves need to go in but they also need to go out and then we also it needs to be like flat, but also several stories. It's so it's so true. Like it's just such a it's so nebulous. It's such a weird that you just you kind of feel like it never. Like working on multicam was cool because what's multicam? Sh- what is multicam? A multicam sitcom where it's done in front of an audience. So that was on Mom, and that was on the George Lopez show, and um, some kids shows I worked on, and a couple others. So at least there's an event, and the show when they have the show, it's an event, and then you know that it's over. But a lot of like you're trying to sell TV show. Well, I don't know. A lot of it is just lingering. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go anywhere. You didn't get paid for for this or that. You know. Yeah, and it's no different from any other corporate job. Working, mm. writing a, a script, working. Meaning into, there's no satisfaction in any kind of job. It, it's complete alienation from the final product. It's baked into the assembly line that what little I know about the history of the Industrial Revolution is there used to be a sh- guy who made shoes. And at the end of the day, he would look at his shoe and say, I made that. Nothing existed before and now there's a shoe and then he goes to an assembly line and all he's doing now is putting you know sewing in the tongue so -hmm. it's complete alienation from the final product no sense of wow i accomplished something it's just i go in i sew tongues now and that's what tv writing too often is it used to be you could you know, you could be Rod Serling or Patty Chayefsky. Mm. But now... Did they write the whole thing? Well, you write it, yeah. Or there'd only be like two writers mm. or three. Now, not, you know, there are exceptions. In the exceptions. UK, it's still, it's still, yeah, there are exceptions. There are exceptions. In the UK, it's, it's still like that a lot of like auteurs and, you know, they sort of write the whole thing and stuff. Yeah. But, so it's, um, so the writers yeah. it, it baked into the, the Hollywood system is to alienate the writer from the final product so they can't lay intellectual or financial claim to Mm. the script. So they will rewrite a movie and a script 
for financial reasons. You can have the best script um, and they will rewrite it anyway so that you can't lay claim to it because it's in their financial interest. And that happens in the auto. You know, if you're if you're designing cars, no matter what, they will always rework whatever you did so you cannot lay financial. And nobody's repainting this wall. That's this right. Is my wall. Right. How do we combat just, that? How do, what do we feel do about like I'm, I don't know. I, I don't know how to fix. <laughs> I, I, I just try to tread water through this. System. But how do we get, how do we how do we deal with the fact that how do we fix capitalism? Is that your question? Yeah, I'm not even sure that's the question, because when you bring up capital, we're not this isn't capitalism. The, you know, people say mm. the pro, we have to eliminate capitalism. I think capitalism is a cancer. You know, sometimes you can live with cancer. Most of the, mm. uh, the when we say you got to eliminate capitalism, uh, but we we should first try it before we eliminate it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Radical. Yeah. As long as it's- you want me to paint that wall, you just have a white wall behind you. I don't know. I want to move out of the city. What is the courage? Where would you go? Where would you go? To the woods. To the woods in a shack with my... The woods? (laughs) The woods. I would go to the woods in a shack and write my manifesto. Would you take your girlfriend? Would you? I would would, uh, go to a shack. I know a couple of people... um, A friend of mine took a job, so he's he was an actor and he also taught um, acting and stand up and he got a job in Savannah, Georgia, and he moved there a couple of years ago. And it's a big, scary thing because you're when you're like it took everything you had to like move to L.A., and you're trying and you're making it and you're do- and then you get this nice off and you're like, am I abandoning my dreams or what, am I abandoning? You know, it's sometimes L.A. or, you know, Hollywood can feel like a slot machine. Like, wh- am I about to hit it big? You know, have I've I've put in a lot. It, it, am I walking away from a jackpot or, you know, whatever? And he's like never been happier. And a couple of friends of mine just moved to the Carolinas one right before the pandemic, one, you know, during. So, yeah, we kind of had like a change of of heart. And we well, I really just I noticed how much I enjoyed being out of the city when I was in Ireland and I was just literally in the country and there were cows and stuff. And I was like, I just feel like a human being. I just felt. Yeah, I just felt like a person, not like a person trying to be successful, I guess. I guess I feel I feel like an entity trying to be a thing in in L.A. kind of. Maybe not everybody does, but I think I did. Yeah. And you can still I mean, it's a cliche to say this, but. Nobody's going back to the way it once was, especially in show business. It's not going back. They're not going to have the days of sitting around a conference table and pitching to the alpha dog. You're going to pitch to the alpha dog in a Zoom room. Who who wants... The commute, the over... Also, I think once they learned... Like, what what is the big thing they learned this year? Hey, we don't have to feed writers. We don't have to... How much money... How much money was just... the. What did you think the first time you got a TV writing job? I saw the snacks and was like, what is, 
what is happening? It's a, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like a 7-Eleven. It's a, it's a whole room. And it is like the snack section of 7-Eleven, but everything is free. And then there's a little note on the fridge that says, hey, if there's anything you want, just tell, you know, Ryan and Jessica, they'll go get it. (laughs) Unless it's healthy. Unless it's healthy. I never had that kind of weird power. Unless it's healthy (laughs) for you. Seriously. No apples. No apples. They will not feed you. you. Twizzlers. It's a cult. That's so true. It's a cult. Anything that's bad for you and that that makes you eat things that then result in you hating yourself for eating it, it just is. let us know. It's, it's never healthy food. It, it, I'm sorry, what? It is. I don't know why. It's a cult. It's half the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and the lawsuits. So here we are. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I, we, I may never work again, or I may blossom. You, uh, we'll you're going to blossom. The lawsuits alone. I'm Peyton Walls. Me, pa- the Peyton Wall. I'm Peyton Wall. Sounds like you're a football player. Doesn't that sound like a football I'm Peyton Walls. He's, uh, <laughs> he was the MVP three years running, Peyton Walls, which is uh, <laughs> unusual for a... Uh, Four foot three, what? Yeah. So, but you know, I don't see how corporations are ever going to allow men back into offices because every man, oh, they can't behave. It's just cheaper. They can't. They, 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 can't, they cannot behave. Can't stop touching. Can't they, stop saying stuff. That's probably true. The law. And, and when we Wasn't go, there's an article about Scott Rudin throwing potatoes at people uh-huh. just last week. Yeah, fully cooked potatoes. Throwing potatoes. Throwing potatoes. Smashing a computer. Like he had a big. He had a big stack of potatoes at all times, like on a platter that he was just like. He he smashed an iMac on his assistant's hand. Oh my god! And the the kid had to go to the hospital. And Rudin gets on the phone with his lawyer. Doesn't you know? Doesn't drive the kid. Scott Rudin, the movie producer, doesn't drive. I smashed your hand. I'm going to drive you to the emergency room. No, I'm going to call my lawyer, Scott Rudin. Yeah. And what's amazing about that is nobody, he went through like a hundred, seriously, like a hundred employees who all were physically and emotionally abused by this monster. You know, he's not Harvey Weinstein, but you would think somebody would have stepped up. The level of abuse that's just been like part of the job is, it is wild because now we have a new context. Because I even feel like, Years ago, even, you know, comics, we would just, you know, like as a as one of the only female comics in the 90s around the guys, you just put up with essentially guys saying they want to rape you all the time. And you're just like, (laughs) he's he's kidding. And you just put up with this stuff. And like now that there's been a consciousness shift and like people are going, this happened and everyone's horrified. I, I think it's wild. Like, I think Jackie Cation has such a. She has a bit about she's probably the last of a generation of women who will will say something like, he's a good guy. You just don't be in a room alone with him. <laughs> it's the worst. We got to wrap. Come back next week and we'll continue this conversation. My All message right. is get used to Zoom, men. Get used to Zoom because we're not going to be allowed back 
into offices <laughs> because you don't know how to behave. And the lawsuits, the when when we go back after the the vaccine kicks in and we're allowed back into the workplace, women are not going to take it. They are going to the, the first thing out of your mouth, you're going to get sued. And so my advice, if you're an investor, don't buy real estate because uh, office real estate is going to continue to plummet because corporations will will stop. Well, they'll, they'll just make us work at home and then don't buy a home. I think it's especially in a place like Austin, Texas, Wait, it's, a, it's a what bad investment Wait, to buy no, a this, home because took the, a weird turn. If, if you bought one just now, you bought at the height. The things you're saying. No, <laughs> have a good weird. have a good week. <laughs> OK, I <gotta> go. <laughs> thank you. It's so great. It's so here. great. You really cheered me up when we come back. We will be joined, I hope, by the brilliant Henry Huckamacki, and he's got a very special guest. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. Subscribe to my newsletter. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Sign up for my newsletter. I think you get a gift if you sign up for my newsletter. It's time right now for The David Feldman Show. He's talking politics a comedy too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show to get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Thank you so much, Professor Mike Steinel. You will be joining us later, Professor Mike Steinel. But first, let us now go to Michigan, where Henry Huckamacki is standing by with a very special guest. Hello, David. Technically, Michigan. Technically. Uh, yes, I do have a very special guest today, somebody who I'm very excited to talk to and who I've been following for a long time. I have Dr. Jared Ball, who is a professor of communication and Africana studies at Morgan State University. He's the founder and curator of imixwhatilike.org, which is a multimedia hub of emancipatory journalism and revolutionary beat reporting. He's the author of The Myth and Propaganda of Black Buying Power, which is going to be the primary topic of today's discussion, and is also heavily involved in running Black Power Media, which you can see the logo of in the background behind Professor Ball. So, Professor Ball, hello and welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, absolutely. And I, I have to say that I really, really enjoyed your book. Uh, I, I had heard this, this myth of the black buying power 
uh, for, for years, you know, and until I had read your book, I basically took it for granted. I, I not necessarily the racist undertones of it because mm-hmm. there certainly are many, but I took this, this $1 trillion number that we're going to be talking about for granted. And, and your book did a really good job of dispelling that. So thank you for writing it. So let's get right into it. Uh, this myth of black buying power is really predicated on the idea that the black community in the United States has this buying power of more than a trillion dollars. I believe it's 1.2 trillion right now. And that the reason that the black community is suffering is because black people, and this is the racist undertone that I was talking about, spends their money poorly. They spend it on tattoos and on shoes and on weed are you telling us that this $1 trillion isn't really $1 trillion in the way that we would typically think of it? Exactly. Um, uh, And in fact, we just saw the myth uh, regurgitated uh, uh, prominently this week with uh, Sean P. Diddy Combs uh, coming back with his call for what buying power really is meant to be, which is to uh, to attract ad revenue from, uh, corporate ad purchasers to uh, commercial media outlets. Uh, but yes, we're, we're often told uh, that uh, black people have 1.2, 1.4, 1.8, whatever trillion dollars. Uh, but no, it's not a pool of wealth that can be used as would any organized body or individual use their wealth. Uh, it is uh, really uh um, um, uh, an ad uh, and marketing concoction uh, mostly associated with the total income uh, projected income of black people, uh, which uh, the corporate world says all should be used uh, and spent on them. Uh, it is repackaged and rebranded and repurposed uh, through bad journalism uh, and worse punditry, uh, academia and journalism as ac- actual economic strength. Uh, and as a pool of, of, of money that again could be used with greater degrees of financial literacy. Uh, uh, but yeah, so it, it is, but it's entire fantasy. And when you look, and I don't know if we get into it, we can, I can you know explain some of the details, but when you look carefully at the method by which these, this number is claimed or reached uh, in their own language, it, they are nothing but estimates and projections. Yeah, you, so. you, brought up, you brought up the exact next point that I was going to raise, which is that with this, you know, it's used pretty much as a definitive number. This is the amount of money that this community has that we're projecting that's coming in that they could use to prop up their own community by making sure that the money goes back into the community. Surely when we're talking about a a number amount in the trillions, there's a lot of people that have put a lot of research into this number to make sure that this number is accurate and that this number is, (laughs) is well constructed. But uh, apparently that's not really the case. Where does this number really originate from? How many people are working on this number? Right. You would think so. Right. Uh, and it's funny. I hate to, I hate to do this. This is, this is terrible, but I, I did just happen to see earlier. We're actually late, early last late last night, early this morning, a, a re-airing of the big Lebowski in the scene where he's looking for the police to recover his stolen car. (laughs) And the police officer says to him, sure, we have four detectives working on it and they have us working in shifts and we're, we're, you know, (laughs) 
<laughs> when in reality, nobody was working on it. And in many ways, this feels like the same thing because you'd be thinking, well, yeah, this big number, it's reported all the time, everywhere for years uh, and referenced constantly. So there must be teams of researchers pouring themselves over it. But in the end, it's really just only one source uh, cited by every single solitary uh, outlet that has ever claimed a source. Uh, many don't claim one at all. Uh, and it's the Selig Center uh, for Economic Growth in the Terry Business College in the Bank of America building in Athens, Georgia, uh, produced primarily by one um, researcher, Jeffrey Humphreys, uh, and whose work is magnified and projected in, in uh, really a, a truly surreal way uh, into what is, as you pointed out, um, taken as, as unquestioned uh, axiom at this point. So, uh, but it's crazy. Yeah, there's really only one and, and no one can ever point to any other source. There's literally only one for this whole claim. So before then we get into talking about why this myth exists, can you just perhaps disaggregate buying power versus economic strength, which is something you do very well in the book, but just for the listeners who are hearing the term buying power, that immediately conjures up a a notion of economic strength. But as, as you put in the book, those two terms really should be disaggregated from one another because they're not directly applicable with one another. Right, exactly. Nobody who studies um, anyone's economic condition seriously uses buying power <clears throat> as a as any part of the formula. It's almost always, you know, it's income or better wealth, uh, and and um, uh, primarily those, you know, uh, those two variables to determine, uh, or really, they'll or somebody might measure uh, political power. Um, none of which is associated with this claim, none of which is involved in the, in the, the formula to derive uh, or conclude the one point whatever trillion. Uh, and um, uh, what, what, is, what buying power actually is, what, or what, what power means in the phrase buying power is the ability for consumers to spend what money they have to spend on the, the goods, services, and products produced by the elite corporations that are, are buying or spending the ad revenue uh, that the reports promoting buying power are really only ever designed to attract in the first place. So that's why I started with the, the example most recently from, from Sean Combs, because what Diddy is doing in his claim, his, his very popular claim right now being circulated all over the place uh, is he's saying revolt media, his black owned private media entity um, and other black owned media outlets are not properly respected is the, is the word often used by corporate America, meaning corporate America is not spending enough of the roughly $500 billion spent annually in ad revenue in black media outlets. And then what these black media outlets with support from their, uh, you know, bigger white corporate, uh, allies or sponsors or, or, or classmates, so to speak, uh, what they do is they 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 promote uh, this buying power as part of a potential economic strength that black people could use uh, within the bigger system of capitalism to become successful and overturn centuries of inequality. Uh, and and it's it's just um, 
an empty claim uh, uh, and, and one that is used, again, to redefine what power means and what economic strength means and continues to confuse the situation among many uh, uh, in the audience targeted by this messaging. So why should we not put all of our faith into, and I know this is, this is really the over, overarching theme of much of the book, so I'm sorry for giving you such a big question, but why should we not expect black capitalism to be the answer? Why should we not expect black banks to be the answer? I know that you just had recently an interaction with Killer Mike, which was quite entertaining. I was watching that happen live on Twitter, uh, like as the interaction was going, and that was entertaining. The video you put out afterwards was entertaining. But for the listeners who who have notions that perhaps black capitalism is is an answer to this issue, why is black capitalism and black banks not the solution to the issue that we're facing here? Well, usually my first answer is <clears throat> if you even look at uh, a society that is uh, built on capitalism and, and white supremacy, even for white America, banks and capitalism hasn't been this all saving grace that takes care of all the problems in, in, in society. And in fact, quite the opposite, which is why I often like to point out, and I think it's funny in some ways that, that you know, capitalism's biggest, loudest critic uh, often in the world um, historically is white, is Karl Marx. I mean, it's, it's so for all the suffering capitalism has imposed on everybody else, uh, even from within white, the white world, broadly speaking, its strongest critics come because even they see, even when you take out the factor uh, of race or our, our colonies just within an all white, nominally all white society, capitalism doesn't work. So when it comes to a, a group like black people targeted for very particular and abusive forms of hostility and exploitation, the idea then that, that banking and, and, and uh, investment and business uh, could become something that for the collective would be meaningful is, is really just should be laughable on his face. Uh, so what ends up happening, and this is, as you point out, a, a, a focus of my book is that, the, uh, and why it's, the word is in the title, that propaganda has to fill in all the gaps because the, the material reality is just so very easily, obviously understood by the many who have to live it. Uh, but it's easy to assess when you actually look at the data, which is initially going back to the beginning of my work on this subject is all I ever really did is look at the actual economic data versus what was being reported and claimed in commercial media outlets and elsewhere, unfortunately. Uh, and you can see that th there's no way that there can be said to be some sort of power uh, economically in, in, uh, in black communities uh, when even, you know, where we're headed now by 2050, black wealth will be at zero unless there's a major intervention in, in, in the economic system, which of course there isn't even one coming for white people in a pandemic. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so anyway, I mean, you know, the only thing that holds this all together, like, you know, like, like, you know, uh, tape or glue on a, on a, a wing of an aircraft and probably even, you know, just as poorly done is this propaganda, uh, although I should say that actually that's not correct. The propaganda here is more effective than wing or glue on a, I mean, a, a glue or tape on a, a broken wing of an aircraft, um, unfortunately, uh, which is making us think that we're able to fly and successfully, you know, uh, function in this quote unquote socioeconomic aircraft when in fact that wing is, is, is really tearing off uh, and leaking as we speak. Yeah. And uh, as you brought up propaganda and, and the statistic, I actually have the book pulled open right there. So I, I'm going to quote 
your book right here. And this is an encouragement for the listeners to pick up the book, which we'll talk about how they can do so in just a little bit. But you say black buying power is more propaganda than it is economics. And then you cite a study. If the racial wealth divide is left unaddressed and is not exacerbated further over the next eight years, median black household wealth is on, pa- is on a path to hit zero by 2053, about 10 years after it is projected that racial minorities will comprise the majority of the nation's population. And that's from Muhammad et al. 2017. Those are startling numbers. And yet we're still being told that as you state later in the book, and I might get the quote slightly wrong, but the black community can spend itself into liberation or spend itself into emancipation. Uh, can you tell us about how, how this propaganda really takes root, how it, how it has ingrained itself so deeply in our consciousness? So uh, the way I try to summarize it in, in, in my book is uh, that within the, the broader uh, context of post-Second World War U.S. Uh, imperial need, uh, to project uh, this country and its version of capitalism uh, and its claims of capitalism being wedded specifically to democracy and freedom and all of this, uh, in order for that to be one way to make to to make that uh, argument more effective and and um, promoted globally was to include uh, the argument that Black America, it's formerly enslaved, internally colonized, segregated, and still Jim Crowed uh, community could use capitalism uh, to advance itself. So, so there was this desire after the Second World War for the U.S. to 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 project uh, using film and and eventually uh, television, further into radio, et cetera. Uh, and then certainly uh, uh, in promoted image economically that black people could be doing better. We're doing better than was actually the case within that developed a black commercial class that had always existed as an entrepreneurial group ever since really even before the end of enslavement, but uh, uh, was given more room to breathe in this post second world war moment. Uh, this, this black commercial media environment uh, led by none other than John H. Johnson and Ebony Jet Magazine founder, uh, you know, they wanted to, he and they, that group wanted to use that moment to say, look, black people don't want to be radical and rebellious and black people just, you know, black people don't want to be a problem. Black people just want to be good middle-class citizens. Black people just want to shop uh, and watch television and drive cars. So if you, meaning white corporate America, would advertise in black commercial media spaces, we will bring you a group uh, that is not only loyal socially, but is economically capable of buying your product. So you know, uh, part of the messaging supported by the U.S. government, supported by uh, the business community uh, in, in the country was that, yeah, um, you know, let's put, you know, black people in commercials and in, in movies and, you know, in television shows, living this uh, middle class lifestyle and aspiring to these middle class uh, you know, lifestyles and, and um, we'll sell them products and we'll make money. And this black commercial class will uh, promote a version of black pride and even black power that is really wrapped in the consumerist uh, commercial uh, packaging. And, uh, and we'll all walk off hand in hand into the, you know, off into the sunset. And largely what we see today is just a hyper sophisticated version of that, 
which is, I think, increasingly more complicated and, and more nuanced and more difficult to to identify and and work around. But uh, that was that was primarily the goal and why. And then, of course, with the Nixon era and the 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 very explicit goal of redefining black power as not Kwame Ture, Pan-Africanist, socialist, you know, uh, armed self-defense, but as uh, black capitalism, black entrepreneurialism and, and certainly uh, mainstream uh, uh, politician, uh, you know, political um, uh, work and activism even. Uh, you know, it, it, it became weaponized, as, as I try to argue, that this idea that buying power and black capitalism and uh, black banking were solutions to what are really political problems. Uh, and uh, it continues to be an effective tool to discourage black people and many others away from radical political organization and social movement building, which is the only hope we have, and into this fantasy that we can consume our way into freedom. Yeah, that was actually one of the most interesting points in the book was how this this myth of black buying power is used to basically tamp down radical politics within the black community, tamp down the the uh, likelihood to protest within the black community because they say you know again you can spend yourself into liberation, you can spend yourself into emancipation. If you can do that, why are you out in the streets protesting? Why are you demanding a radical change to the system when really you just have to be spending your money more wisely, buying real estate instead of pot or instead of tattoos or instead of Air Jordans, et cetera, et cetera. That was a really fascinating point in the book. But let me, let me play devil's advocate for a second. A critic of the argument that you're making may bring up the Montgomery bus boycotts as an example of black buying power at work. You know, they uh, withheld their their black buying power and eventually got concessions to what they were what they were looking for. So why is this argument not something that you would uh, ascribe a whole lot of faith to on a system wide level or or bring in Georgia? If you could, there is a boycott of Georgia taking place. What what is you can use capitalism against itself with boycotts. Don't they work? Sure. So, so first of all, I'm not, I would, first of all, I'm a huge advocate of uh, labor unionization and labor activism. So I don't want to ever be confused as, as not advocating that. But what I'm saying is, is that uh, if the goal is the uh, redress of the entire black collective or the entire labor collective, then we need, as Marx and others pointed out, an international labor struggle. Simply put, isolating it in uh, uh, isolated boycotts that attack so let me start with the first example. So, so the Alabama uh, Montgomery bus boycott worked, was effective because it was targeting one municipal bus system for well over a year by a very organized black community uh, that was only in that case seeking to have black people be allowed to ride the bus without being harassed about where they sit. That's a very different goal than saying we need a national redistribution of the wealth that black people are creating that will uh, deal with the rampant and national inequality that is public policy based uh, uh, and can only be addressed through public policy uh, and and political strength and power. The the issue. So so the same thing with the Amazon strikes in in Alabama, that that the, the strike 
is great, should be supported, but unfortunately it's going to be limited in its effectiveness to the extent that there is not a global or at least national strike against uh, Amazon because uh, Amazon, like many other major companies are global in their reach. They have their international conglomerates. They can, you know, they can diversify. I mean, again, Amazon's number one, uh, uh, you know, revenue generation isn't even shipping and packaging, which is what most of these workers are unfortunately having to deal with. Their number one revenue source is data. Uh, is the data, you know, uh, selling and distribution within the, the server space and all that stuff and the deals that they have with the, with the, you know, the intelligence community, that's where they're making their money. Can, so can I, can I ask you about this? If you don't mind, professor, sure. I, I not, would love Henry. This is, I would, I told you I had a good guess, David. Well, I mean, this is just, and I, and, and please, um, <laughs> I, anyway. I've got two more questions, but that, let, okay. I want to make sure that we get in. Yes. So just, okay. Very, very quick. Um, when you bring up globalism, like a global labor movement, I, I, I are we going to have solidarity because Amazon in Europe recognizes unions? It, it seems to me that we we ignore American exceptionalism, for lack of a better term, at our own peril. I don't. Sometimes when we talk about the labor movement and how to achieve solidarity. If we don't recognize American exceptionalism, I, I think we're going to lose. This is a different game than the world, America, don't you think? My struggles with that phrase aside, I, 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 I'm I not using I it the way Sarah no, Palin you, uses it. I'm talking no, about. I understand. I know. I know. I know. That's why I said. That's why I said aside. Yeah. But, but I, I think I get your point that. And that's why, look, I'm no uh, expert tactician in what the labor movement needs to do. And I don't want to act like I have a single solution. Uh, and, but what I would what I think to your point would be, uh, as I started to say a moment ago, that the initial part of that struggle to support Amazon workers here in Alabama would be that there would have to be a national uh, strike. There would have to be and it would probably have to be one across the labor force. I've heard others talk of it in terms of a general strike. I would probably be more prone to support that. Uh, just, uh, you know, but, but uh, something to that effect, because uh, to your point, you're right. Other, other countries, other have different relationships with their, with their employers that we don't have in this country, uh, which speak to a whole different, you know, history and, 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 you know, sets of struggle. Volks, uh, so I, at least Volkswagen, here, yeah, sure. Volkswagen came to America like five years ago, wanted to unionize. I think it was in Tennessee or somewhere in the South. They said, here, you should go union. The workers rejected it. It's well, well, but that has a lot. To, but again, that has a lot to do with the 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 messaging system in this country, the propaganda, the histories of, of, of racism in this country that continue to confuse the labor struggle. But to the point we, we don't even have a, a system of media that has open and honest discussions about labor history. We are we're constantly being told we have to have the quote unquote right to work, uh, which discourages unionization. So there's a lot of things that these workers are, are, are struggling against before they can get to the point where they would accept the idea that they should unionize. And then honestly, I don't even remember all of the details with that story, but I think that there was even more about the kinds of threats that they were being, that they would, um, uh, that were being thrown at Volkswagen and others about if, if their workers were going to unionize, would they still be allowed to get kind of contracting in space here to, to do the work that they wanted to do? So anyway, look, I, 
there's a lot that has to be done. I mean, but, but my point still would remain if, if working people want something better for themselves, they're going to have to have an organized movement that assumes political power. Cause that's the only you and you're not going to tell working people that to overturn your, uh, uh, ignoble, uh, labor relations, you should start a small business, uh, save your money and stop spending frivolously, uh, especially in an economy that's 70% based on consumption. So obviously there's something else that has to be done here, which is, I think, more along the lines of what I argued in the book, that there has to be a redistribution of the wealth that is created by the, the, the relationship that working people have in, uh, to, to, to the economy and that those who consume uh, have to the economy uh, in creating the wealth through that, the, the relationship of consumption and, and labor. So, I mean, we're all producing, is my point, the $20 trillion GDP that this country enjoyed before the, the crisis uh, and that only made up for itself last summer with a COVID and CARES Act uh, used with political power to redistribute a, a non-existing pool of wealth back to the elite to make up for the fact that none of us were out here consuming and working as much as we were the year before. So that's what I'm saying we need. The details of how to get there, I honestly don't know. And I, and I, I would need to be working, obviously, in... in <laughs> That is amazing what you just said. I just want to just what you just said, how the government took upon itself to transfer a non-existent wealth to the one percent. That is unbelievable that we sat back and allowed that. Unbelievable. Henry, go ahead. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, Dr. Ball, I have a very quick question, like uh, basically a two word answer, uh, and then I'll have a follow up based on that. Okay, so I, I think that this book is supremely important. I think it's it's very well written. I, I mean, your your words jump off the page. I can read it in your voice. So that's credit to both you as the writer, as well as whoever your editor was for maintaining that voice in the in the work, as well as being a, a fantastic piece of scholarship. So with how important of a message this is, surely it's in the media everywhere being reviewed. How many reviews has this book gotten so far? Uh, three. <laughs> and and one by my my longtime you know colleague and comrade uh, Margaret Kimberly, who's going to be the guest uh, on uh, on uh, next Monday, by the way. Right on. Uh, so your show's going to get even better. And uh, uh, and honestly, off the top of my head, I'm I'm drawing a blank. But the other two were from uh, um, more or less you know known or friendly spaces. But but in terms of uh, you know, what should be substantive or, uh, you know, um, objective, detached reviews, none that I'm aware of. So here's my message then for the listeners. Uh, if you listeners have a platform in which you can review books, and this would include any professors who, I don't know, write frequently for the Daily Coast or something along those lines who happen to be in the audience right now, hint, hint, wink, wink. Uh, if you're in the audience and you have a platform to review this book, you absolutely should review this book and make sure as many people know about it as possible because, you know, the other thing is, is it's not too expensive to get your hands on, Dr. Ball. How 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 expensive is it for the listeners to get their hands on? <laughs> In fact, it's free. You get... Uh, in response to the uprisings last summer, uh, Paul Grave has said a digital copy of the book uh, will be made available for free and still is. I, I didn't know how long they were going to do it, but it's still going. Uh, and if people go to imixwhatilike.org, they can find a, a, a link right there to the publisher's website and download a digital copy for free. Which is how I got it. And uh, yeah, really, I, it's, it's, it's really good. Everybody in the audience should go and get the free digital copy. There's no reason not to. 
Now, David, if you'll allow me to have two minutes to allow the good doctor to pitch Black Power Media, which I've been watching relentlessly uh, for, for basically since it's been up and running. And uh, really, it's been excellent. Dr. CBS has a regular show on there. She's been a guest on the show previously. Uh, on this show previously, and she's going to be coming back again after I read some of a book that uh, she wrote the forward to. And she's also going to be a, a future guest of Gorilla History, which is, of course, as the listeners know, the other podcasts that I'm one of the co-hosts of. So, Dr. Ball, why don't you talk about Black Power Media? What is the goal that you're attempting to accomplish here with Black Power Media? Maybe talk about some of the different shows that are on the platform. Well, I appreciate that. So Black Power Media initially is just uh, the coming together of, uh, of myself, uh, well, me and a couple of friends from Renegade Culture, Kalanji Changa, Kamal Franklin, and the Ear Doctor. Uh, and the goal really was we wanted to create, a, a make better use of the internet and all the podcasting and video work everybody's doing to, to create a, a Black public sphere. Uh, that allows for black, uh, or as Dr. CBS points out, the traditions of radical blackness to be discussed and debated and given news and some room that aren't really given, it isn't given in, uh, elsewhere. Uh, we wanted to do it as a collective uh, and get away from some of the, the individualism in all of this. Um, uh, the revenue is, is collectively used. Uh, it's it's used to expand the, the, the work of the channel. So we're going to have the Remix Morning Show coming at the end of this month. We have, as you said, Dr. CBS's show. We have Luke Mon Nation. We have... Uh, my show, I mix what I like. We have uh, renegade culture with, you know, I mean, and we have more coming, uh, you know, we, uh, we're trying to expand the channel and bring more folks on uh, so that um, more of those traditions can be discussed and shared and debated and learned from and engaged. So I appreciate that you are, are taking us up on that and, uh, and giving us, you know, some, some time to discuss it and, uh, um, Hope others will come on through and check it out too. And folks, if you go to YouTube and watch the videos from black power media, first of all, you're not going to regret it. They're, they're <laughs> fantastic. They're, they're fun and super educational. I've learned a lot from all of the videos I've seen uh, on the channel, but if, if like me, you enjoy the videos, you should support them on Patreon or by joining the YouTube channel. I already have uh, it's, it's a great, it's a great network that you've put together. So congratulations on that. And uh, looking forward to the, the expansions that are going to be coming uh, in the future. So yeah, th thank you for that. And uh, thanks for coming on the show today. It was yeah, a lot of I, fun talking to you. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot if you don't mind. Uh, sure. And ask you to come back Thursday because I'm wrestling personally with mm -hmm. some issues that have uh i've been on the phone all weekend talking about uh some issues and uh, i could use some guidance from you so if you could come on thursday to help me work out some positions <laughs> tell, i tell have them, tell them what times you you record at well i i, I have you on the spot on. but there there's some I, if you don't mind henry uh sure. i mean i would love henry to be there but i need i mean i'm gonna be out of town so oh, okay uh, i i, mean, I, I be need able to call from like my grandparents basement rather than my parents basement right. on thursday that's up in the air but but yeah just tell him what times you normally record at right. so that he has I, an idea is, of what, I, i'm what gonna reach out to you and just offer you some times but i need sure, some sure. guidance on uh, Chauvin and uh, the reaction to this uh, 
unarmed African-American male who mm. got murdered by a cop. I think it was yesterday. Mm. Yeah, I was about ten, to say which one, but yeah. yeah Dante, 10 miles right, away, yeah. 10 miles mm. away from the, uh, the, the, uh, where the trial is taking place. And uh, I need guidance on how to feel and mm. what to say to <laughs> younger, younger people. David, let me pitch one thing for the doctor. Uh, Dr. Ball, you've had a reporter from Minneapolis on mm -hmm. your show. I mix what I like several times to talk about the trial mm -hmm. of, of Chauvin. And those, those videos are very, very well done. The questions that you asked are great. The guest is great. So mm -hmm. listeners that want to listen to that, that's another pitch for you to go check out Black Power Media and, and, and Dr. Ball's show, I Mix What I Like, uh, specifically those episodes. But But yeah. Okay. There, there no, yeah. we had a Thursday show. We had a, a little crisis at the end because I was demanding clarity from certain people on something that's very confusing and it's bled into my personal life. Uh -oh. So, yeah. So I would, I could use some guidance. Th Henry. Uh, sure. I'm going to reach out to Dr. Next, Ball. Let, let me pitch the next two guests I have coming yes. up. So as I said, I'm out of town Thursday, but, uh, you know, I might be able to, to jump on uh, at, on Thursday if, if Dr. Ball comes back on. I may not want to share them with you, though, but go well, ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, if you don't want me to, that's <laughs> no, fine. It's, but, I, you know, I've got a million more questions from I know. I've been a big yeah. fan of yours for a long time, yeah. Dr. Ball. No, I appreciate but, that. I really do. Uh, yeah, and, and especially if it's around this time, Thursday is pretty easy to do. Okay. So, yeah. And then, uh, as I said, next Monday, we're going to have the return of Margaret Kimberly. Right. Uh, my sister's which, reading uh, her book. Uh, yeah, I've, I've my sister it loved, to everybody that I know. My uh, sister just keeps going. When are you going to have got it? testimonials from people that I've recommended her book to that I'm going to read to her on the air because everybody that I've successfully convinced to read her book has given me a testimonial back when I've said, hey, if you like the book, let me know. There it is. There it is right there. Prejudential Margaret right. Kimberly and uh, listeners. You can find that interview that I did with her. I don't remember what episode it was, but just Google David Feldman show, Margaret Kimberly. You'll find that episode, but she'll be back on Monday. And then next Thursday, ironically, uh, is another guest that has been on Black Power Media, which is Dr. Layla Brown, who was on Dr. Oh, CBS's right. show. We're going to be talking about her article, The Pandemic of Racial Capitalism, which mm -hmm. is a fantastic work of scholarship again. And it just happened that, you know, when, you three were all available, ended up being my three consecutive guests. So that's <laughs> great for me. And it's great for the audience of this show. Yes. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you yeah. both. Uh, um, you'll, you'll be, you'll hear from my lawyer. <laughs> I look, yeah, right. I look forward to it. And I need to, I see, Pete is uh, raising the stakes on the lighting game. I see. I got to get, I'm, I'm going to have to. So, well, right, when you see. are as, uh, wh wh not as white, but when you are, whatever, <laughs> whatever color my skin is, it's like a, this time of year, like a greenish. It's not good to dodge a ball. And I, I really enjoyed you. that I conversation. Agree. And now I want to get in on the incest <laughs> and have you on my show. Anytime, man. Anytime. And and since our complexions are not that far apart, I might need to I, I might need to take some advice on that too. So anyway. Okay. Hey, look, I appreciate it, all of you. I look uh, anytime I I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. Thank more. you so much. Yeah. Henry, you. follow you. Henry on Twitter at Huck1995 and subscribe to Henry's newsletter. It's great. He writes about public health. 
He writes about science and, of course, COVID-19. Go to patreon.com forward slash Huck 1995. Listen to Gorilla History. We've got two new episodes coming out in the next two weeks. We've got an episode this Friday on the French Constitution of 1793, which was ratified but not implemented. And it's one of my favorite historical documents out there. And next week, we're releasing our episode with Carlos Sardinia Galache talking about the history of Burma and the Rohingya tragedy. Yeah, fantastic. Let us thank you all. We're we're running. Thank you. Let us now go to somewhere in New York State where the host of Stand Up with Pete Dominic is standing by. Hello, Pete Dominic. Hello, sir. Thank you for having me back. It's always great to talk to you. I'm sorry to hear about whatever you were talking about. You've been being attacked somehow. No, I've just been, uh, you know, having a free flow of ideas about everything. And, you know, hey, let me ask you a question about this, you know, the the 20-year-old African-American male who was Murdered. Dante Wright? Huh? This kid Dante Wright out there? Yeah. Say his yeah, name. I, I just got in trouble with a tweet. I just said the wrong thing on Twitter, apparently. What well, do you want to ask me? I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, I, did, I, I want to talk in hypotheticals with the police, okay? okay? Mm-hmm. So you pull over a 20-year-old. Let's just not use his name, just hypothetically speaking. You pull over a 20-year-old kid. Uh, with his, I guess, a girlfriend, and because the registration has expired, you're about to hand... This is hypothetical. I'm not talking about what happened 10 miles away from... I'm not talking about Brooklyn Center, Minneapolis, okay? The the 20-year-old, unarmed, is being handcuffed, and then he decides to make a run for it but get back into his car. Now, seems to me I'm not a cop, okay? You want to drive away from me? I have a very simple solution. I have a gun. I'm going to shoot your tires out. Why is that so hard to do? Well, there's a much better, I'm I'm glad that that's where you went with it because I've been stuck on that question myself. I think there's so much that I have such, so many strong opinions uh, about law enforcement and my own personal experience with them. I mean, we talk so much about unarmed black people and all I want to talk about is me as a white person. And I've had so many fights with cops. I've had the shit kicked out of me by cops and so I have a lot of opinions about it in this, in this case. It's, it's always to me, these, these police officers are so often, especially the men in this case, this Dante Wright case, which we're not talking about because it's hypothetical as a female cop, but they are just so egotistical who, who may be, uh, maybe and, even African American. She may even have been African American. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think race matters as much yeah, as gender. But- I think men have uh, the statistics are that uh, female police officers are far, far better and have a ton of good sound research on this at de-escalation and male cops, white and black are more likely to escalate a situation. And it's all about ego. When you pull somebody over, if they have, Anything other than they were running after killing somebody or they are, you know, rapist, something horrible that you would be concerned they're going to hurt somebody in the, in the next moment. It's about the ego there. 
he got if he got away from them while they were cuffing him for an expire for whatever, whatever the charges were, right. let him go. Yes, absolutely, let him go. And your suggestion was shoot the tires out. No, call the other cops that are ahead of him and have him lay out something on the gr- on the yes. on the ground or block the road. You don't fire your weapon. You could kill. You could hurt somebody accidentally or yourself. No, don't take the idea that cops carry firearms on them all the time. Is, is is an issue that we should debate and discuss. I think in America, it's more understandable because there's 400 million weapons in the street. But generally speaking, they should not come out of the holster or anywhere remotely close. So, I mean, there's so many ways to defuse and deescalate a fight between you and I, my wife and I, or a cop and a suspect. And so often we don't employ them because of our egos. Yo, how dare you run away from me? Don't you turn your back to me. Let them turn your back to you. Let them go. Stop it. Nonsense. Nobody's drafting you to be a cop. You made a choice to be a cop. And if you can't do it right, you're gone. You're a servant. You are working for the person you pull over. You are that person's servant. And that has to be drummed into every police. That is not how they see it. There's a lot of really good journalism on police forces, which there's 17,000 law enforcement agencies across the country that these guys are. And you can see the training videos. They are trained to see the public as the enemy, not what you just said. They are not trained. That is to protect and to serve and all that bullshit. Nope. They are trained like the military is to fight Al-Qaeda. They dehumanize us, the public, in their training. Not all of them, not all the time, but there's a lot of that out there. There's this mentality. What is it, sheeps and the wolves? I mean, it is not to mention there's a huge thread virus of white supremacism in both the military and law enforcement that cannot be denied. And it's the training. And, you know, it's, I, I watched this arrest with the uh, Lieutenant, the military officer. And it's like at every moment, the arresting officer who pulled him over escalated the situation as much as he could. At every moment, he raised the stakes in a situation. That never. Are you talking about the way. police off the, the, the army? Yeah. Yes, so the guy with the, who got a new he got a new van. It didn't have plates because it was new, but he had the registration, the license pasted to his window. He was obeying the law. If the concern, I think, might have been in that case, I'm not sure that he he stole that car. Um, my my, I, I'm on. I'm trying to write a joke about like thieves aren't usually stupid. We hear about the dumb ones, but most thieves. Certainly car thieves, David, don't wear uniforms while stealing a car. Not not only not a military, like not even a McDonald's uniform. Like you don't if you're stealing something, you generally don't want to wear something. That's why they wear all black. So you can't be identified. Mm -hmm. It's like wearing a Jets jersey while stealing something is a bad idea. And people don't do that. So the cop's assumption should be this guy probably didn't steal something because he's in uniform. And and he's a member of military. Why? I mean, it's just preposterous from start. By the way, what one of the reasons they effed with him was because he was a person of color in uniform. That drives. well, Well, there's a history of especially in the south of seeing people of color in uniforms and they don't like it there's there's a documentary on the pbs about an african-american 
soldier who came home from World War II and got his eyes gouged out because There's he was so, in uniform I, and wouldn't give, give up his seat to a white person. And the sight of black men coming back from World War II in soldiers' outfits was too much for the South. If we are in a situation where right where right now white police officers are using their authority to uh, cast suspicion on uh, people of color in uniform, then that would that would make it even sadder and sicker. I don't think there's any evidence of that in this case, but at the same time, there's not evidence that he didn't use that logic. The moment he saw that man in uniform, he should have immediately shown a sign of respect and solidarity. I mean, come on, we're both, he should have immediately. So yet he escalated it. So you may be, you know, in the end, I'm, I'm talking against myself and, and agreeing more with you. The moment he saw that he was in uniform, he should have made a thousand assumptions. And then when, of course, a lot of black people I'm talking to were saying it was racist that he assumed he was lower rank when, in fact, he was a he's a lieutenant uh, and he was the, the arresting officer was himself uh, former military. So he should have recognized the uh, uh, the insignia on his shoulder. I mean, the whole thing is just he, he, he got fired. He, he, fired. Was, he was driving on a dark road. The cops turned on their lights. They wanted yep. to pull over. Yep. He drove an extra minute and a half. Yep. to a service station so that he would be it would be lit he was afraid and he's the first thing he said is I was pissed if you don't pull over right away that's the whole thing with cops with authoritarians if you don't do what they say right now right this second every next second there's more anger and i know this because th that's me dude that's me that's how I get with my kids, with myself, with my friends at times. I recognize it, so I try to, 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 to confront that. But I do get that way if I get really frustrated, especially, I think, with my daughters. But that's cops do that with adults, with other people. You can't do that with, with your – I certainly don't do it with my wife. Like, you can't do that. You can't escalate every second just because someone's not obeying your command. I get it from the cops' point of view. Why aren't you pulling over? But th is this guy a danger? Well, first of all, we have to explain to the cops out there that if you're a woman or a person of color or anybody driving down a country road, we don't trust the cops. We're going to look. We're gonna, you, you want us to pull over? First of all, we're not sure you're cops. We're not sure you're good cops because a lot of you are dangerous. We're going to look for a well-lit place before we pull off to the side of a country road with you yes i mean it makes sense it makes sense and they should they should the cops should want that too everybody should want to be in a place well lit. there's there's no other argument so than, so you have kids right 13 and 16 year old daughters yeah all right hear the sirens yep we are all cooped up we're all angry most of us are angry is that fair? Um, I wouldn't. I don't know how to answer okay. that. And when you see and, and and we we're trained to attack authority. And so when we see the cops, they are unfortunately they shouldn't be called authority figures, but they are authority. Uh, we begin to hate them. What is a reasonable approach that we should take with the cops? What would you tell your kids either protesting the cops who owns the streets generally you just said that we know white nationalists 
that the army and, and the police are lousy with racists, with white nationalists. We don't hear of any Facebook groups coming out of Pittsburgh, a Facebook group of cops coming out of Pittsburgh who are ultra lefties, do we? But we hear of a lot of Facebook groups of cops who are neo-Nazis and racists and talk about shooting black Congress people. We don't see that. We We never hear that the army or the police are lousy with leftists. Is that a fair statement? Well, uh, if you say if you, by lousy, you mean violent leftists infiltrated by no leftists don't generally mm-hmm. like that kind of authoritarian law enforcement. They're pacifists, more likely uh, they don't gravitate towards law enforcement. People who are, you know, generally speaking, really progressive doesn't mean there aren't progressive people in law enforcement. My friend Patrick Skinner is a really interesting guy who's a cop down in New Orleans, former CIA agent. And so he's a very thoughtful, educated guy who's a, a critic of his own police force but you don't that's very rare right so who owns the streets when we go to protest who who owns the streets overwhelmingly the i think law enforcement owns the streets and which ideology owns the streets the left or the right for sure it would be the right wing uh white nationalists right because we're the proud we've discovered that there are cops who are members of the proud boys we don't know if any antifa doesn't exist I don't know how many Proud Boys aren't cops. Like at the insurrection, who wasn't <laughs> law enforcement right. or military? I'm joking. Obviously, there was a real estate agent that flew there in the private jet. But I mean, there was it was a tr- it, the the percentage of people who were there in D.C. who were arrested that were also either former or active duty military law enforcement was really important and frightening. It's imp- but it's, it wasn't a coincidence. So if you have a child who is going to go take to the streets, because there's a distinct possibility that Derek Chauvin will be acquitted. Uh, most likely will be acquitted because this is America. I don't think so. I hope you're right. But, yeah. you know. Uh, but when you take to the streets, which everybody should, it's important to tell your kid or yourself or your loved one that the streets are owned by the right wing. Yeah. Well, my my brother spent a lot of time in the streets. He was a, a, a medic at protests throughout the 90s. My brother's a radical, like the original Antifa, my brother. And and he has a lot of experiences to draw from that he's, he's written about and talked about in terms of what happens at protests and the techniques uh, that get used, which haven't changed that much over the years. And so I think that when we talk about violence in America as a result of our politics, most of that violence takes place at these types of protests. I think most Americans uh, shouldn't have as much, the vast majority of us don't have, I think a lot to be concerned about in terms of violence in the streets, you go to those pre- protests and you're, you're, you're likely, you're far more likely to find violence than from the would. police, from all sides. But no, no, no. For the police course, bring the violence, the police yes, bring they, the violence. It's not, they, it doesn't turn violent until the police show up. George Floyd would still be alive, but for Derek Chauvin being called over because uh, somebody I, tried to pass a $20 counterfeit bill i know have we even determined whether or not it was a counterfeit bill or i guess, I guess that doesn't clerk, matter the young clerk thought it was yeah uh, it probably was but who cares like just who cares when the police show up there's violence 
too often that is absolutely the case. I don't think it's always the case. I don't I don't like generalizations about about anything. And I think the vast majority of arrests take place peacefully. But that doesn't mean we don't I didn't have, see that in New York City. Doesn't matter. You don't see peaceful arrests. They don't make the news. Of course, most arrests, I think, are probably done without major issue. But that doesn't mean way too many, especially in America, especially in certain cities and police departments are, I mean, not way too many. It's an endemic amount. It doesn't mean that most aren't done, you know, handled appropriately. I think probably most of them are. Most traffic stops are. So you send your daughters off to protest. What do you tell them? I don't send my daughters off to protest. You're not going to do it yourself. That's dangerous. Don't you send your kids instead? <laughs> I've taken my kids to protest. My daughters have been to protests for the women's movement, climate, and Black Lives Matter. We've, we've been. I've gone with Okay, that. so the police, you're at a protest, yeah. right? Yeah. And you want to come home with your face intact. You don't want a cracked skull. This is, you know, this is the talk I would give and I have given my kids and their friends. So, you know that the police are violent. And Sun Tzu says, you never fight people where they have the upper hand. Do you have the upper hand on the street? No, I don't think ever. I don't Uh think I think generally not. Okay, so the police show up when the police show up to a protest. Good rule of thumb. Might not might be a good idea to. Uh, it, it depends. I think that I think that a lot of change has occurred in America as a result of the the violence that takes place at protests. No, they're getting worse. The cops are getting worse. I think they're. It, it would seem so. It would seem so. But I think you have to be in the streets on a lot of different issues. In but this when country. the cops show up, when the cops show up, yeah, there will be violence. Always assume when American police show up, they are heavily armed, they have weapons, and they want to use them. Too often, that is the case. But it doesn't, I don't think, I mean, I'm not sure what you're saying. If we, if, if people should leave the protests when the cops I'm show up. I'm saying that when you, I, what I am saying, and this is why I, I shouldn't be talking to you about this, but this has been going on all weekend. I've been talking to my kids and their friends and about protests and Uh, I cannot stress this enough. If you want to protest, exercise your First Amendment right to assembly, which you should. You need to know that we live in a police state. And the cops are getting worse. And if you don't want to come home looking like Picasso. (laughs) Picasso did your face. My suggestion is stay away from the cops unless you want to make a point, unless you want your nose to be where your ear is. How then, do you then, then hang out with the cops. That's my suggestion. That's what I tell my kids and their friends. But your kids n- probably know that and their friends know that that's. Well, some, uh, some, a, don't. A some don't. Some don't. Maybe don't. not. Yeah, maybe they're naive. But I think that. 
there's probably a snappy quote that uh, some civil rights hero from Gandhi to Dr. King uh, could say about purpose and meaning and protest and what it, what it means and what it does. And so I think, you know, we have to be grateful for those who do put themselves in harm's way uh, because there's no other choice at that point. Usually that's okay. why people are out in the streets. If your daughter is working for a toxic handsy boss, <laughs> which she will, mm-hmm. you tell your daughter, quit the job, go to HR and say it's either me or him. But you, there's no excuse to be in a dangerous situation. If you can recognize the danger, if you're in a relationship that's toxic and violent, there's no excuse for that. And you, you I disagree with that. I disagree with that. I think it's far more complex. I think that there are because I've worked in and around domestic abuse for years, not a long time, but it's so much that's that is really discounting uh, a victim or survivors choices. It's not that easy. This person is beating you. Why don't you leave them? It's not remotely that easy. I wish it were. I wish people had that set of choices and it were, but it's it's unfortunately a lot a lot more complicated than okay. that. Okay. To be continued. Thank you. I love you. I love you too. Thank you. I'll Pete Dominic is the host of Stand Up with Pete Dominic. Thank you. Yes. Let us now go to can we get a landscape shot of you, Mr. Breslin? You're 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 hang on. I have to unmute you. I have to unmute you. Hang on, you're not muted. There there you go. Okay. Yes. Um no Mike, I'm sorry. My uh my computer was rushed to the hospital last night, so Ooh. this iPhone is all I've got. Yeah, but you can still tilt it. You can still give me a landscape. Uh, no? Let's see. Try it the other way. I guess no. No, I guess not. Okay, this is keep as it, good as it gets. That, that's as good as it gets. Mark Breslin is the founder and the president of Yuck Yucks, the largest comedy chain in North America, if not the world. Hello, sir. Hi. How are you? Yeah, we're talking. There's stuff going on in America that's just. I know, I know. I I have CNN. I'm aware of this stuff. And uh... and I read Howard Zinn. I know what's going on. <laughs> By the way, I got to tell you something. Okay, here's you know you know how I have all these sort of weird brushes with greatness or or a lack of greatness. Well, you're not having one you now. I can this... I can assure you that. With all this Matt Gates stuff that's going on, mm-hmm. I was in Florida last year, at a, and I was at a friend's place, and I was using the pool, and who was there but Matt Gates? <laughs> it was so bizarre, and of course, I didn't think anything of it, and then he said, do you want to go for dinner? I said, yeah. He said, let me take you to my favorite Italian restaurant, uh, which was Fortino's. <laughs> <laughs> Fortino's. Fortino. Oh, Fortino. And uh, yeah, he loved it. I uh, I didn't like it so much. <laughs> Fortino's. Yes. It's a perfect place <laughs> to violate the Man Act at yep. Fortino's. Yeah. Why do they call it the Man Act when it involves a girl? I, I never understood that. Why do they call it the Girl Act? <laughs> and if it's a guy, it's a minor. It should be the Minor Act. That's like it's not a man. Act. It's a minor. No, that's right. Wow. I have some, uh, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 you go. You go. No, I said you go. Okay. I 
have something horrible that happened late last night during my insomnia. And I thought of you and I don't know what to do about this. Well, there's two things. There's two issues here. One, you you were insomniac and um, you were having problems sleeping. The second one is you either tried to fall asleep thinking of me, which is a really (laughs) depressing thought, or you tried to get distract yourself by thinking of me, which is an equally depressing (laughs) thought. So which of those depressing thoughts was it, David? Uh, I have this is, you know, I'm going to just be honest with the listeners and the hypocrisy is laid out bare. I, I advocate boycotting Amazon. And I do. But I and I've removed our affiliate link here. I still have Amazon Prime, which means I have access to their movies. Rainy Day in New York was on. This is Woody Allen's second to latest movie. And I thought, well, I have Mark Breslin coming on. I can't sleep. He watched Rifkin's what the 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 most recent Woody Allen. I'll start watching Rainy Day. You hadn't seen it, no. Okay, and, and I had to turn it off because, because it was excellent. I know. I mean, like I I'm going. This is one of his good ones. Yep. Yeah, I think I think a really low point was uh, the one with John Turturro, uh, Irrational Man. Oh, I could barely get through that. It was terrible. Then I started um, rewatching Manhattan. I had to turn off Rainy Day in New York because it was too good. And then yeah. I started watching Manhattan. And I thought, <laughs> I was going to say, maybe he didn't do that to the kid. This movie's so good, maybe. No, it's terrible to say. I mean, it's really hard to. Uh, it's hard to enjoy it. Well, I always found the problem with Manhattan was that the, the girl wasn't young enough. <laughs> so it wasn't quite believable, you know, uh, that a man like that would be with a 17 year old when he could be with a 13 year old or a 14 year old. So I never. I bought it, you know, but uh, I let it go because, you know, it's artistic license. Right. And um, and I, I remember watching it. But, it's you know, it's interesting. Uh, I've watched so many of his movies more than once. But Manhattan was never a movie I felt like watching more than once. I saw it. It was really nice to look at. It didn't mean that much to me somehow. Yeah, I don't. I, everybody thinks it's a, you know, before all the the scandal, everybody thought it was a work of genius. But I, I did. I didn't respond to it particularly. It wasn't because of the moral issues. Because I never respond to moral issues. If you could have dinner with him, would you? Right yes, now, of course, of course, absolutely. I would not bring my niece. <laughs> I would have dinner with him. You would. You would have. Dinner with a monster. Yeah. yeah, I would have dinner with the monster. Would you have dinner with Henry Kissinger? Yes, of course. But I'd make him pick up the check. <laughs> I'm not some idiot, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not a moral moral idiot. No, I'd make him pick up the check. And make him no, eat at a Cambodian or a North Vietnamese restaurant. Um, if he had a sense of irony, perhaps. <laughs> 
Maybe that's what he'd order. He'd order the irony. Yeah. Um, I can't think of very many people that I wouldn't have dinner with because to having dinner with them doesn't mean that I'm not sitting there loathing them. I would just have dinner with them and then I'd have great stories to tell. Now, we lost over the weekend and Beats, who I met through you. I know. From Humbert oh, College. That's right. And she was so feisty. You know, she heckled um, me she during was... my lecture. <laughs> did she? She did. See, I told, told you she was feisty. Huh. Um, do we know what she died of? It was sudden. So I'm assuming it was know. a heart attack or a, or a stroke or something. I don't know. With her, it would have been a stroke of genius. <laughs> I, um, I, I thought so much. I really, I, I thought so much of Anne. Tell Beats. everybody who she and, is, please. Okay, so Anne Beats um, was married or lived with in common law with Michael O'Donohue. And if you know anything about you know American comedy, Michael O'Donohue is the high point of stick humor. Um, the two of them were on the first um, writing staff of Saturday Night Live. And uh, she worked for the National Lampoon, did some of their best stuff, uh, went on to create Square Pegs, uh, and then uh, became kind of a cheerleader for a lot of feminist humor. She had a number of books that she put out, which were compilations of women's comedy. Um, and for the last while, she was doing a lot of stuff, a lot of teaching stuff, including at the um, program that I started at Humber College in, in Toronto. Um, and she was great. Some students despised her. Really? Some students loved her. Yeah. Oh, she got into a fist fight with one of the students, actually, a guy. And believe me, he deserved it. Everybody had wanted to pummel this guy for a long time. She got into a fist you know, fight? Yeah. Yeah, they had to break it up. It was in New York because at that time uh, we were doing shows uh, at Caroline's. Uh, we would do like the end of summer show at Caroline's um, and everybody went to New York and they got into a big fight about which sketch should be on, what sketch shouldn't be on. They started shoving each other and pummeling each other and they had to be separated. And I believe mm-hmm. after that, and, and I think that's what the catalyst was where she wouldn't come back to the program. Wow. Wow. Well, she I had a had deal a with moment with her. I'm sorry. I never had a bad moment. I said, I never had a bad moment with her. She was great. Right. John Belushi. Yeah. Not a good guy. Not a good guy. I'm like a monster, that- a monster. When it came to the, if you were a female writer on SNL, John Belushi told Lauren Michaels to fire all the female writers. They ain't funny. And Lauren Michaels, to his credit, said, great idea, John. I'm sure you'll forget you even asked it tomorrow. Right. Not a good guy. Not a good guy. But also, when somebody's on that amount of drugs, like, uh, who's a good guy? Don't know. Yeah, I, am, I assume you saw the um, documentary on him, the, the recent one. No, I, I didn't. I, 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 I it's didn't good. Mean, I, yeah, that's what I hear. Hey, she it's came good. up with, she was working at the National Lampoon, do you know what ad, famous ad she came up with? Yeah, she came up with a famous uh, Teddy Kennedy Chappaquiddick ad where they, uh, there was a Volkswagen floating in, in a river and it said if Ted Kennedy had, uh, if, if Senator Kennedy had driven a, uh, if Senator Kennedy had uh, driven a Volkswagen, um, she'd be alive today. He'd, be, pre- like he'd be president. He'd be president today, right. I mean, that's, that right. is... Like classic that, that and buy this magazine or we'll shoot you. Those are the two classic. That's iconic. Yeah, no, you, you, no, you know what's interesting is that Volkswagen sued. They did, and I can't. 
Yeah, they sued. They sued uh, Lampoon. They sued Ambeats. Like most of those lawsuits, didn't go anywhere. But I don't understand why they would have sued. You know, because that was always a company that was supposed to show that they had some kind of sense of humor. Their their ads were always quite witty. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought that they kind of went down a notch in everybody's esteem when they went and they they could they could dish it out but they couldn't take right and that's never good right right humbert college not named after humbert hubbert for who's the guy from lolita humbert 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 um and um no it's named after a river now do we cancel nabokov no no well i read lolita when i was lolita's age does does that book glorify pedophilia or, or sex with underage girls? I don't think it does. I think I think that the book is a uh, a fabulous satire on uh, America, America, uh, American inquisitive acquisitiveness. Um, uh, uh, a lot of stuff. It's the the. The fact that she's underage is only part of, of a larger whole. The fact that he marries the, the mother to get to the girl. There's there's it's but the it's but, the, po- but the, po- the the way he describes her body and the lust for her youth is you have to would you say that, that you, is that problematic? Well, you have to do that to make you uh, to make the reader understand. It's the same problem with American Beauty, the movie, um, because, you know, there, there, there are those um, uh, glory shots of uh, the girl covered in rose petals. And people said, well, you know, you're you're glorifying this this kind of pedophilia, except if you don't do that, you can't really see what's going on in his mind. And we trust Kevin Spacey because he's a paragon of virtue and he would never throw himself on a minor. So we trust never. Him. Never. But I understand that that kid was not covered in rose petals. <laughs> he was covered. He was covered in other people's jackets and coats, <laughs> which is not the same thing. Right. Right. So but in all seriousness, it, could Lolita be published today if it were brand new? Probably not by a mainstream publisher. But I'm not sure it was published by, was it published by a mainstream publisher or was it Grove Press? I, I have a feeling it was like a Henry Miller novel or D.H. Lawrence. Where yeah, well, those, that's Grove Press, right? Who's, who Press. are they? Grove Press was uh, owned by a guy named Gerodius and he, they were out of Paris. So I believe before there was an American version, it had been published in, uh, in Paris and was circulating for a couple of years before anybody tried to um before anybody tried to publish it in the, in in america and i'm not sure who did okay and i'm not sure that, that there wasn't a a legal issue behind it but there might not have been i'm i'm not sure sorry all right now you you are in proximity to montreal which is french as a french well, five-hour drive it's i i wouldn't call it proximity but it is striking to visit montreal because it is like it's, you're not visiting Paris, but you are visiting a French country. Is that is that? Yeah, it's close enough. Sure, Quebec yeah. City is a better example, I think, because I think Quebec City is ninety percent French, ninety five percent French, and, and it's also an older city, um, like physically. So, um, I think I think 
Quebec City goes back to like 1620 and Montreal is uh, a century later. Um, and and so would you, you say really the, the real would you say without trafficking and stereotypes that the same way there's a Jewish character, there's also a French character. It's probably an unfair stereotype. But a lot of people are saying that, you know, Woody Allen has found a home in Paris. No, no questions asked. Uh that they're slowly beginning to have a Me Too reckoning in Paris, but they've been a little behind when it comes to. Uh, well, if yeah, if you uh, you know, in but here's what here's what I think the French believe that the measure of the sophistication of a country is its ability to accommodate, not eliminate vice. Hmm. Want me to say that again? I was just, I swear to you, I was just going to ask you to say it again. Because I think it's, uh, thank you, uh, it's it's one of my favorite things that I've written. Um, no, they, they think that the measure of a sophistication of a society is its ability to accommodate, not eliminate, vice. The French give the, give the devil its due. They think it's part of life. They think that corruption is part of life. They think that uh, desire and lust is part of life. And as long as it doesn't go too far, then it's kind of okay. But I think a better example of that wow. is in that documentary about uh, Dominique uh, Kahn. The, yeah. Um, yeah where D- they, DSK, Dominic Strauss-Kahn. DSK. So in that, in that documentary, there's a wonderful part where inadvertently um, the people in France that are being interviewed um, talk about how, well, you know, of course, he's an older man. He's going to have these desires. And they don't even, there's no irony here. There is absolutely no irony here. So they still think that. And that's why I always thought that all of these people who are accused of Me Too crimes and indiscretions should all move to Paris where they can have their own talk show. It would be like The View. And on the on that, you would have um, uh, Harvey Weinstein should have run away. Um, uh, the guy from uh, the Canadian guy, uh, Jean Gameshi, who was really the first of all of these these issues. Uh, Epstein. Um, Depardieu. Uh, Depardieu. They could have all had this kind of roundtable discussion once a week <laughs> on the things we do. <laughs> but they are catching up, though, in, in France now, right? I, I don't know. I don't know. The head of Just for Laughs. What happened to him? In- well, yes, but he's not. He's not French. He's French Canadian, not French. But right. um, no, I, I'd always known. I didn't know him well, but I'd always known that he had some kind of odd, open relationship with his with his wife, and I always knew that he was always chasing tail. Whether or not those people were. Uh, you know, by the way, he literally tail. He was, he was into bestiality. He, yeah. Yeah. He had yeah. a collection, actually. Um, he would walk around with them and he'd have his keychain on the end of it. And <laughs> he'd kind of whip it around his head. Um, I, I thought that was very French, actually. Um, très French. And uh, so, you know, I wouldn't know that this was happening or whether this was uh, consensual or not consensual. It could have been consensual, but as it turns out, it's not consensual. But they got a lot of people got mad at the staff of Just for Laughs and said, "Well, didn't you know? Didn't you know this was happening?" Right. And they all said, "No, we didn't know. We only knew that he was a highly sexualized guy. We didn't know what he did once he went home with any of these women. Why would we talk about that?" Right. Right. And I believe, and I, I do believe them. 
Right. But then you because look at somebody like uh, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York. He's just an abusive man. He's abusive in his office, and it only follows that he would be abusive to women. The same thing with Harvey Weinstein. He abused directors and writers, and it only followed that he was a rapist as well. Well, e- even if you don't go that that distance, and even if you don't make that connection, I- I'm always thinking about these um, teachers, these professors, like in the um, uh, uh, the paper chase, mm-hmm. who are really mean to their students. John Hausman. Yeah, and it used to be a kind of style. And I had some professors like that who would only ask me questions in a withering way and in, imply that I'm stupid. And it wasn't just me. I mean, it was everybody in the class. And it was considered okay to do that, that that was part of the, the teaching process. But I haven't been back to um, you know school in a long time. I'll bet that doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't. There is. Oh. A, we were talking about this guy McNeil he is the science was the science reporter for the New York Times who had to resign because he took a group of students under the New York Times umbrella to I think Peru and they were white kids and apparently he used the n-word but talked about the n-word but then used the actual n-word and he said things like he doesn't believe that uh, white privilege exists And then he said something to the effect that if African-Americans are being arrested at disproportional rates, maybe they should alter their behavior. And somebody pointed out to me that he may not have meant that, that he was speaking to what you were saying about the paper chase, that he was proceeding in what was once an acceptable Socratic dialogue. Yeah. But not saying uh, I'm playing the devil's advocate. And, you know, he's dealing on this trip. This guy McNeil was dealing with uh, prep school kids. So they were who probably are not equipped to deal with sarcasm that they everything that comes out of somebody's mouth, you take literally who adjusts. I, I suspect people who like playing the devil's advocate have to make the adjustment and say, you know, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Or you can say, you know, there are some people who think this is what they think. What would you respond to people who think that? No, it's not. That's not the style. The style is to become that person, even if they don't believe in it. But I've got to tell you, I never really liked being berated in class. That was never anything that was going to make me learn better. Right. It's a form of gas. I hate to use the term gaslighting, but where you're if you're teaching somebody and they can't tell whether or not you're playing devil's advocate. uh, That's a form of I mean, I was raised. I I didn't grow up in my house here, but that's how I was educated, where people would take positions and I'd argue with them, not knowing whether or not they meant it. I'm not. I don't think that's valuable. Do you? Do you remember Goodbye, Mr. Chips, the movie? Uh, In Goodbye, Mr. Chips, I believe it's Alec Guinness. This would have been about, I don't know, 1940, 
movie, the movie. He, he is a completely abusive teacher, but he thinks this is the best way to teach people. And then he has to leave at the end of the, of the movie, the end of the semester, for whatever reason, I can't remember. And all the kids are crying. All the kids are crying. They're going to miss him so much. I found, I always found that kind of funny. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I was. I never miss anybody who abuses me. Believe me, I. You've worked survive. for yourself most of your life, correct? Yes, but I've also had um, a lot of um, consulting jobs where I've worked for other people. So I can do both. Right. Now, I've never been abused the way a woman has been abused or the way a person of color has been abused. I've, I wouldn't know what that is like to uh, fear for my physical safety. But I've been abused. I've tasted. I've had many abusive work situations. From, uh, I know some of your bosses, and I, I know that they are abusive, but I was very lucky. I can't think of any job I've ever had where I had an abusive boss um, it, um, until I've been fired in an ugly way a couple of times. That's the only thing. But as, as far as the, the actual job itself, I, never, I don't remember ever having any, any problems right. with anybody. The... Uh the thing about the abuse is you uh, I'm grateful for the abuse because I feel it toughened me up. But. Uh, but I'm not sure. I, I, I think names? that's a coping mechanism to say, gee, I'm glad. Do you want to name some names? Uh, Gary Cooper was a, a name names. Uh, okay. Adolf Manju, name names. Name names. Yes. Okay. Ronald Reagan, name names. Burl Ives, name names. This is how we begin every dinner with my mother. She reads a list of everybody in Hollywood who named. I know I, uh, Abe Burroughs. You know James Burroughs, the director. Yes. His yeah. the great James Burroughs. Yeah. His father Abe Burroughs. Name names. Would you name names? Yes, but I'd make them up. <laughs> I never understood why they didn't make them up. I just, I just come up with a whole bunch of Jewish-sounding names. You know, like, Eli Goldberg was there. Sam Litowitz was there. You know, I, I, they'd say, "Okay, thank you very much." By the time they got around to realizing that those Sam, the Sam Litowitz was, you know, he was a pushcart dealer uh, down on 14th Street, they'd have lost interest in me. Right. You know, we have, a, uh, you know, Jeff Garland, the comedian, yeah, of he yeah. said to me, he filters every relationship in show business through the prism of would this person name names? Would, would this person turn me in? And, you know, we have a lot of leftists on this show and we have a lot of, <laughs> have yeah, a lot of leftist friends. I'm a pretty good judge of who would when they when they wash their hands of the movement, who would uh, name names. You can you can pretty much tell, can't you, who would save their own skin and name names, right? Uh, it's hard to say. I don't know. Um, I wasn't there. There's nothing equivalent in Canada. So it's, it's there was no House on American Activities Committee in Canada. There should be. <laughs> there should be a House of Pro-American Activities. <laughs> they didn't go. 
they didn't go after they didn't communists. go after communists. There was a there was a sitting there was a sitting member of parliament, federal parliament, who was a was who was the leader of the Communist Party in Canada. He served for a long time. He was very respected. Right. But growing up, Joe Salzburg, did did you grow up with the fear of the Soviet Union moving in and taking over and becoming how bad was it? How bad was the Cold War? in canada it was already it, it cold wasn't, it wasn't anything it was kind of lukewarm it <laughs> wasn't anything it wasn't anything of any significance i remember that we were all afraid of the bomb and we did bomb shelter drills and all that kind of stuff duck and cover but it was never politicized in exactly that way uh, those bombs could might come from russia but they might come from somewhere else who knows all right somebody is raising their hand i think they want to correct the record Okay. Uh, we have a Canadian, Davy. Hello, Davy. This is Goliath. Davy. All right. Davy Mammal. I can't, I can't hear him. Yeah, me neither. Okay. Uh, Professor John, do you want to correct the record? Professor John. All right. Uh, I should tell you that I grew up very very uh, insulated from anything that was happening in world politics. I was only aware of the stuff uh, when I became a teenager. Before that, I really didn't know what was going on. Right, right. My parents, my parents insulated me. That was their, their way of doing things with everything. My sister got sick and I was insulated from it. My father had cancer and I never knew. Remember that episode of, of Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry's mother dies? And there's a funeral, but the thought he doesn't know about it because they don't want to upset him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to send you. We're, we're out of time. I have to send you. I've been watching Family Guy. Okay. Like, like are you a Family Guy fan? I never watch it. It's just one of the many things I don't watch. Mark. For no I, reason at all. I know it's great. No, no, no. The no. Simpsons no. are great. I don't watch The Simpsons either. No, no. This is better than The Simpsons. I, please do me a favor with your son. Yes. Please watch Family Guy. Sit down and watch okay. Family Guy with your son. It was written for Mark Breslin. Have you ever seen it? Yes. Once or twice and actually with my son. It was written for you and me. Like they, they, they said, yeah. Seth MacFarlane 20 years ago said, what can I do that will make <laughs> Mark Breslin and David Feldman laugh when they're alone? It is the, it, it is, well, anyway, they did a thing. It's, I think it was two years ago. You're going to, this is, it's like when, uh, how, uh, how Lois and Peter met and it takes place in the nineties and somehow it, it's a friends parody and it takes place in New York. Every shot takes place in the nineties includes the world trade center. And they do. Mm -hmm. it, <laughs> <laughs> and the way they do yeah, it, funny. it starts off where you, they, you know, the it starts off. Well, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. You would see the world trip, and then they go to. They go back to Massachusetts. <laughs> There's the World Trade Center. <laughs> There's some indoor shots with the World Trade Center. Yeah, that's great. That's great. and I thought, oh my god, this is the funniest thing I've. I mean. 
And the stuff they do, the stuff they get away with is so funny and so wrong. I mean, there's a this child molester who lives down the street who keeps kidnapping uh, the son. <laughs> he's a lovable, <laughs> sweet child molester. I've never in my I'm going, I'm going, how this is like this is a miracle. It's like, how do they get away with this? Because you can do things in animation you can't do in, in regular narrative because it's not, quote unquote, real. I'll make a deal with you. You send me something to watch and I'll send you this episode of Family Guy. And it was written. They're, they're thinking of you when they write this. There's, they're, OK, OK. Look, my nephew, uh, you know, who runs my Ottawa club, um, Howie. Um, he loves the family guy. It's his favorite show. And I hear from him about it all the time. So it's not like I haven't heard that it's great. Well, I just have a time problem. I just have so much time. Well, I, I know. I know. What are you watching? What are you reading? Well, I saw Nomadland because it finally came out on, on pay-per-view in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, I respected it. But boy, was I bored. Right. It's one thing to have characters who drift, but it's not okay for the screenplay to drift. And that's what was happening. So I don't know why people think it's the best movie of the year, but hasn't exactly been a stellar year for movies. Right. I think the, the description of Nomadland, I suspect it's the, it's, you're supposed to see it in the theater. And because it's got beautiful, it, it's, yes, it's got beautiful landscapes, but I have a 65 inch television um, and I have a nice like setup, so it's not like I'm watching it on my on my iPhone. But the, that kind that. of movie is written where they there's a deal, there's a compact where you left your house, you paid for parking, you paid seventeen dollars, you're in for another twenty for the food. I'll I'm not going to get up and walk away when it's playing in your living room. You go f this. I got better things to do. Well, I saw it in a whorehouse. I didn't hear it. You said whorehouse, and I was like, was, what? It was distracting. It was distracting. I was distracted. That's all. Okay. I was distracted. I'll talk to you next week. Okay. I'm going to see it in an opium den next. Maybe I'll have a better, <laughs> better reaction okay. to it. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, right. bye. bye. I'll have a proper computer, but... I hope so. Thank you. Yeah. Mark Breslin, bye. founder and president of Yuck Yucks, which is the largest comedy chain in North America. Well, Ricky Hutchinson, are you there? I am, David. How are you today? Good. Have our, our guests here? Unfortunately not. I've had uh, the, the asks out for quite a few of the, um, the key people in the Bessemer um, group, uh, Jennifer and Big Mike, but unfortunately they haven't been able to make it. Um, and uh, Jacob's in a union meeting tonight. And yeah, he sent me a note. That's oh, okay. Great. Grace, uh, I, I saw that Grace is here and she had trouble with her guests oh, okay. tonight. I get it. Well, we can take questions. Uh, Howie Klein is coming up at, in 25 minutes. We can uh, take calls from the listeners. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. And please sign up for my newsletter. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Sign up for my newsletter. I think you get a gift if you sign up for my newsletter. 
and we send you articles that we talk about on the show and clips. If you would like to sit in our virtual studio audience where we have some brilliant people who participate in the chat room, uh, very grateful for their contributions to the show. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit attend a live taping, and I will send you a link. And we do office hours, office hours every Friday night starting at 8 p.m. I think we have a 24-hour office hours coming up in about two weeks. We're having a meeting of the uh, permanent members of the office hours security council tomorrow night, Andy Brown and others. Uh, I think it's pronounced Dante Wright. He's a 20-year-old African-American male uh, during a traffic stop shot to death by a police officer in Minnesota. I want to talk about this for a while. Uh, He was shot, I think it was on Sunday, we were just talking about this, he was shot by a police officer in a, uh, in a Minneapolis suburb after a police officer accidentally mistook her gun for a taser. Chief Tim Gannon, who heads Brooklyn Center, Minnesota's police department, the name of the town is Brooklyn Center, it's 10 miles away from the George Floyd trial. This is what police chief Tim Gannon said Yesterday, It is my belief that the officer had the intention to deploy their taser, but instead shot Mr. Wright with a single bullet. This appears to me, from what I viewed, and the officer's reaction and distress immediately after, that this was an accidental discharge that resulted in a tragic death of Mr. Wright, Dante Wright, 20-year-old African-American male, shot to death One shot by uh, a police officer. She reportedly pulled him over because the vehicle he was driving had an expired registration. According to some reports, uh, her body cam and uh, the other officer who was with her, his body cam, suggests that the murdered 20-year-old African-American male began not to cooperate with the police officers who pulled him over, Uh, the officer shot the 20-year-old African-American male to death. uh, She has been put on administrative leave. And this took place 10 miles away from where the George Floyd trial continues. After news of the murder spread on Sunday, 20 businesses at a local mall were broken into and the National Guard had to be called in to restore order. The National Guard gets called in to restore order now. Who maintains order right before a 20-year-old African-American male is shot to death because of an expired registration? Who's going to restore order before that happens? Because it, it sounds like American police are not up to restoring or maintaining order in this country. It sounds like the police are the problem. It's, it's starting to feel like we have a violent crime problem in this country 
And these violent crimes are committed by our police. It's not starting to feel that way, but uh, it's time for us to make this settled law that there is a violent crime problem in America and it's violent crime committed by the police. This is something African-Americans always knew. Some white people had an idea about it, but chose to ignore it. Uh, We can argue about a lot of things on this show, but one thing that is that has to be settled law and arguments and discussions have to flow from the fact that there is a violent crime problem in this country and that violent crime is being committed by our police. How do you accidentally mistake your gun for a taser? You get fired immediately. You don't get uh, you don't get put on a leave because you you made a mistake. You killed a twenty year old because you mistook your gun for a taser. You're done. You should never ever work for the police. And by the way, tasing. As though tasing a 20-year-old is any better? People die from getting tased. Have you ever been tased? You'll never forget it. And if you're a cop and you pull someone over, and there are more cops in this instance than there were people pulled over. If If you're a cop and you pull somebody over, you should never need a taser. If, if, if the suspect is somehow resisting you and you need a taser, you need to go to the gym or go get another job. Nobody's forcing you to be a cop. Nobody drafted you. If you can't subdue a 20-year-old male who's outnumbered by the cops without resorting to a taser then fewer visits to Dunkin' Donuts and more trips to Gold's Gym. Unbelievable that you have to tase a suspect. And like I said, if somebody's driving away from you and obviously doesn't have a gun, shoot the tires out or put up one of those mats with spikes that that stops the car. Shoot the property, shoot the shoot the car, not the individual. Shoot, shoot the property. I'm sick of hearing about how cops need sensitivity training now. That's all I hear about. Well, we need to we need to train these cops. If you want to be a cop. Here's your sensitivity training. That 20 year old African-American male you murdered. Here's your sensitivity training. Don't be a cop if you don't understand that when you pull over a 20-year-old African-American male with a a registration that is expired, you work for that 20-year-old African-American male 
whose registration may or may not have been expired. There's your sensitivity training. You answer to that 20-year-old African-American male. It's not the other way around. That's your sensitivity training. And if that's too much for you, get the F out of the police force. That's your sensitivity training. Those police officers work for that 20-year-old who they pulled over, not the other way around. Got it? When you pull over a young African-American male, it's yes, sir, and no, sir, officer. It's yes, sir, and no, sir, to the 20-year-old African-American male, and you put your hands where we can see them. It's time that in America we start classifying unarmed black men getting shot by police as hate crimes. Unarmed black men getting killed by a cop is the worst kind of murder. It is a hate crime. There should be a special category for this kind of murder. The very last person in America who should be killing an American citizen is a police officer. This is a special category of murder. The last person in America who should be killing American citizens is a police officer. That is more than a dereliction of duty. That is a hate crime. It is a complete breakdown in the system. And it is a hate crime because when you kill an unarmed African-American male, it is an act of terrorism. It is saying to the entire community that all of you are in danger. It is a hate crime. That's what a hate crime is. When you murder a member of the LGBTQ community because they're a member of the LGBTQ community, it is a hate crime because you are terrorizing the entire LGBTQ community. When you pull over an African-American male for some silly reason, like an expired registration, and he ends up dead, that is a hate crime. A very special category of hate crime because it's being committed by the police. When a black man is murdered by cops, when an unarmed black man is murdered by cops, that is a hate crime. It is the worst possible hate crime because the police are supposed to protect all of us, especially from hate crimes. Nobody is forcing you to be a cop. Being a cop is no more dangerous than being a dentist. A total of fewer than 200 cops are, are, die in the, uh, in the line of duty every year. 200 too many. No cop. I'm totally opposed. I, I, it saddens me uh, when, when a police officer dies. But it's more dangerous to be a construction worker. Fewer than 200 cops die every year. 
most of them from traffic accidents or heart attacks on the jobs. The police are heavily armed and they have plenty of protection and backup. If you're a police officer and you're that frightened of getting hurt, if every black person you pull over you think has a gun, then go find another line of work. And I am sick and tired of hearing police referred to as, quote unquote, the authorities. The police are not the authorities. The 20-year-old African-American male you pulled over and then murdered, he's the authority. If that's too much for you to handle, go get another job. Sensitivity training for cops should be a steady stream. I'm not joking around here. Sensitivity training for cops should be a steady stream of African-Americans, people of color, women, members of the LGBTQ community, hurling epithets at cops and the cops being forced to stand there for eight hours and say thank you. That's the kind of sensitivity training American cops have to have. Cops should be forced to stand for eight hours and get screamed at by African-American males, women of color, the LGBTQ community, Hispanics, Muslims. They should be berated verbally, not physically, verbally berated. And then the cops should be forced to respond, yes, sir, and no, sir. And if they can't take it, then they don't know who they're working for. Derek Chauvin worked for George Floyd. Got it? Do you understand that? Derek Chauvin worked for George Floyd. Not the other way around. It is legal and morally righteous to walk up to a, a, a police officer and tell him or her to go F themselves. And that cop is supposed to stand there and take it and keep their mouth shut because they are our servants. That's what democracy looks like. And that's what our founding fathers prescribed that is the cop's job, to take it from us, verbally. As long as you're not interfering with an arrest, as long as you're not threatening the cop, it's okay to give your finger to a cop. It's okay to walk up to a cop and say, go F yourself. I happen to believe my white privilege is I think that's the patriotic thing to do. I don't think it's wise to do it if, if you're a person of color. But that's what we should be aiming for. Instead of aiming, well, I won't do that, but we should be aiming for African-Americans in this country to be able to walk up to a cop and tell that cop to go F themselves and that cop saying, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, that's sensitivity training for cops. 
They are not the authorities. You're innocent in America till proven guilty. Until a suspect is proven guilty, the authority is the suspect. And the cop works for the person they've pulled over. And in any criminal trial, the cop is also the suspect. False arrest is a crime. That's how trials work. You get arrested, the cop is also the suspect. This was prescribed by our founding fathers. It's patriotic to think that way. The cops are also the suspects. That's why there's a Fourth Amendment in our Bill of Rights to prevent illegal searches and illegal seizures. Cops are the suspects. That's what our Bill of Rights tell us. First Amendment is the right to assemble, to protest. Number one, the right to assemble and protest our government. Number two, and I disagree with this, but it's enshrined in the Bill of Rights, the right to bear arms. Number two, the right to bear arms. The police aren't the only ones who are allowed to have guns. Number three, the Third Amendment, the Constitution, our Bill of Rights, the military, the police cannot quarter in your home. The police cannot decide to move into your house. It's your castle. The Fourth Amendment, the cops need a warrant to search your car, your home, and your body. The Fifth Amendment, the police can't force a confession out of you. You can remain silent. Number seven, here's something that will surprise you. The Seventh Amendment in our Bill of Rights, the right to a trial. Imagine that, the right to a trial. We have 2.3 million Americans behind bars. How many of them have had a trial? Our founding fathers knew that you couldn't lock somebody up permanently without a trial, habeas corpus. They're doing it right now. Our founding fathers knew police could not be trusted. Number eight, the Eighth Amendment. No excessive bail. No excessive bail. How many poor people, how many people of color are behind bars because they can't come up with the excessive bail? Number eight, no cruel and unusual punishment. The Bill of Rights is all about telling the police, reminding the police, they work for the citizens and it's not the other way around. So on behalf of our founding fathers, to every single police officer in America, good or bad, do your job and shut up. And part of your job is that every American 
is constitutionally entitled to tell you to go F yourself. And you're supposed to stand there and say, yes, sir. No, sir. That's your job. And if you don't like it, quit. As long as I'm not getting in the way of your job, as long as I'm not physically threatening a cop's job, if I tell you to go F yourself, officer, you better say yes, sir, and no, sir. You're not the authority. You are a public servant. You are our servant. Don't forget that. If you're a police officer, you are a servant. The the officer who killed that 20-year-old unarmed African-American male was that was that young man's servant. The kid, 20 years old, I think of him as a kid. The kid was the authority. That police officer was the servant. And if that's too much, if that's too much for you to handle as a police officer, get another job. Get another job. You're not being drafted. Nobody's dragooning you to be a police officer. That's my white privilege. And that's the right that every American, every person of color is entitled to. We've had Jody Armour, the law professor, on, and we've talked about this. There's something seriously wrong in a society where everybody can't walk up to a police officer and tell that officer to go F themselves with impunity. Well, I thought we were going to take some calls, but uh, I had some things on my mind. I'm going to talk about violence later. Uh, But uh, does anybody? Well, let's take a quick break. I'm going to get some water. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. Subscribe to my newsletter and uh, go to davidfeldmanshow.com. And uh, I meant every word I said. I wasn't playing devil's advocate, by the way. We'll be back with the great Howie Klein right after this. Right now, for the David Feldman Show, he's talking politics and comedy, too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way.
It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears on right and buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. We've got a call into Howie Klein, who is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America Pack. I think he's just answered his phone. Somebody sent me a note. Really? You can tell a police officer to go F himself or herself? Yeah. As long as you're not interfering with the police officer's duty. As long you can just you can walk up to a cop in America and say, hello, officer, go F yourself. And uh, you're well within your rights to do that as long as you're not menacing or threatening that police officer or interfering in his duty. I think you have a moral obligation now, uh, but don't do it if you're a person of color or a member of the LGBTQ community. I don't advise it. Joining us is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC, which raises money for progressive candidates around America. He's also the author of Down With Charity, which is required reading, Howie Klein. Hello, Howie. Hi, David. I, I would like to add something to what you were just saying. Uh, you, you said don't do it if you're a person of color or L, LBGTQ. I would also say don't do it if you have two legs or one leg. <laughs> Although they may be within their rights to do it, that isn't going to stop a policeman from beating them up mm-hmm. or worse. So, you know, it's just, it's just, there's no, why look for trouble? Well, I'm I was talking about sensitivity training that we need to give police officers in America. And the sensitivity training is eight hours of people of color, Muslims, women, LGBTQ people, berating police officers who have to stand there like the guards at Buckingham Palace and just stoically say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, madam, no, madam. That's the sensitivity training. They need to be reminded that they're not the authorities. We are. Good luck with that. Well, I dream some, you may call me a dreamer, but I dream of a world where you can tell the police to go F themselves and get away with it. I've done it, but I have white privilege. Yeah, I, 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 I'm white too, and I wouldn't do it. Do, but do you do agree that you're well within your rights to do that? Um, well, yes, yes you're, you're within your rights to do it, I mean, uh, technically. But they, they, you just get, you get the wrong policeman on the wrong day, in the wrong mood, and you're going to wind up with missing teeth. Right. Right. And then you could say, well, I have, I have my rights. Well, right. you may have your rights, but you don't have your teeth. Yeah, but I think we need to adjust. I agree, obviously. That goes without saying. But the cops need to, it, we, the dynamic has to shift where the cops are reminded that they work for us. They are our servants. Yeah. And if that, if they're not, you know, it, I don't have a cleaning lady. But or a cleaning man, but you clean my house and I pay you to clean my house. And if you're a cop, you're paid to be our servants. And if that's if you don't like that power dynamic, then go find another line of work. Uh, Yeah. 
Well, you know, get your uh, get your uh, mayor or your governor to go along with that. Good luck. To, good luck doing that. Well, I think it's part. I, I this is not why you came on the show, but to me, this is a a this is the bedrock of the Constitution. This is the bedrock of the Bill of Rights. Is not to trust the cops. What are you cooking tonight? You don't you don't trust the cops. No, that's why I'm saying that, that your leader shouldn't, uh, uh, you know, shouldn't look in trouble by, by saying, you know, telling them to ask themselves. OK, your 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 uh, sound quality is a little screwy. Uh, well, tonight I am making uh, just a fairly simple dinner, um, a, uh, a line of bean. Uh, soup and a, uh, and a, like a composed salad. And, and I know that it doesn't tell much, but they're going to be fantastic. Two really fantastic uh, meals. Okay. You, are I, you on a speaker phone or something? I'm on the same phone I'm always on. Okay. Yeah. I'm, fa- I'm facing away from it. Now you must see me much better because I'm facing towards it. Okay. Marjorie Taylor Greene. She ain't going away. She's raised more money than AOC, right? Uh, I believe that she's raised more money than any other in, in this last quarter that just ended. She, I think she's raised more money than anyone else in, in the House. So she's got a perfect situation going where she doesn't belong to any committees. She's raising a fortune. She can just be a celebrity, right? She can just use her congressional office to raise money and have fun. And uh, we'll see if that if that works for her. You know, there's certainly going to be uh, you know some real challenges electorally for her. And uh, you know, my guess is that uh, she's going to she she will prevail. Okay. She represents her district really well. That's who they are. Okay. So talk to me about QAnon and people's IQs and. <laughs> You know what? I have a lot of questions about that, and, and maybe you can help me to answer them, or maybe some of the people in the chat room can. I sincerely, I, I asked some some psychologist friends, my psychiatric, psychiatric friends, and psychological friends, uh, what is uh, you know? Do you have to have a really low IQ to believe this QAnon stuff? And you know what? They all said no. They said that uh, people can believe in this stuff just the way they believe in religious cults, even with, um, even with normal IQs. Because I would have thought that in order to believe in QAnon, you know, you'd need to have like a, you know, a very, very, very low IQ, like, you know, below, you know, below 85. Like, so the mean is between 85 and 115. And when you get below that, uh, you know, you have problems with daily life. And you maybe and I thought that would mean you would believe in the, the nonsense that QAnon makes up, but uh, I, but my friends say no, I'm wrong. But there are plenty of people in uh, you know with, with 100 IQ and 110 IQ, and uh, you know I mean I'm sure geniuses uh, don't believe in it, but there but people do believe it. I mean, have you ever had a friend, David, who 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 was part of a religious cult or who ever got into any of that stuff? Uh, of course. 
but it's not is, is it intelligence or is it some kind of psychological imperfection yeah i think that's what it is i think it is i don't think it is intelligence all on that that surprises me and disappoints me you know i i would think that smart intelligent people educated people wouldn't uh you know wouldn't buy into this nonsense i mean it's, it's insane you you know i mean cannibals and <laughs> uh colonies on mars and all this kind of crazy stuff and yet millions of our fellow americans believe in it and the problem with that is that they're voters they they have the same one vote that, that you do and that i do and that each one of our listeners has are we gonna uh are you is that water that you're pour are you pouring water into the sink? Uh, I, I just washed some uh, um, uh, black kale. Ah. Uh, so the the people who believe it, do they really believe it? I mean, it's I think it's a spectrum of people who yeah. s- subscribe to QAnon. I suspect a lot of them don't believe it, but it's owning the liberals. Or they believe it uh, because why not believe it? You know, uh, how many flights was Bill Clinton on to uh, Pedo Island with Jeffrey Epstein? So why not, be- why not believe it? I do believe that. But uh, the, thing, the thing is, is that I, I've seen countless interviews uh, on, on video with, with people who, you know, normal. I mean, I don't know their IQs. But, you know, just a normal-looking housewife with three children and, uh, you know, uh, and just, you know, just doesn't, I mean, she's not drooling on herself or anything, and she's explaining why she believes it, and she's very sincere. I, I mean, in my mind, it's, it's just shocking. Uh, you know, I, I, I did a story recently on my blog about um, all the ways that, that – Privileged people from the from the beginning of this country try to um, keep the franchise very low and and make sure that people uh, weren't able to vote. So you probably know this already, but only six percent of the people who lived in the United States when it was founded were allowed to vote. No women, obviously, no people of color. Uh, you had to have, you had to be a property owner, and there were lots of things. And and as time went on. Some of them fell away. Other ones came up. And one of the big ones that came up, which which was uh, to uh, this really kind of an excuse in most cases to uh, keep uh, people of color from voting. Uh, and it was it was a so-called liter- uh, literacy test. And, you know, it, it was very arbitrarily applied. Uh, that, you know, in other words, you could be a... Uh, if you're an African American with a PhD um, and you go in there to get to get your uh, your vote, your ballot, they might say no, you you, you don't pass. And you know some other guy with no teeth uh, and uh, no education, they they hey, why don't you take two? Right. So, but but the point is is that some of the some here I am th- thinking about how horrible it is to have a literacy test, and now I'm thinking you know. Is it, is it, you know, ask people if they, if they believe in QAnon, and if they do, they don't get a ballot. Right, 
Right. Now, that's a little extreme, of course, and and I and I, I can't really say I, I re- you know in my heart I kind of believe this. <laughs> I kind of think it would be a, a good thing, but but I know that it, I know that it wouldn't. It, you know, you just can't do that. Is Trump running for re-election? I mean, how is it? I mean, when you look at the scam that he got almost got away with tricking people into just emptying their their. Why would you say almost? Well, he had to return a lot of that money that he. You know what? I don't know how much of it he had to return, but my guess, um, and and I talk with other people about it who who are in this business, uh, is that the the amount he returned is certainly less than twenty percent. Explain to our listeners; they may not be familiar. Explain the scam that he ran. So the scam is. it's, you could call it the scam of pre-checked boxes. So a normal uh, uh, email solicitation might say, check the box and, uh, and make it a, uh, a monthly donation. In, in the way the Republicans do it, uh, starting with Trump, but now they all do it, it was the box is already checked. If you, if you don't want it, and in very, very fine print that's very hard to find and very hard to read, it says uncheck the box. And what, what Trump was doing by the end, when he was desperate for money, was making it, um, you know, double the amount you're giving. Give every week. You know, and the boxes were all checked. So, so the thing is, is that there are people... The reason I, I said that most people haven't uh, asked for their money back is because people don't even realize that that, that, that happened. Right. That, you know, they don't know it. I mean, maybe some of them are finding out now because they're reading about it in the newspapers. But it, it, it's a it's a, a horrible, nightmarish scam. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, when Act Blue was offering that as an option, and it was not a not an opt, it, it wasn't an opt. Um, an opt out of it, an opt in. Even that, I, I, I was like mortified by that. Right. right. But this is the way the Republicans do it. So you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars were, were taken, and, and I, my, and my, I'm absolutely certain that most of the people who who that money was taken from don't even know to this day that that happened to them, and and is continuing to happen to them. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine who's, who's a congressman. And he was telling me that he that he gets like really large sums of money from small donors every month because they have opted in to give him money, and he, even though he he doesn't need that money anymore, but they and they give it to him anyway. It's 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 a, it's a, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Now you're the treasurer of the Blue America Pack. You're right, and we would never ever do that. Yeah. What? Did Trump realize it is? It is kind of like the the producers, isn't it? <laughs> it, it yes, in some ways it is, but it's not funny. Uh, and it is springtime for Hitler, actually, when you think about it. <laughs> I knew you could make a joke out of it. <laughs> uh, but is he is he getting rich? Is this is this going to help if he doesn't run for president? Then he gets to keep that money or pay Lara Trump 
a salary? Yeah. I mean, what, what's the scam yeah. that he's got? The way they've set up the uh, the pack, uh, this particular pack, is yes, yeah, he gets to keep. The, he gets to, you know, there are some restrictions, but they're they're easily gotten around, and basically, yes, he he can do whatever he wants with the money. He doesn't have to use it for political purposes. He doesn't have to use it to run for office. He can pay pay Barron a uh, hundred thousand dollars a week if he wants. Wow. It really is the producers. It really it, is the producers. It it's, really is a big scam. And, you know, you would think that Republicans would be offended by it, that, that they could be treated this way. And I don't see it. I don't see any, I don't see them complaining. I mean, Rick Scott gave him, like, uh, you know, the Freedom of, the Courage of Freedom Award or something like that, the first annual this weekend. Literally, Hours after he uh, he called, he started calling Mitch McConnell and Mitch McConnell's wife names publicly at the same event. Rick Scott, the head of the uh, the NRSC, gave him this uh, this specially concocted award. Right, that's amazing. So These how people. do you, so not to do the horse race, but Trump, you 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 can't separate policy from trump is he gonna be so overwhelmed by lawsuits it looks like some of the capitol police are suing him for the insurrection so in georgia they've got the the attorney general looking into him we've got letitia james looking into him we've got cyrus vance jr looking into him he should be broke right just from the 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 lawyer bills, right? Well, absolutely. All this money that he's collecting is, is can just go right into that. He doesn't have to make excuses. He doesn't have to give it to Barron. He can just use it to, for his legal defense fund. And and I'm sure I'm sure that that's probably the biggest motivation. And and so a year from now, one thing we do know that's a good thing. None of this money is going to be used. Well, I shouldn't say none of it, but most of this money is not going to be used to elect Republicans. So when he tells donors, give to me, don't give to the NRCC, don't give to the uh, the, the RNC, just give it to me, good. Let them give it to him. You know, he'll, he'll use some of it, uh, you know, a little bit of it. But the, the, vast, the vast sum of that money, the vast, the vast majority of that money is not going to be used for election purposes. Okay. Gates. And when it is used for election purposes, it's going to be destructive uh, for the Republican Party. You know, like he, he's obsessed with defeating, uh, you know, incumbents who didn't support him or didn't support him enough. Okay. Who's going to be, who's gone first, Andrew Cuomo or Matt Gates? Oh, good question. Interesting. Um, I'm not convinced that either one of them has gone. It's safer for them to stay and fight, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, I can't see Andrew Cuomo, uh, just going by voluntarily. I think they'd have to take him out, uh, you know, in, in handcuffs, and I, I don't see that happening. And in the in the case of um, of Gates, well, there's a better chance of handcuffs, but I, I, I don't know how long that's going to take. You know, generally speaking, when they catch a congressman doing the kind of stuff that he, that he's uh, no doubt done, 
the, the main thing that the congressman is always told, don't give up your seat no matter what, because it's the best bargaining chip you've got. But part of that is also keeping your mouth shut and not making a public spectacle out of yourself the way he has, with the help of the media. I mean, I've never seen the kind of media frenzy uh, around one of these scandals as, as I'm seeing now. Have you, do you remember other times where there's been something like this? I don't. The, the page scandal. Uh, has it been, was it, you mean, you mean with Foley? Yeah, Foley from Florida, right? Does his Gates, ha- yeah. Gates doesn't have his seat. No, Gates right. is on the other side of the state. The thing is, is that the, the page scandal went away relatively quickly because he, he, um, he resigned right away. Remember, he, he went to a, uh, what are those called? Like a, a rehabilitation house for wealthy Republicans? But there was also, but wasn't there, it, it was more than Foley, and then you had Dennis Hastert, who's a child molester. Yeah, but they, they, yes, he is, but that, that didn't get the kind of attention that this is getting. I mean, this is amazing to me. I, I, I you know, in, in the U.S. and in Britain, both, I mean, I don't know why it's happening in Britain so big, and in, in Russia, uh, this is the this is the big story almost every day. I mean, this is you know anyone who's looking for clickbait, this is it. Okay, let me ask you a really important question, and, and, and I'm not fishing for gossip. Nothing to do with Matt Gates, I assume. <laughs> no, no, Hunter Biden. You know, last week you delighted us by telling my audience about Tom Cotton's sexual peccadilloes or his predilections and. He's a Republican and he can't have those because he is a Republican and Matt Gates is a Republican. So he can't engage in that kind of. Debate. They, it's not that they can't engage in it because they're Republicans. It can't they can't you can't be, um, you know, you, like, for example, in Cotton's case, he votes against gay interests. And then, uh, and I don't think he does it anymore, but I don't know. But, uh, but at one time, he was having, he was having gay sex. So you're voting against gay, uh, gay interests for other people, and you yourself are doing the same thing that you're, you're opposing, uh, in, in the Congress. Right. So that's, that's really what the problem is. It's not totally just because you're a Republican. Okay. In fact, I, Foley and I spent a lot of hours together talking about this, uh, in person. He came out here because he had the silly notion that he could move to L.A. and be the congressman from Hollywood, West Hollywood specifically. And we went out to dinner, and I explained to him that you know, this is not going to work for him, and he, he might as well get it out of his mind and go back to Florida. Right. But, uh, but we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, his version of what happened. Uh, one of, part of it was that, uh, well, part of it was that he didn't really uh, have sex with underage boys because he brought them to states where they would be of the correct age. Of course, that is, that in itself is illegal right. to be across state lines for that. But and, and the other thing that he deluded himself about was, oh my God! You know, I just looked out the window and there's like some kind of a dead like animal, like a dead wild animal out out out, out right out in front of my window. What do you say? It, it anyway, might be, uh, it might be Congressman Schiff door to door knocking <laughs> on doors to No, I think it I think it must be an opossum or something. Hey, don't get me started. I have a a, a mouse problem in this apartment and my next door neighbor has to come over and empty the traps for me. Because I because I'm a vegan 
and I've convinced her that I'm a Buddhist. And she her? Believed, it's a woman does it for you? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. She come, she, well, she thinks she's, I've got her. Con, she doesn't watch the show, uh, but I've got her. She's convinced that her mouse problem is because of me. So I've talked and I've explained to her that I have problems. Uh, and so she said, fine, I'll come over and empty your mouse trap for you because I can't. St- so I got a good thing going. She's also very wow, attractive. Send her out here. There's a dead, uh, a dead animal laying in front of my window, and it's not. And it's, it's behind a fence, so I can't even get to it if I wanted to. Right. I may I have that's... to. I'm worried that this mouse problem is going to disappear, and she's not going to be coming over. Oh, you like? <laughs> uh, she doesn't like me. Uh, but Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden. Now, the laptop, the Daily Mail, the inability for anybody in America to see, or you know, you had to go to the Daily Mail or watch Fox News to see what was on Hunter Biden's laptop. If that were Don Jr., what would you be saying? What, what was on his, his laptop? Anything? See, it's truly stunning to me, Howie. It, 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 they are able to throttle the news here in the United States that, that Howie Klein, of all people, doesn't know what was on the, 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 his, his meth teeth at the de- they, they The Daily Mail got the photos off Hunter. I, and that story is, is zero. That's why I don't know. It's, you know it's funny to bring this up because I uh, I found a, a poll that showed who has heard of the Matt Gates scandal and who hasn't. And it, as it turns out, uh, uh, most of the people who haven't heard of it are, are uh, Republicans who watch Fox News and get their news from Hate Talk Radio and Newsmax and things like that. And they don't they don't know they've never heard of it. They don't know. I think it was almost a third. It wasn't quite that much, but it was it was between a quarter and a third of Republicans are not aware that there's a, that there's a Matt Gates scandal. They don't know, and, and so and Democrats don't know. The Democrats because, and guess who, guess who talks about it the most? Just the way Hunter Biden is discussed on Fox News all the time, uh, Matt Gates is talked about on MSNBC all the time. I mean, MSNBC. I, I, I don't know the exact ones. I just saw a bar chart. But it looked to me like they were talking about Hunter. Ba- I'm sorry, they were talking about Matt Gage as much as all of the other stations combined. So is it so? Two things about Hunter Biden. I, I find it uh, amazing that you of all people don't know about the Hunter Biden treasure trove that the Daily Mail released. I'm going to assume. I know, I, I know that they did, but I, it, to me, it's. It, it isn't something of interest that I would, you know, look into. So, but yes, tell me about it. I, I, I want to know. So there's and I'm some, sure there, our other uh, uh, listeners are eager to know as well. Well, assuming this is that you know the Daily Mail paid for this and it's real, there are pictures of Hunter Biden at the dentist with his meth teeth, the kind of teeth you get from smoking meth. There's is that the only way you get those teeth? Is it just smoking meth? It looked. It looked. Yeah, it looked like meth. There's his. Porn videos. He had a Pornhub account. There are 
There are pictures of Hunter Biden engaging in sex with multiple women. Uh, Not that, you know, I'm not judging. I'm just saying he is the son of, at the time, the son of a future president. This is a Yale Law School graduate who is on, who admits to being on a crack bender dealing with prostitutes. And the Secret Service was apparently in on it. You know, this is, had he not... All this stuff you're saying is the reason why I'm not interested in this story. There's nothing that you said that would in the slightest bit interest me. Hunter Biden saw prostitutes and used drugs. Like, big whoop. Well, it's... Well, here's the thing. It was Kompromat when there was a Russian PP tape involving Donald Trump. Everybody... He's the president. Hunter Biden is nothing. He's the son of the vice president. He's the son of a future president. It's Kompromat. Why isn't that Kompromat? Uh, maybe it was. That would be that would be something that I would be interested in. So, I mean, it could be if you're running for president and there's a laptop containing pictures of your son who worked at Burisma, you know that Rudy Giuliani has turned your son into a a political chess piece. And you know that there's this laptop floating around of your son on crack with prostitutes on Pornhub. Uh, something wrong with, with prostitutes? There's something wrong with crack. If he were an African-American, he'd be in jail. Right? If you're, a, if you're an African-American male consorting with prostitutes, smoking crack, pretty sure you're going to jail. No? Yeah, yeah, probably. How so I I just find it interesting that he's busy on 60 minutes promoting his bestseller Hunter Biden and nobody wants I mean if it were the if it were Don Jr or Eric we, you and I would be, be salivating over this, wouldn't we? Um not today. Okay. Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, on some level, yeah. I mean, if it was Don Jr., I might be interested in it because this talk about him running for various things, running for office at some point. But, you know, Hunter Biden, has there ever been any discussion of Hunter Biden running for everything? Anything? He's a private citizen. Right. I mean, but you, you know, the, the vid- I'll change the subject, and we have to wrap it up. But the vid- I wrote endlessly about uh, what a crappy family Biden has. Wrote right. about it a lot, and I never once in that in in those in that writing ever never uh, and dozens of pages of of what a shitty family uh, Joe Biden has never mentioned Hunter Biden seeing prostitutes or using drugs. That isn't what it was about. Right. It was about. The lobbyists in the family use uh, trading on on uh, Joe Biden's name to get uh, to to enrich the family. That that I, to me was the scandal. And Hunter Biden seeing prostitutes, you know, come on, give me a break. And crack, crack cocaine. <laughs> yes, <and> crack. <laughs> crack is illegal. All right. Isn't that a Schedule One? I, I I don't know what it is, but you know, if he would, I, they should have arrested him and thrown him in jail. <laughs> you know what can I say? All right. Uh, how I mean, we, Matt I'm sorry. Gage, Matt Gates 
supposedly accidentally, and I believe it was accidentally, killed his college roommate. His father, the president of the Florida State Senate, and him moved the body, which is completely illegal, across the state and dumped it. And and then the father prevented a an investigation into this dead this dead lover of Matt Gates's who was uh, erotic asphyxiated or something. Well, what they, they claimed auto erotic asphyxiation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, to me, that's a story. Not, not uh, this Shamil who got uh, wrapped up in, in, in drug addiction. Uh, you know, I, I have nothing good to say about uh, Hunter Biden. Zero. But I just, I just can't get myself worked up over uh, over the fact that he was on crack and saw prostitutes. Have you ever called with a prostitute? I have sold crack to prost. I was going to make a, a disgusting joke. No, of okay, course. I got, look at me. Do I look like a guy who pays for <laughs> the joke? Is do I look like a guy who pays for prostitutes? I need to pay for prostitutes. Oh, let me do my joke. Let me do my joke. Let me do my joke. Okay, I thought you already did. Do I look like a guy who needs? to pay for prostitutes. Yes. But I'm also a guy who's too cheap to pay for. Pro- I don't know. Go ahead. Well, I, that wasn't worth interrupting you. I apologize. What do I know? Any guys who what? So that there are any guys who haven't at one time in their life uh, given it a shot. <laughs> That's my out call massage therapist is arriving. Uh, <laughs> I think men, uh, yes, men, I think a lot of men pay for sex and they don't know they're paying for sex. That's what I think. Well, that's, that's a whole different thing. But yeah. I mean, that's a story. But let's just keep it, you know, here's a hundred bucks. Uh, I want this and this and this. That's a different. It's different. Right. Well, uh, let's continue this conversation. Uh, and did you, when do you get your vaccine? Did you get it yet? Thursday. Good. And do you know what you're getting? No, but oddly enough, everyone asks me, and I don't understand, what difference would it make if I told you I was getting Pfizer or Moderna? Tribal. It's it's like, you know, it's part of a tribe. If you're part, I'm I'm the Pfizer. I'm not even going to ask. I'm I'm sure they'll tell me, but it it doesn't matter to me. I don't know anything about either one of them. Okay. I know Uh, my doctor said uh, Johnson & Johnson, no. She said it's not... um, uh, it doesn't have the same efficacy, and she wants she wants me to take one of the other two. Okay, I love you, Howie. We'll talk next week. I hope. Yes, talk to you next week. Thank How, you, Howie Klein. Thank you, Howie. Howie Klein is the founder and president and treasurer of the Blue America PAC, which raises money for progressive candidates around the country. Read down with tyranny. Read down with tyranny. It's where I get all my news. And so should you. Well, here's an old friend of mine. Uh, his name is Jim Earl. He, he's won an Emmy. He, he's won a Peabody. He's written Morning Remembrance. Uh, great book. Everybody should buy it. I play his music, The Clutter Family. Uh, whenever we do a pay-per-view event, the music I play for the audience is uh, The Clutter Family. That's his band. And they... I believe if Michael Stipe from REM heard the Clutter family 
he would be in awe of Jim Earl. Jim Earl and Martha Previtt at the top of this show unveiled the new AOC. They did a bit with AOC that I, Jim. Yes, well, hello. That was as I'm funny here. as you are worth all the aggravation. I was laughing hysterically. You're, 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 you're not an easy person to be friendly with. I don't understand that. You see, you, you, you start with something like that, a statement like that, and you accuse me of being an unfriendly person or not easy I, to be. I, I, I think you're a genius. And I, 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 the, 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 Martha, the thing that you wrote and that Martha performed at the beginning, you are a genius. And with that genius comes, uh, I am in awe of you. Martha wants to say something, but before you, you let her on, look at that disgusting picture behind me. What that's, is that? That's my, that from my, is that from your honeymoon? From your third what is marriage? That doll? Why is this this? What is that? A turtle? Okay. Why first of that, all, why is hang that on. Turtle there. All right. Hang why on for one second, Jim Earl. This is what, an what? audio podcast, and I've asked you not to refer to visuals. You you have some picture, I think, of your honeymoon night behind mm -hmm. you. I know it confuses most of your audience to have two sensory uh, stimuli at once, audio and visual. What do you but, have? It looks like the vice president, the president's son, and yes. he's doing he's doing sit ups with his. Two female trainers. He's, uh, he's working out. He's working he's, out. <clears throat> what is that your business? It's, I, I'm just outraged by that, that stuffed doll behind. Did you put that in there? No. Okay. What so is that, that, a turtle? Is that some kind of mutant ninja turtle or something? Okay, so Jim Earl That's is wrong. That's bestiality. Right. Jim Earl, for those of, you who are, for those of you who are listening, Jim Earl is showing pictures from the Daily Mail of our president's son, Hunter Biden, who graduated from Yale Law School and worked at Burisma. There he is. Uh, you, we don't get to see his uh, package. This is one of his Pornhub shots. Do you, now, do you assume that this is all true? I know that the Daily Mail is a scandal mm. rag, but, you know, they can get sued. The Nobody's denied it. Huh? The Biden family has had a lot of time to uh, completely, you know, absolve themselves, or not absolve, but deny any connection with the laptop or these pictures. They've said, nobody said, deny that these are, in fact, pictures <clears throat> from a laptop that once belonged to him. Now, mm -hmm. I don't see anything. Let me make a statement. I see nothing wrong with these photos. As his business, he's an adult. I see nothing wrong with smoking crack. If somebody wants to, you know, enjoy themselves with a drug, then that's their business too. But that, well, crack is crack that, is. But that, wait, but let me finish. That red scarf <laughs> is a crime. <laughs> Why? Right. Yeah, go ahead. I is it is it relevant? Prostitutes, see, you know, they're consenting adults. Is it germane 
to the conversation. Apparently, the American media has throttled this story the same way Hunter is throttling one of those women yes. in that Pornhub scene. I mean, he is doing, He's there's one of him pulling on her hair in a somewhat uh, dominant well, way that I don't approve of. Why don't you approve of that? It was consenting. I mean, it's not like, hey, you want to play horsey? Somebody wants to play. Who are you going to play? Are you going to play horsey alone? He was pulling on her ponytail. That's yeah. not play. You know, when you play horsey, you don't pull on the horsey's tail. Sure, the you do. Tail. If, you, if you ride bareback, you don't have a saddle. You've seen the Native Americans ride. Uh, you, they don't have a reins. They use the uh, the hair. Okay, in all seriousness, and I am being serious, because I mm-hmm. thought of showing those pictures Thursday night, and I thought, it's... What's you were the too point? busy with them. <laughs> I was too busy. Yes, I was. I thought, if it, if it were Eric and Donald Jr., yeah, I would dedicate a nine-hour show to those pictures. Yeah, and so would a, a MSNBC and Rachel Maddow. Because it, they would be compromised. It would be compromised. It, it, it uh, could be used against Donald Trump. He, they be- say it would, could be compromised. I don't believe in compromise as, as, as any uh, real thing that, can, that will ha- ever have any influence over anybody uh, or foreign policy. I don't believe, I don't believe that uh, it had any influence over the election or any such thing. I think it's just an absurdity. Sure, I'm sure a foreign country could have a fun time trying to fuck over people with personal pictures like this and uh, Donald Trump's family and whatnot, but there's no evidence that it had. Would you agree? Ever done. Would you no agree that it was ever done with the Trumps? A, no conclusive evidence because we had two investigations that proved otherwise. Sorry, dumb audience. Uh, and uh, as with this, there's no evidence that uh, Russia or anybody else tried to use this against the Biden family. But hang on for one second, okay? Hang on. May I speak? By the way, we have a show coming up May 1st called Compromise. If if there were, according to the Steele memo, we had to find, I just want to refresh everybody's memory. The fake piss tape? The, there piss was tape a piss ex- tape. No, there is no, there was well, a hang piss on. tape. I, but hang on. This is why Hunter Biden is relevant. This is what I, why I was wrestling with it. Our side, not my side, not your side, would say we have to find the piss tape because if Putin has a piss tape he can use that it would be so humiliating against Donald Trump he would get him to bend to his will correct that was the thinking behind the piss tape the same yeah. way the, the the who was the national security advisor who lasted 16 days because he said something to the Russian said something to Kislyak the Russian ambassador And he broke the law. And because he broke the law, Kislyak could use that against him. Remember, we were told that the guy who said, lock him up. What are you talking about? Who was the national security advisor who who got Uh, the the, general general? The general. Uh, I forget his name. Right. He broke the law by telling Kislyak 
that uh, don't don't do sanctions against us. We're going to be we're going to have the Oval Office in two more weeks. Sit back. And because Kislyak knew that that was against the law, he could then use he had compromat on our national security advisor, Michael Flynn. Against, it was Michael it's Flynn. The law. It's not against the law for an incoming. But this is what we were. To- I'm, I'm making yeah, your case. Okay. I'm making your case. We were told that Kislyak had compromat on Michael Flynn because he mm. knew that Michael Flynn broke the law and he could be manipulated. Well, how is Hunter Biden? How are these photographs of Hunter Biden not identical to the compromat that was supposedly that Putin supposedly had on Trump? Well, it, I, I see your point that uh, both sides are absolutely partisan and in that way, they're identical. And they're both hypocrites in that way. They're identical. And uh, both uh, sides of the media, the Democratic and the Republican uh, parroting media, basically, they're just uh, they're just uh, running ads for for the DNC and the GOP. That's what you're saying. It's just hypocrisy getting in the way of real policy and getting anything done and get anybody elected who can actually do some good for us. And yeah, and well, now we have Joe Biden, who is absolutely doing nothing good for us. But let's talk about something else now. We've we've talked about Biden. What's going on? By the way, the AOC thing. Uh, did, did Martha want to talk? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Martha, are you there? Yeah. Yeah, she's there. Hang on. She, you need to bring her on. I think. There's I can hear you. Hey, did you? While well, we're bringing her in. Yeah. Uh, did you get your shot? Boy, did I. What'd you, what'd you get? I can't see that. What'd you get? I th- I think I made a mistake. I got uh, two number twos. Oh, that's I got, good. I got the second dose twice. Yeah. Hey, when, before the doctor gives you the shot, is he supposed to put his lips to the needle to suck the air bubbles out and then tie you off? Is he supposed to grab both of your shoulders from behind? That's my prostate exam. That's how my doctor does my prostate exam. <clears throat> What's the uh, other one? I said... <laughs> how many prostate well, I, exams? I, I, t- I, I told my doctor it hurts when I do this, and he said, stop jerking off. Hang on, I had like 20 jokes about my prostate exam and I can't remember any of them. That's because you're getting old. You have dementia and a bad prostate. What was my, hi Martha. Do you remember my prostate exam jokes? David? Yes. Um, No, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, you never told her. Well. I'd love to hear them though. So your your AOC oh, thing, your your impersonation of AOC was perfect. Thank I, you. I very had much. no idea you were gonna do it. It it just what a great way to start the show. I was in such a foul mood and you just completely changed my chemical makeup. That's the power, the healing power of comedy, Jim. You're a healer. Do you realize that, Jim? You're a healer. I'm going to heal the most of your audience. That's the peanut gallery. 
He's a hero. I'm a hero. You know what? I am a hero. I'm a first responder. America's strong. I'm, I respond to the Democratic Party and what they're doing before anybody else does. Right. And I'm proud of it. Okay. What was on your mind, Martha? Oh, don't forget, we're going to have a show on May 1st with Rick Overton is going to be here. Um, Jim Earl, yourself, and myself. Okay. That's right. And maybe somebody else, maybe a special guest. Yeah, maybe guest. somebody else. Yeah. Uh, one of our previous the, guests. Uh, AOC will be there. The guy singing in his closet. That'd be great to have. Ken I think Man. he's here, Ken Man. Is oh, yeah. He, Ken I, Man? I wanted him to sing. Is Ken Man here? If you are, raise your hand. He's in, he's in Scotland. So I don't know if. I don't know if he's still here. I wanted him Is he to in Balmoral? Balmoral? We're, we're very sorry to hear. Do you think the, the, you think Queen Elizabeth, I hope she doesn't get married again, right? I hope she doesn't. Well, she'll be there. You think, but young. do you think the Queen is going to find another consort? Yes, a very underage girl. She's got plenty of cousins, I heard. Gonna, Prince Andrew is going to find her a real cash, I hear. Did you feel, well, hang on, Martha, did you have something you want? You wanted to talk about the show, right? Yes. May 1st. May 1st. Right. Is that the date? It, it, it's going to be May 1st. It's a Saturday night at 930. Yeah, I confirmed yeah. it with you. Yes. Yeah. May Day. Yeah. May, May Day. May Day. Day. May Day. May Day. Right. We'll all wear red. And I will AOC be there? She will, as well as Senator Susan Collins. How did you come up with that AOC impersonation? That is just so great. How did you you come up with that? Thank you. Well, I I almost went to the same college. We we, we were almost together the, well, many years apart. Mm -hmm. Um, But she, she went to Boston University. I was accepted there, but I didn't, I didn't choose to go there. Um, so anyway. now, I do. You do know <laughs> that I think she is the future of the Democratic Party. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Uh, I, that I think she. She is the future. But a, we can well, still make fun of the people. She's a great love. gaslighter. She is. A, she's excellent at gaslighting people and, and running on one thing and then denying it ever happened. That's, she's great. And then calling. Are, are people you for real? Are you, yeah, are you for real? And then calling people real? who uh, disagree with her and uh, and 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 dissent from what Joe Biden is doing, which is nothing, calling them ungrateful and privileged. Just stop. That's amazing. Just like your previous guest did uh, last time I was on after the three of us were on. But what what did my previous guest do? Your, uh, last week, I believe, Zach Ford from the think progress near attendance institute called us ungrateful and privileged but i don't think he called you ungrateful and privileged by name no but he referred to us he referred to people who thought they were having a a gun held to their head to vote for somebody like biden as the so-called lesser of two evils okay. uh, we're privileged and ungrateful we have a lot we we have a lot to be grateful for and, and we're just spoiled that's what we are right so but you didn't need to bring up 
Zach. He he didn't bring your name up. We, we were we want no, to talk he about ideas. To us. He, no, we, he, didn't, he did not refer to you by name. He got personal. That's he, personal. When he, you call people, when you call people living below poverty level with a student he, crippling but, student loan debt who have suffered uh, medical bankruptcies, then then and you call them ungrateful and uh, privileged for calling out uh, a serial liar who ran on the um, raising minimum wage and that's not even mentioned now he ran on the public option that no not mentioned now uh, and uh, immigration reform we have the highest number of uh, in prison caged asylum seekers uh in in decades but, 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 so you know if you if, if you call people who complain about that and note it validly called but he didn't mention you by name he was talking ungrateful. about he, first of all, he wasn't talking. He didn't. Nobody mentioned you. Oh, baloney. That's he was referring to the conversation was about us. You started it with him and you, you, you said and you mentioned us and what we were talking about. And that's how it was framed. And we all know that's exactly what he's doing is parroting. Can AOC. I may I, can I give AOC, you AOC? He's parroting AOC, who also calls people like us, who are complaining about Joe Biden, uh, privileged, which is gaslighting. Okay, I didn't go to uh, two out of state colleges for seventy thousand a year and forty thousand dollars a year, respectively, and uh, didn't I didn't amass that kind of debt and pay it off. You know, I'm not that privileged, right? So. Okay, uh, so, and and may, may I offer a? Uh, we have seven minutes left. Uh, I, by the way, hey the, everyone! Hey everyone! So the uh, hey everybody! <laughs> so, everybody still there? Jim, yes, sir. One of the conversations I've been having over the weekend with people I care about is how do we communicate better? How do we persuade? How do we win? You, well, you don't gaslight them mm. after but, running on a platform of bringing Medicare for all and other th important items that affects our welfare to the floor for a vote and then calling them privileged and ungrateful six or eight months later for complaining that they don't, aren't using their power. And is is this person, she has immense power. She is one of the 1% now. She's who? one of the most powerful people in the country. Who? And anybody who is in who? Congress is that powerful. AOC. Okay. So She's part of a 23 or 20 uh, group of 20 progressive caucus who are not using their power just they're just sitting there letting you know are you Joe so, so let me, let me, let me ask you okay so okay uh by the way great great comedy today really great <laughs> yes okay but are you a socialist uh probably yeah yeah why well, I, I would think you would know whether or not you're a socialist why do you ask? Why, well, why I just want I to know like what you believe. Uh, well, you, you've, you, you're good at, and I'm not picking a fight, but you're I've, ob observing that you're very good at telling 
me who you don't like and what you're against. You're for Medicare for all, right? You're for that. You're for. Yes. And so you voted for Bernie, but now you hate Bernie. Mm -hmm. I don't hate. I don't know Bernie. I don't know AOC. But, but you, he's disappointed. I hate what they're you. doing. I hate what they're doing now. You, you, I think. Right. I think they're. Would you vote for uh, Bernie again? Uh, no, mm -hmm. I wouldn't. Did you ever like AOC? Yes, I did. I was. But one you don't of the like first her people, now. I was one of the first people in in my social media circles. But to you don't like her. Bring now. her up and champion her. Yes, because she she spoke and said the right things. But she's not doing anything now. Okay, Pramila Jayapal. Completely Do you going like back Pramila? on it. What about Pramila Jayapal? Uh, you know, the whole squad is just sitting there like a lump of shit, doing nothing I basically. See. Okay, and they're so, going back, so, and, and they're denying their own words. You okay, know, that's, I, I, that's I hear you. I hear thing. you. I hear that's you. That's the sick thing. You know, okay, when, when they're doing exactly. Well, who's doing? So, so we what all you're need supposed to call people out for. Okay, so we all need uh, people who model behavior for us, because you know, who do you like? I, you know, that's the sad thing. I, I don't think there's anybody in a position of power now in Congress that is worth what about who, who, what about you know, the, the, in you know, any mayors thing. any governors anybody no <laughs> nobody so any union and leaders the, that we could look to I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, you know I'm not that familiar with union leaders, but I'm sorry if you're going to do this thing. Well, who do? You, how could no, I? I, I want to know who we you can. Know, I, there are there are plenty of people that I championed and 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 supported and liked their platforms. You know, one of them was Bernie Sanders. He but but no, no, moving forward, what he about Ralph Nader? Would you agree, Ralph Nader? What about Ralph Nader? Yeah, I love Ralph. All right, Nader. we agree yeah, that Ralph Nader. We should. All, he's not running. He's not running. Well, but who? In terms of who do we look to? Do you do you like? Do hang you on, like I can't Noam hear Chomsky? you. Hang on. Do you like Noam Chomsky? Which I yes, I, I I love Noam Chomsky. Well, he said he just came out and said that Joe Biden's uh, foreign policy is uh, virtually indistinguishable from Donald Trump's. Okay, which 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 is it's probably worse saying, than Donald Trump's. Yeah, probably worse than Donald Trump's. Which is actually saying, I don't I don't believe he can say that without actually admitting that his domestic policy is the same as well. Because I don't I I can't separate foreign and domestic policy really. If you have seven hundred fifty billion dollars going out every year, killing people in eight hundred localities around the world in 800 bases, then that's really going to affect your domestic policies. Too. Right. But, but for example, we can't have a $15 minimum wage when, when he wants to increase it to seven. So what, okay. Your criticism, everything you're Trump's. saying, everything you're saying, I agree with. Okay. I'm not so arguing. You just, want me to, you just want me to pick somebody that I like. No, so I, I, but so, so should we commit suicide? Would you like us to commit suicide? Is that the answer? You see, I, what you're doing. What, what do we do you're, about you're this? You so, what do we do? You're, you're doing this rhetorical. No, I'm asking device. you, should I just do a show where we just talk about how bad everything is? You see, you're doing this uh, kind of rhetorical device where you. I'm not arguing it. with you, Jim. 
uh, you're interrupting me and you're not letting me finish the sentence. You're doing this out, you're this rhetorical device where you pick an outrageous example and to compare it to me in, in my argument to make me look outrageous and ridiculous. I'm not, you're, I'm and not, that's not going to work. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not arguing that. with you, Jim. I'm asking you there, there, if, if you're in a relationship with someone, then well, Dr. Fried, I'd be curious. I don't, uh, uh, let me introduce Dr. Harriet Fraud. She is the host of Capitalism Hits Home, and it's not just in your head. Um, everything I hear is correct. But at some point, especially now, it just feels like, okay, I've heard, I, I, I've read, I read everything you read. I, everything you're saying, I know. Okay. What, what do, so what do we do? What should well, we, do? we build a movement. What we do is we build a left so that the left can pressure the progressives and Biden for a left agenda. We don't have what they had in the 30s. Masses of people in the street making demands. A left is formulating and forming in the United States, but it doesn't have an umbrella organization. And we need to build that. And we need to build the consciousness that would make Bessemer win because the average person would not see corporations as their friend and corporate leaders in government as highly qualified, but as bloodsuckers. And that culture of the left was smashed with the McCarthy period, and it has to be resuscitated. And so Jim has a lot of good points. And Lee Carter is running, and Mondaire Jones is there in New York. And, uh, you know, they there are progressive things happening, but what I wanted to talk about is the pros and cons of Biden's program. Okay, let me then let me wrap up with Jim and- We uh, need to mobilize, we need to mobilize. True. Okay. I think our only hope is from the bottom up. I think yeah. local elections, I, I would like to see the Senate abolished. It's, yeah, it's good idea. It, it's like the House of Lords. Yeah. And but we can't we can't we can't get any hope from people in high positions because they are, are there for because they sold out or were captured. And that's, you know, the squad has been cognitively captured by the Democratic Party, as Chris Hayes wrote in a book before he sold out and was captured by MSNBC. And that's what we have to fight against from the bottom up. And soon, I think people will be in the streets. I think so, too. And people like Sarah Nelson and the labor movement are very important. Really radical labor leaders are important. There's, people are starting to formulate an idea that this government will sell you out no matter what. Mm -hmm. And that's very important. And we need a movement. We need a movement with an umbrella organization like a Democratic Socialist Party or something else the new democracy party, I don't care what you call it, that is for an anti-capitalist party so that people aren't bought off. That's very important. So, you know, that's my hope as well. But I don't think things are hopeless. What I wanted to talk about- Okay, let me say goodbye to Jim. Bye, Jim. Thank you. Great job. Okay. All right. Bye. Thank so, you. See you in court. Okay. Thank you, Martha. Great job. Thank you, David. Bye, AOC. 
Dr. Harriet Fraud, it's good to uh, see you. So um, I'm not talking about the previous conversation, and I'm not. You've been part of several movements. Yes, I have. You were several. I'm sorry? And a leader in several. The founding mother of the Women's Liberation? The founding mother of the Women's Movement, and I founded Save Our Schools, a public school saving movement in New Haven, Connecticut, and Citizens Concerned About Childbirth in New Haven, Connecticut, which won midwifery rights, and part of the anti-war movement in New Haven and the Hill Parents Association, which was a socialist civil rights movement in New Haven, Connecticut, where I lived for most of my life. So, you know, I have been around and I see this movement as this moment as very helpful. I also think that there are elements of what Biden's doing that are really impressive. For example, in the infrastructure bill, the good news is to say that caring labor is an infrastructure of society, that people don't get along without caring labor, that hospitals don't work unless the place is clean. And those people who are the orderlies and the janitors and the nurses aides and who do the scut work that gets low pay while the insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies and hospitals and doctors get too high a pay, okay, that that's very important to the supporting infrastructure. Those home health care workers who pay, who take care of disabled and elderly people, these are the infrastructure that hold up society and they ought to be paid decently. That is wonderful. And it's it's incredible and it's driving the Republicans crazy because they're claiming it's only how can you call this an infrastructure bill when they cl- they falsely claim it's only six percent going towards bridges and and roads when you're paying pe- caretakers? But as you just said, it, it is a uh, revolutionary suggestion. That is revolutionary. Jacinda Ardern started that process, and Biden picked it up. And that idea is revolutionary to pay child care workers and daycare workers who are currently to watch your child. They get less than watching your car as a parking lot attendant. Incredible. A disgrace. That's incredible. And maternity and paternity leaves. You know, we're the only country that doesn't have paid maternity leaves besides places like Somalia, Swaziland and Papua New Guinea. There's the United States. Okay, but and that's very important. That caring labor and recognizing it is very important. But if you're going to recognize childcare workers and you're always going through the capitalist system, I expect we'll have a lot of Kentucky Fried Children places open that <laughs> uh, provide childcare and are the equivalent of what is the norm in the home care industry where they get paid, the home care industry gets paid $18 an hour for caring for the elderly. However, $9 of that go to the heads of the the companies and only nine an hour go to the people providing the labor. So as long as you have these lovely developments within a capitalist system, capital rips off an enormous amount at the top. So what's exciting about this 
And what Biden is talking about, about the caring economy, is the recognition of women's traditional work forever and the worthiness of that work and its extension into the labor market. That's really important. However, whatever reforms you have within the capitalist system will be used for the profit of the people at the top, which is doing famously over this past pandemic time, the top 10% has gotten $9 trillion more while 60% of Americans have suffered unemployment and privation that comes from missing their income. So that this is a tragedy and I think we won't escape it through the capitalist system. However, the recognition of things like the caring infrastructure is revolutionary and important. And when these ideas are out, we can fight for them. And that is what is important. And changing the consciousness of Americans is important. That conscious recognition of the labor that is so badly paid that goes into maintaining our lives. Without caring labor, infants die. It's called the um, failure to thrive syndrome. You have to hold a baby and talk to a baby, or it doesn't learn to sit up and to walk or anything like that. We all need love. We all need caring. The seeds of all neuronal connection in the brain are emotional. Emotion is crucial for life and caring, and caring labor is crucial for life. And the unnamed, unpaid caring labor to sustain our bodies and our children and our elderly is important to name. And he has done that. So when we when we hear a lot of people on the left complaining about identity politics, complaining about uh, Biden, Biden's window dressing of diversity. Is it fair to say that. The, the window dressing of diversity, having so many women be a part of his cabinet, even though they are primarily neoliberal war hawks and they're part of the problem. Don't you think this part of the infrastructure bill flows from the diversity of his cabinet, that there were so many women who... In part, I think it does, and I think that's very important. However, I think that like... Gloria Steinem and the CIA, the recognition of race and gender, they hope will usurp the recognition of class. And that's something I don't support. But of course I support that everybody should be treated as a dignified human being, regardless of race, ethnicity, or um, gender, or class, and that's what's missing. What's missing is the class element, and what's missing is the anti-capitalist critique. But what's there is a recognition of diversity and a recognition of, of the labor that goes into creating and sustaining humanity. And that's that's very important. Also, what he his bills that empower labor more are changing the discourse and saying, yes, labor isn't a bunch of big wigs controlled by big labor unions and capital does oppress labor and things do have to change. Is he going to change it enough? No, he's never been anything but a capitalist. Okay. However, the discourse itself 
is changing, and that's very important. So it's an important contribution. So let me let me ask you uh, about some. I was talking to some friends over the weekend, some of whom are not as far to the left as me or this audience, and and they will say things that we got it in. A lot of people uh, decided, especially last year, that incrementalism is the worst thing imaginable. That they, we quote Martin Luther King, and when you go slowly on things, you're, you're just giving the capitalists more time to strip whatever you've built, i.e. Obamacare. You know, that was incrementalism, and so you gave the right wing uh, time to destroy it. Well, others say that they weren't able to destroy Obamacare and that there was a, a three-legged stool to Obamacare that was kind of ingenious and that now that Biden and the Democrats are back in office, that they will be able to restore a lot of what was taken away from o, uh, Obamacare. Obviously, I'm for single payer. But... Can can a legitimate argument be made that incrementalism, while it's not, you know, people are dying, but had Hillary been elected and not Trump, foreign policy notwithstanding, there would have, you would have given the left so much of a taste, so a taste of the possible that they would, yes. have, they would have demanded more. When you give people something, they want more and more. So if you, is, is there a legitimate argument to saying once you give the American people something, they then expect it and they want more and that Hillary, we would have been in a different spot right now, not single payer, which is what we should have, but, Something the door. It opens a door of possibility, like taxing the rich. One of the reasons, in spite of their obscene gains, the rich fight taxes is you set a precedent, it will develop. And a precedent has been set across the board, include in terms of infrastructure around caring labor, in terms of taxing the rich, in terms of labor union support. These are very important topics to introduce. Now, they don't have the muscle they need because we don't have an anti-capitalist movement here that has the muscle to act in a united way. It's been, it's been too divided along gender and race lines. That's why it's very, it's really very, very important that Black Lives Matter is supporting the infrastructure plan and they are supporting other plans, and that the door, Obamacare, was a gift to the insurance companies. However, it opened the door to a federal program to let people have life, and that's very important. So that what what one's hope is that Biden, who doesn't seem to have an anti-capitalist bone in his body, and nonetheless is introducing possibility. And I think that this is a moment where the left can get inspired enough to unite and fight 
and with our vaccinations, get back in the street. Okay, so when I help, please help me out here, because uh, when I talk of anti-capitalism, I spell out exactly what I want, and that is uh, to rein in Wall Street, to pass laws that, you know, uh, heavy taxation of the richest one, heavy, heavy taxation, no billionaires, uh, but private ownership of companies, but a the ability of the government to own and run businesses and industries, especially when the the private sector fails or isn't willing to serve these needs. And you know, I think that's my definition that. of of uh, of my form of socialism. That's democratic socialism. I think there's a problem with the government running things, although I must say that part of what FDR's great plan, which worked, was that he didn't wait for the private sector to hire people. They hired them directly. That's what I that's what I I believe that the post office, which isn't really the federal government, but it sort of is. And the VA, which really isn't part of the government, but it is that we can expand, we can build on the VA and the post office and triple, quadruple the civil service and the number of people who are like the army and AmeriCorps. Right, absolutely. And we can spend money on preserving things like pandemic supplies, the way we do weapons. That's where we spend a trillion dollars. Okay, so this is what this is what. So I when I say to when I have these conversations, I say this is what I'm for. I'm for a big government that hires and fires and people work for the government. They work for the state. They work for the city. They work for the federal government. They're part of the civil service. That's my idea of taking. Go ahead. Yeah, and also accountable government. One of the things we have, and Trump just exposed it even more, is unaccountable government. You know, starting with Reagan, instead of making corporate greed the problem, they made big government the problem. Big government brought us the New Deal and the most popular president we've ever had, FDR. And it brought us Social Security, and it brought us unemployment insurance, and it brought us Medicare, and it brought us all sorts of things. So when, government can be great if it's big, good government that we have some control over. But they made they took people's anger and directed it away from the corporate structures that are robbing them blind and are not accountable to anything but their stockholders and shifted it onto the government. That was a mean trick, but it certainly got revenge on those people who felt threatened by the New Deal and worked to destroy it. And I see something like that, where you have government control over capitalism. Right. You don't allow it to get out of control. So, for example, even Germany is a capitalist country, but they don't let you outsource. And if they give you any money for anything, as part of a stimulus, you have to have people from the neighborhood on the board of directors, because they suffer the effects of whatever pollution you have. You have to have ecologists. You have to have your union members. And unions are very powerful. 
That's why they got a 20-hour work week for the machinist union with, I think it's 300,000 workers. They also have laws against outsourcing. You cannot outsource people's jobs. So in trying to move forward, and I think I've pretty much delineated what I believe. I I believe we need to defund the police and move it towards social service. But I still believe we need some kind of policing and a city owned as bad as the city of New York is as they're don't get me, you know, I don't want to say what I think of the New York City Police Department. I still rather have the police controlled by the government than Eric Prince and Blackwater. I don't want to privatize the police. Absolutely. I also think that the police should be a rotating function because it attracts satyrs. So whoever really wants the cop should be eliminated immediately. Say that again, please. I think that whoever wants to be a policeman should be immediately eliminated from the pool because that's not very healthy. And I think they should be, I think we should, if you're an accountant, I think lawyers and accountants should be forced to be police officers the same way the FBI gives guns. Absolutely. And you also need to have made illegal all of the tax shelters where people take their money and put it outside of the country or in the state of Delaware, where they have such low corporate taxes, that there's a uniform tax rate, that it applies to the top, that corporate tax lawyers are an illegal group trying to help you cheat out of taxes, that all the tax havens have to be eliminated. We went to the Cayman Islands and said, U.S. Army will invade, or you you return these monies. Of course, they're not gonna say no, and neither are all the other tax shelters. So the, the problem, the problem that I sometimes run up against is and by the way, I, I've said to my friends over the weekend, uh, I'm not leaving the left there. I'm not a, a, a city college yeshiva booker like uh, uh, Crystal and Irving, who gave, you know, I'm a Trotskyite. But you know what? It's so, there's so much infighting. I'm just going to go be a greedy pig for Reagan. Right. I'm not leaving the left, even though I don't agree with everybody on the left. Of course not. But what the problem I'm having with some people is they ha- they don't have a plan. They have a Marxist they don't have crit- a plan and they don't they have a live- Marxist critique of they can give me a diagnosis of everything that's wrong with America and blame it blame capitalism and I go congratulations doctor Yes, we we have cancer. Is it terminal? Okay, capitalism is a cancer. Is it terminal? Oh, it's not terminal. Then what is your plan, doctor? I've, you've already told me that cancer is that that we have a cancer. Now what? And I don't hear. I and I find people getting angry at me when I say, "Fine, what's your plan? You've just blamed capitalism. What's your plan? You have to have a plan." And if you have a plan for a cooperative economy, that's one thing that makes it much more democratic. If you have worker councils all the way, if you make all kinds of labor justified and well-paid, if you have a reasonable minimum wage, which anyone can live on, however modestly, in this country, there is no state and no county 
and no city where two people working at minimum wage jobs full time can afford a two bedroom apartment. You can't have that. You have to pay people decently. Jacinda Ardern just raised the minimum wage to $20 an hour. And of course that helps as well as she gave care workers a 30.6% increase because of the value of their labor. And you're talking about New Zealand. Yes, and it's a capitalist country, but it's highly regulated. Also, it doesn't have the kind of huge corporations that we have. 85% of companies in New Zealand have 20 employees or less. They don't allow corporations to gobble each other up. Bezos wouldn't be allowed to function there. So what happened in Bessemer? Uh, They're looking into it. Obviously, Amazon cheated. That goes without saying. Obviously. And also, we live in a country in which labor unions are associated with people who don't care, who take your money for dues, who don't do anything for you. And they haven't been militants since they kicked the lefties out in the 50s. But it's a cultural problem. There has to be a left culture so that the fluidity with which big business moves into the White House and out. Trump was just a businessman, a failed one at that, but a businessman. And it's fine, they think, to have a corporate businessman be in in charge of the White House. No, it isn't. There's a difference if you're an employer or an employee, a class difference. One lives off of another person's labor and they have biases. And our culture, we have to change the culture of labor. And for the, and labor has to ally with a vital left. That's one of the things that's very important. Black Lives Matter is now associating with and vying with and supporting the labor movement. That's very important. for. And we need, a, we need a labor. We, we have a secretary of labor. I think it's Marty Walsh from Boston. Uh where the average, by the way, Boston's African-American community, their average net worth is $8, $8. Uh, We need a labor department that protects labor from itself, that works with the Justice Department to put uh, unions under consent decrees and make sure that they are, you can pass laws that dictate how labor unions operate to make sure that they represent the rank and file. That's what they've done in, in Germany and France and such countries. Labor unions are ideological. You can be in the communist trade union, you can be in the Christian Democrat trade union and so on. So that they run on ideology. The left ones think we should really, we do the labor, we ought to take care over everything. But in the meantime, we are a union. Okay. You ought to have a maximum wage as well as a minimum wage in your country and not allow people like Bezos to gain a trillion dollars while the country's sinking. You, you know, you of course you could adjudicate those things. But if the way you get elected is that you have you have to pay for your campaign and pay the people back when you get in, that's not gonna work. In none of those countries do they allow private money in elections. I was in France during a big election. They had eight candidates from different parties because they have proportional representation. Well, whatever proportion of the 
votes you get, you have that proportion of the seats in parliament or Congress, okay? And also, you don't allow any public money. You don't, TV ads are all controlled by the government where everybody gets a certain amount of time to make their statement. And that's it. And they have two weeks to campaign, not a whole year where they're collecting. Because if you need billions of dollars, I think it was $4 billion they paid in the last presidential election. If you need billions of dollars to run, who pays the piper, calls the tune. You'd have to change that immediately. And you'd have to have rules like they have in France and Germany and throughout Scandinavia, that no union leader is allowed to make more than the highest paid union member in her or his union. That's fair. You can't, and that these things have to be- Which is genius to me. It's just genius. And and you know what? Fat cats living off the union. And, And I guarantee you that the industrialists would publicly say the union leader should only make what their rank and file make, but that would scare the hell out of the industrialists if union leaders made the same amount as the rank and file, because then they they would would fight for the rank and file. Exactly. They would identify with that life and that class position of being an exploited worker who doesn't get as much. You know, you really need... You need to address the issues of class. In the United States, for example, in New York, where we both live, in 1905, they passed a law that's still on the books, which is for every $100 that you that you make on the stock market, you owe a nickel to the city of New York for its expenses. That went on from 1905 to 1985. It's still subtracted, and they send it right back to the stock market. What? You have to have an awareness that there's a class division here between employers who get the extra because they pay you, because it only pays to pay you if they're making more off of you than they give you, and employees who sell their labor to make a living. Right. And that there are class differences here. And those have to be compensated for. So there's a maximum wage and a minimum wage. There are heavy penalties against exporting and tax shelters and tax corporations, tax lawyers. That's an illegal profession. And you have to change the union structure so that the union leader has a limited term and doesn't get more than the highest paid member of her, his or their union. And that requires that requires a type of government. Bernie, I, I always assume that Bernie would have a, a, a secretary of labor who would build up the unions because it, it, go internally work with them to build up their strength. You know, we have a commerce secretary of commerce who is dedicated to building up corporations. Well, you know, uh Sure. Well, there's that easy segue between corporate leader and government. Ramsey Clark died. I wanted to say something and then get your uh, response. Ramsey Clark was attorney general under Lyndon Johnson, 
one of the greatest attorney generals we, we've ever had. He went on to a pro bono, essentially a pro bono uh, private practice where he said in 1970 that nobody at our firm can earn more than 50 grand a year, which, you know, 40 years ago, 50 grand a year was a lot of money. But for an ex attorney general, uh, he limited the, like, he, there was a wage, a maximum wage at his law firm. He learned to live in New York City until this week he'd passed away uh, on a pretty uh, modest salary and a full life. Right. As full, he defended everybody from uh, Palestinians who were accused of, uh, I think it was the Achille Loro. I think he defended uh, those, those to defending Native Americans, he, a full and rich life. And I think part of it comes from limiting his, making sure that his, he and the people in his law firm weren't corrupted by wealth. That's right, but if you have no limitations on wealth, if you have no maximum wage, if you don't tax the obscenity of income so that nine trillion is earned while Americans are suffering, you, you're going to have the corruption that comes with the kind of class division that goes back to the pharaoh. Right. That's what we have. And that would have to be addressed. And of course, Biden is not going to address it. Who pays for his campaign? Right. It's a system with interlocking parts. And that system has to be changed. Capitalism is a terrible system. It's built on exploitation, cruelty, and inequality that fosters easier exploitation. It's easier to exploit people if you keep black workers from white workers. It's and great men and women. And when, so I, I know we're out of time. Thank you for this conversation because I had a difficult weekend talking to some close friends of mine, my children. I have one son who uh, is a, I don't want to violate anybody's trust. I have a, a friend, an adult friend, a young adult friend who uh, is a much better person than I am. And this person has read Capital One, Two, and and is, uh, but he's broached the top. Did I lose you? No, I'm here. Oh, okay. He has broached the, the subject of uh, personal responsibility. I never thought I'd hear him talk about personal responsibility. And one of the things he said, the problem that he's rubbing up against on the left is there's this cure that they get an idea in their head. They, we get an idea. We know what the problem is. And that ab absolves us of all responsibility to come up with a plan that if it's, you know, you have to eliminate capitalism. That's the solution. Everything else is incrementalism. Why, why bother? Let's play a video game. Yeah, it's silly because you don't win that way. You win by winning over hearts and minds for a vision of a better society. One step at a time. Persu a persuasion. Time. Persuade me. Right. Ramsey Clark, I'll let you go, but this is this is what I this is what I was. Ramsey Clark, I I don't know. Maybe he was a Marxist. I doubt it. I, I suspect, I suspect, 
he worshipped the Federalist Papers, given his father was Tom Clark, the the Supreme Court Justice. I suspect he grew up in a home similar to Ralph Nader's. This is conjecture where he was told the answer is the capital. The answer is democracy. Our founding fathers gave us all the tools to to bend the arc of uh, justice towards morality, you know, whatever, not Karl Marx. Well, we should be able to persuade somebody. We, we should be able to reach out to somebody like that and not push them away. And, and a, a lot of people like Ramsey Clark are pushed away by some of the language being used. That's right. And the idea is, I think, the basic principle of the left is what we have is our number. They have the money. We have the masses of people. We all need each other. It's not some kind of morality play that you have to show you're more moral by condemning other people. It, the idea is including as many people as you can to build a movement that wins, because that's what we have. We have the numbers. Right. If we could see it, we'd be on our side. Well, thank and you for the thank you. Thank you for this conversation. And uh, you have you haven't. You're not the only person who's changed my life, but you have really helped me see things in a, uh, you've helped me achieve the closest I can to clarity on some issues. And, and, and you know, it's a quest for clarity, at least on this show. I, you know, I want, I want clarity in my life and I, and I want clarity from our leaders. And and and, and, and I don't accountability. Absolutely. and accountability. And where are we? What are you saying? And what do you mean? And if you can't answer that question, uh, step aside. I notice when people can't answer those questions, they get really angry. They get yeah. really angry when they can't when when I ask for clarity and they can't provide it. Well, that's defensiveness. You know, that's just defensiveness. They get angry to cover their inadequacy. Yeah. Because we're, we all have to know what we're doing. And we all have to have a vision of us together. And that doesn't mean a moral hierarchy in which you're holier than thou and eliminate everybody else. Right. Then you lose. Thank and you so much. We love you here. I you. love you. Thank I you. Thank you. Thank, you. Thank you. And uh, you're going through... I hope the move is... Uh, it's happening. My daughter and son-in-law are helping us immeasurably, and so it's happening. Great. We right. all need each other. Right. Anyway. Thank goodbye. you. We'll talk to you next week. Dr. Harriet Fraud, always bye bye. thank you. Uh, I'm, ho I'm keeping somebody waiting. Uh, mm -hmm. Listen to her two podcasts. That uh, I do with other people. And, and give them credit, please. Okay. I... Capitalism hits home with Harriet Fraud and Juliana Forlano. And it's not just in your head with Harriet Fraud and Max Golding. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. Everyone the best. You are a, you Harriet are loved Girl. here. <laughs> Thanks. You really are. You're, you're, the feeling is mutual. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Let's very quickly go to Dan Frankenberger in the in the newsroom. Hello. Uh is is Professor Mary Ann or Professor Mike Steinel up next? I think we should do community billboard. Uh, we can do community billboard real quick. Professor Mary Ann is on the 
on the screen here. So right, but okay, but I I think we have a little time. But, uh, sure. But let me just check the calendar. Uh, how are you? You look great. You look great. Uh, yeah, Professor Mike Steinell was at nine, and you had to schedule eight thirty uh, to be determined. So I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Time. So okay, uh, okay. So we we can take a breather here and go over the community college. Yep. Community. I said community college, which uh, everybody should send their kids to community college. We should be one and one equals two at Harvard. One and one equals two at Bergen Community College. Support your community colleges. How are you, Dan? How was your weekend? We have uh, Diabetic Fury on, on May 1st, right? May 1st, a few weeks away. We're going get, to get that show up and going. Right. Um, uh, a little while ago, I sent you the pictures for this community billboard. So you can, if you can check your email for those. Yes. Um, this I want to talk. You know, I don't get to talk to you. Uh, so l- let's uh, let's talk for a second uh, as I look for your uh, your pictures. Keep talking. There we go. Oh my God! Is this Tom Weber? Tom Weber. Oh my God! He had a great show with his wife Barb this weekend. Oh my God! How does somebody have as much talent as Tom Weber? Who, you know, we need to have him do. We should do like a. Since Diabetic Fury is coming to an end, we should do something with Tom. COVID Town Squares. What did I say is coming to an end? You said Diabetic Fury. Oh, no, no, no. I I apologize. I'm multitasking right now. Yeah. We we should do something since COVID Town Squares is going to stop because Henry is abandoning us. We should maybe talk to Tom Weber about teaching nonviolence. Doing on on Saturday nights. Tom Weber could be a candidate if you wanted to take a week off to host the show, I bet. Yeah. He seems like he knows everything. There are some people in the uh, community where I just go, I'm an idiot. I mean, Henry, like Henry, I can deal with because he's young enough to be my son. So I can feel like I know things just through time that he doesn't know. It's more instinctual. Yeah. And, and he's leaving too. Ugh. I know, but he's still going to do the show. You know, but Henry, Henry is like this miracle, you know, and then, the, then like there are people like Tom Weber who, you know, or Professor Lee, who, you know, we, we barely talk to on the show. They're unbelievable. It's the truth. There's someone like Tyler Emerson on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, Karen Emerson's son. Karen is the fantastic singer, and her son is also musical. Uh, he did his first gig with their new band, uh, and they did a show called The Storytellers, streaming again for the first time, uh, The Ballad of Bob Steen and other stories. And I didn't see it live, but I've been watching it throughout the course of today. And, man, he, throw, he throws, I don't know if they're horse hairs on a, on a fiddle bow, but, man, he gets wow. down. Amazing. Awesome. Amazing. What a great community. What a great um, community. It was, a, we had a rough, I, 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 office hours was a little rough at the beginning because I completely lost it at the end of 
the last show. And uh, the great thing about having my daughter show up to office hours is she just treats me, uh, she's in awe of me. Have you noticed? Oh, yeah. Yes. She's uh, she's in 100%. <laughs> you can tell that I ruled the, the I ruled the roost when when uh, when she was growing up. It, it was yeah, yes, she, sir. No, sir. Yes, Papa. She lets you go. Yes, she Papa. She lets you go. <laughs> um, uh, earlier today when Jackie was on, here is your favorite setup that you made him repeat three times. All right. Hang on. Hang on for one second. I just want to see. Uh, well, okay, go ahead. I just wanted to see who was in the uh, the green room. Go ahead. It's a, yeah, it's just a setup. A guy is in a bad motorcycle accident, and his cock is ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bother to write down the punchline because it doesn't matter. I don't remember what it was. I love. Sometimes he has a setup. That is just so funny. I just go, you're breaking up, Jackie. Can you repeat? He, th that was one of his best ever, right? Yeah, that's yeah. This, this. The first half hour of this show was amazing. It was amazing. Martha Previtt. Yeah, Martha is, and Jim with the uh, AOC. That was uh, followed by Jackie's best. Yeah. <laughs> and what was? And then there was the joke Jackie told about giving his uh, wife. An my partner is such a pain in the ass. <laughs> Last night I gave my date an orgasm. Yeah, she spit it out. I gave it's, my date. Uh, that is the greatest joke. I gave my date an orgasm, but she spit it out. Yes. That in terms of street jokes, it's, you know, that's just now I know that it's regressive and uh, a certain backflip. It's a switcheroo. It's got it. It's, all. it's mathematically correct. Yeah. And I, you, if you want to find reasons for why that joke is regressive and violent, knock yourself out. But all jokes are violent. They are a release valve. So you don't get too violent. <laughs> and there are jokes that are violent and are unacceptable. There's no question. But there are some, some jokes that you cannot tell. They're not a release valve. They actually snow. There's a snowball effect to a certain type of joke that makes life worse for certain people. Uh, I'm sure you can make an argument against that joke. Uh, but sure. uh, I like to laugh. And that joke, I wouldn't tell that joke. No, I would. <laughs> it but doesn't belong in public. I work at a machine shop. Yeah. I have a public well, image. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Yeah, you, know, you can't. Uh, okay, we're all set up here. Uh, give me. A, so uh, here, there's a let's picture. Tom Weber. Yep. Well, let's show, let me show this picture of me in high school. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that was me in high school. That was before the plugs. That was before the plugs. Uh, I don't think that was the one we wanted to show. I've but, been numbering these so you know the order. I know, but I want to look at Glenn Costick. What is this Glenn Costick's food? That is Glenn Costick's food. Is, is that, that is on a, the menu yep. for tonight? Steak with mushroom sauce, zucchini, and fries. Okay. I swear to you, I can't eat steak, but my salivary glands... I mean, I, that looks, good Lord. He made the meat, meat portion small. That's one of the ways to help the cause. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the fries are sopping up the gravy, but not completely. They're not soggy. And are those tomatoes? 
Um, steak with mushroom sauce, zucchini, and fries. Zucchini. Okay, some of the zucchinis near the steak, the north end of the steak, look like... Yeah, it looks like a, a cut-in-half cherry tomatoes. It's from the blood from the cow that's dead. It's Let's say it's from the mushroom sauce. Oh, okay. That's, that's better. I, I do, I am sympathetic. I think people who eat red meat are going to burn in hell. I, I stand in judgment of people who eat red meat. But uh, I do see why it's so hard. to. I look at something like that. And uh, that would be, yes, that you're giving up something, but you should give it up. Okay, what is this? Hang on. If it's the next Glenn picture, that's a chili lemon pistachios. Oh. A new take on old treats. Oh, my God. He's been posting a few different types of nuts in... uh, Facebook. I think he told me he was going to nuts.com lately to they got a whole variety of Can you can you tell Glenn I love his nuts? Sure. I, I want to eat his nuts. So how did he do that? Did he take his pistachio nuts and he put chili and lemon and then bake them? Well, I went through this with him last week because he posted some pecans that were uh, bourbon infused. So I sent him a message to ask him to to get the skinny for the David Feldman show and he said no, I just bought them from nuts.com. Well, I love his nuts. Yeah. I would eat his nuts. I would devour Glenn's nuts. Just let him know. Nom, nom, nom. Okay. What's next? Uh, Tom Weber. We got a couple pictures uh, okay. from Tom's website, uh, tomweber.com, tomweberart.com. Yeah. And uh, the first one is a mixed media painting of four lovebirds. Nobody between his music and I mean, how is it possible that he, that that is just amazing. Yep. It's awesome. It's a watercolor, uh, colored pencil, pastel and acrylic paint. Jesus. If you're, well, most of you are listening to this as a podcast. We need, well, go look at this on YouTube. You can see it. We need like some kind or Discord. I guess we could post it on our Discord. We need some kind of website. I could send it out as in, uh, in the newsletter too, I guess. But that. Well, I, I've emailed you these pictures. You could post them when you post the podcast on the website, I suppose. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, you here. know, I was talking to the guy who does, uh, Josh, who runs my website. I, I thought maybe we should do, well, let's show, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. What Should I show the next one? Yeah, let's do the next one. One of these times, I should take one of Tom's pictures and try to draw it myself and send you that. This is you know, this what, is what this is me uh, right after my hair transplant surgery, oh, right. and they cracked my skull a little. Oh, and you just quit the fire department? I just, yes, <laughs> that's Frankenstein. It's a very human. The portrait of a male pen drawing of the head of the classic Frankenstein monster. Yeah. Color on version number one, digitally added on my iPad. Yeah, very human. Like I, I see myself in Frankenstein. Very human. That's Weber. His, his concert with Barb was an hour and a half this Saturday, and it was fantastic. I was outside doing yard work, listening to it on my phone, and it was it was great. And is he doing anything Wednesday night? Uh, this coming Wednesday night, they've been doing it every night, is the, um, who I'm trying to think of what the name of it is. It's the um, 
he has a group on discord, but they've been doing it on Facebook about the nonviolence and pacifism. Right. And I, I don't have the name of it right in front of me. I asked him to do it on the show and I said, why don't you come in every week? I don't think the I don't think the best way to get it, somebody to come on the show is I want you to come on once a week and talk about violence and violence. I, I think you know maybe could you stop by uh, and perhaps uh, when you're you know in the mood instead of saying I want you. Hey, I this is uh, the show is such a it's like a, a wild bull ride it starts and i can't it just goes seven to eight hours and it's and i and i don't get to talk to you you know next thing i we really need to schedule come up yeah, with that might be the best yeah. half the time i have a hard time staying awake till the end because it gets me late too i, I, I often fall asleep <laughs> uh i find the best way for me to stay awake while hosting this show is not listening to it Oh, there yeah, you go. It's very soporific. Every once in a while, you just talk a little I bit. Just, and yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the Spirituality and Activism Group, which happens on uh, 8.30 to 10 on Wednesday nights, and you can get the link to that on okay. Discord. And what time did office hours go to? I turned it off myself at like 1.30 a.m., and then I woke up at 6 to take a leak, and it was still going. And then I turned it off. And there were people still there. Yep. Good. Good. I, uh, when you were talking about prostate jokes, I wanted to tell you that I went to uh, a doctor's exam the other day and he said, Mr. Frankenberger, you need to stop masturbating. <laughs> and I said, why? He said, cause I'm trying to examine you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that joke. I love it. <laughs> I, I try to remember all my jokes about getting my prostate. I used to like my whole act, like when I was 30, yeah. I would just talk about my, I hadn't gotten my prostate examined yet, but I was, I thought, well, that, that's funny. I should talk, make up. There's joke. another classic one. Take your pants down and uh, where should I put them? Throw them in the corner on top of mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. 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 So, uh, okay. We, uh, we'll, we'll bring in professor Mary. It's professor Marianne, right? Coming up. Yep. Professor Marianne Cummings. She's not on the schedule, but professor Mike was on the schedule next for nine. So I'm not sure what your plans were. Well, uh, we'll br- Oh, okay. Then we should bring in professor Mike. Uh, and so is that it with community billboard? No, oh, the just- thing that I wanted to do. Hey, professor Mike, uh, you're, you look great. Uh, the thing I w- was thinking uh, of doing, but it's just more work to build a website that everybody, do you remember the original website for this podcast? It was a newspaper and I gave everybody a token who was like Eddie and Jim and you could all write for it and they got their own pass key. And of course, nobody did it. Was that but David Feldman comedy? That was, yeah, that was the original website. It, I, it was built, had the same, it literally had the infrastructure of a daily newspaper so that everybody could be like a reporter or a columnist and they could log on and post and it would just go up and it would look like a newspaper. You could post videos and and I still have the... Uh, I still have the the, the infra you know the infrastructure to that website. I thought it might be interesting to 
offer dump that out a new job. website and see what, see what happens? Well, put it, you know, offer it to the geniuses, and I do mean geniuses at office hours, and let them uh, run amok. Run amok. Uh, let me run that by everybody on office hours. There's we have a meeting tomorrow night for um, for office hours. Good. And, and uh, you, everyone should go to the YouTube channel for David Feldman's show and subscribe. That way, when you hear of all these uh, images we're talking about, you can go check it out. And at work once in a while, when it pops up on your phone that there's a notification that is live, you can put your phone on your desk and check it out while you're working. Right. Thank you. And, and everybody uh, should, how do they contact you for the community billboard? Just send an email to dentfeldman at gmail.com. Right. And and people should write in. This is for listeners, not just the people in the Zoom chat room. People should write in birthdays and anniversaries, shout, you know, shout outs. And, I, you know, I would love uh, something like, uh, you know, to Barry, Barry Greenberg, go F yourself. You know, <laughs> if somebody wants to just tell somebody to go F themselves, I would love them to have Dan in the news uh, newsroom read it. Uh, thank you, Dan. Good night. Uh, uh, before we go to Professor Mike Steinel, uh, you're listening to the David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Please friend me on Twitter. Follow me on Facebook. And uh, what else? Subscribe to the newsletter. We have a YouTube channel, and uh, I don't read the chat in the YouTube channel, but if you'd like to join us in the Zoom room, it's a very lively group of people, very opinionated and uh, very kind and smart. It's a gated community of uh, open-minded chinwaggers. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com and hit attend a live taping and I'll send you an invitation to sit in the Zoom room. They, the people in the chat room, make this show, for better or for worse. Sometimes for worse, uh, but they do. This show has improved exponentially because of the people uh, who come and, and attend the live tapings. They make me and the show much better. Uh, but, one quick note about the YouTube channel. I don't do individual clips, and maybe I'll change that. I've gone back and forth on posting individual clips. This is my temporary policy until, say, September, because we've only been posting the show on YouTube as a video uh, since September. So I want to see at the end of a year what we're going to do. But instead of making individual clips, I was told by people I respect to instead add timestamps and put them into the show description so that people uh, could see the code and then click on whatever segment they wanted to get to. Uh, and that's in our podcast, the audio description. If you're uh, on YouTube or if you're getting it through Stitcher or iTunes or Spotify, you can click on the time code and it'll take you right to the segment that you want to get to. Personally, I think you should listen to the entire show, but we've been adding timestamps for about six months and uh, some people, not all, seem 
to uh, take advantage of it. As for YouTube, because a lot of people are writing to me and saying, why don't you break up the show after you record it and do individual segments? If you want to share something you like on YouTube, it's pretty easy. You, you hit the share button on YouTube and then you check the box indicating the time at which you want the video to play. So usually if you're in the middle of something, you like it, and you want to share it, you can pretty much just hit click and then check the box with the time code on it. And it'll go up on Twitter or Facebook if you're sending it as an email. It'll play according to the time code that you clicked. And uh, it works pretty good. So I need to do a better job explaining that to my guests and listeners. Again, in the past, I tried clipping interviews and breaking up. It wasn't worth the energy. I have a very small subscriber base uh, on YouTube. And what we found is that the more videos I put up, the more subscribers unsubscribe. They don't want that much coming at them. Same goes for emails. So we, we post our videos on Tuesdays and Fridays, and that's it. And again, uh, this is a temporary policy. I'm, you know, uh, I'll revisit this in September. I want to give it a year before I make any other adjustments. Um, <clears throat> As for clipping a six to nine hour show, uh, adding bumpers and outros, plus the descriptions and search engine optimization, that's a full-time job. That's not volunteer work. It's labor-intensive, and uh, this is a small show. I can't afford to hire somebody to do that, and I refuse to have people doing grunt work for free. It's immoral. Uh, there's nothing fun about making clips, uh, and then you know, it's assembly line work. It's not creative and uh, I've been told, we'll get a, an intern. It's not work for an unpaid intern, you know, trying to get college credit. And it's not something anybody should do unless they're getting paid for it. So uh, moving forward for the time being, uh, if you want to share an interview, a clip from the show, it's really easy. Just use the time code stamps. And when you share, it, the time code is there's a box and you can just type in the time code or click it. It's, uh, it's pretty good. All right. It's nine Oh two. Let's go to Denton, Texas, where professor Mike Steinell is standing by. You look, uh, like you're in black and white today. I do. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I hope. Hey, um, how do I sound? You sound good. There, there's that. Uh, Is there a buzz? Really? Yeah, there's a bit of a buzz. You know, I listened to myself on the show. I didn't hear it. Oh, maybe I'm gaslighting you then. <laughs> maybe I'm trying to get you <laughs> off your game. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you see the ad? I just want to say uh, Wednesday night, Mike Steinell Quintet featuring Rosanna Eckert were. Let me see. I get out of the way here. It's uh, 8 Central stream the stream is facebook.com uh, musicians trust fund what does it say there 
Music Performance Trust Fund. And you go to that web page the day of, and there's a bunch of things going on. They're doing streaming all over the country. Wow. Uh, and you're raising money me. for musicians. No, no, we're taking money. From musicians. <laughs> now, this is a, a charity okay. I could get on board. That's now a listen. funny idea for a benefit to take money from people. Here's what happened. This guy who was the head of the union, James Petrillo, in the 40s, he instituted the biggest ever entertainment strike in the history of entertainment, one of the longest. <clears throat> and uh, there was no recording for about a year and a half. And he thought that what was going to happen was recordings were going to put live musicians out of business. And basically they have, you know, but um, he worked out a deal so that um, radio stations, TV stations, uh, nightclubs paid money to play, if they're gonna play recorded music, they pay into the trust fund. And then the trust fund is used to fund live music. Mm. And so uh, we have a jazz festival every spring. It was canceled last year. It's gonna be, it was canceled this year too. They're gonna do it in the fall. And we get 250,000 people to uh, come to the park in Denton. There's something like 10 stages. You got a rock and roll stage, you got a jazz stage, you got a, um, uh, you know, folk stage. They have community bands. About one fifth of the stages are funded by their professional musicians playing, and the others are, uh, you know, uh, school groups, community groups. And uh, well, we get we get we actually get a quarter of a million people coming. Wow. To that, we always have a headliner that's jazz oriented on Friday night, and then a headliner that's more you know, like Los Lobos, kind of a crossover headliner. Um, like we had Ravi Coltrane a couple years ago on Friday, and then we had, who was it on now? I can't remember. Um, but um, it, it always irks me that uh, you can do free jazz and people love it, you know, yeah. as long as they don't have to pay for it. Do I, I got a new rig, a new microphone. That's why I was wondering if I sound different. Tap it. Yeah, so, yeah, it sounds great. One, two, does. That's what you have. I, I, I just copied what you have, and I, I bought it. Do uh, I sound $495 better than last is week? That, let me just ruin your day. You paid that <laughs> much for I saw it for, you can get it for under $100. On. And the boom, and the boom. I got the boom, like you got, you know, so you can move I have it around. To, I have to get a, a new camera. Somebody told me everything I need to do if I want to make this more YouTube and Zoom. Are you friendly. using a camera or are you using a computer camera? I use a little camera above, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's surveillance camera. It's like, this is something I stole from 7-Eleven. Nice. I stole their surveillance camera. Nice. That's how good the security <laughs> is at 7-Eleven. I, I, oh, wow. I, how are things in Denton? Good. You know what we did last Friday? I wasn't able to go to office hours because we went to Austin and I saw my grandson, picked him up, played with him. And uh, it was great. Hadn't seen we have him a lot a of people in Austin. We, we have. Uh, yeah. Andy Brown. Indian. No, no, Andy no, Brown's no. He's up north. But we had Laura House is from Austin. The person who does our actually, graphics. Laura House is actually from the DW. Uh, she's more right around here. Right. 
But she spent some time in Austin. She I just bought a house in Austin. Well, there you go. Pretty so. Her husband is a great trumpeter. What, what I'm saying is, after the pandemic, <clears throat> uh, we get a, a pill that cures me of agoraphobia, and we. You're going to move to Austin? Well, come down. You'll do a show with Laura's significant other. He's an amazing. He's, he plays with Ongo Boingo. He's a great Ongo Boingo. Yeah, and other player. and other groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah other groups. You know, um, your show was nine hours long last week. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> it was wow. about eight hours and it should have been eight hours and fifty minutes. The last <laughs> ten minutes uh, were not oh. uh, not my best moments. I heard your I heard your uh, monologue. You're good at those 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 rants at the beginning. Well, do you write those out? I've asked you before. You must write those out. I right? have notes. I, You're really I, good at like coming back and like a preacher. You come back like a good preacher who comes back and hits the same note over and over again, but just slightly different, slightly different. You know, well, I, I do have a bone to pick. Um, John Ross came at me. Home. Oh yes, that's why. Yes, I, I don't want to get now. Oh, now it's it's. You know what? I'm trying to tamp down the hostility. For those who are just listening, I'm scowling. Oh boy, I was hoping oh, look, you did. Man, he, he called me. He called me a little bitch. <laughs> now look, I have no problem with the bitch part. But he didn't have to call me little. That was a that was below the belt. We were talking. He said to me, <laughs> I said to him, when I, you know, when I'm unfortunately, when I get into an argument uh, or people argue, people, you know, people are programmed to enjoy hostility and I don't want any part of it and I can't help myself. Yeah. And he said uh he wants to have a few, he thought it would be entertaining for John to have a feud with somebody on the show. And we thought, who would it be? And he goes, Mike Steinell. Why don't I? We were laughing. So like, who would hate Mike Steinell? That's like, well, let me tell you this. I'm not the kind of guy who would do this, but some people in my situation, after somebody had come at them hard, yeah. might mention the fact, you know, not, not me. I would never do this. The fact that, uh, you know, John was kicked out of the Writers Guild because of his womanizing and <laughs> his uh, drunkenness and his drug use. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm, that's, I'm just kidding. No, no, but I'm not going to correct he was it. never in the Writers Union. I, I just want to. <laughs> hey, listen, I. You I'm, stepped I'm, on the joke, man. You stepped on I'm the joke. I'm Chuck Todd. You, you can say whatever you want on this show, and it goes uncorrected. So you're, you're saying John Ross. Uh, Let me, should I do the whole joke again? Yes, please. Okay. Now, a lot of people might do this. I'm not going to do it, but they might bring up the fact that John Ross was kicked out of the Writers Guild mm -hmm. because of his womanizing, his drug use, and his drunkenness. But you're and not going to bring that up. Yeah, actually, you're, it, you're better I'm just than kidding. That. I'm just kidding. He was never in the Writers Guild. <laughs> <laughs> That's the old Pete Bear Beauty joke I heard live. Do you know Pete? I wish I knew Pete. He's so funny, man. Yeah. That guy, he's still alive. He's out in Vegas. I don't know what shape he's in. But uh, when do you he, think? Go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. At the, well, the, the, the joke live was uh, this good friend of mine, uh, 
let me see. <laughs> What's the name of my camera? Um, Tom Fowler, who ran the jazz festival in Wichita. You know, it's the end of the week and, and Barbuti's the headliner and he's saying this thing. Because I want to thank everybody here, everybody in particular. I want to thank Tom Fowler. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but Tom Fowler is a registered sex offender. <laughs> and the audience just goes, ah. Oh. <laughs> and then he goes, no, no, no. He's not registered. <laughs> Pete Barbuti. So funny. So funny. Wow. Yeah. I'd like to get him and John Biner on the show. John I'm Biner. wearing my Doc Severinsen coat that I I love it. Yeah, that I had last week. I do. I think I might wear this Wednesday night at our concert that's live streamed at 8 p.m. Central with the uh, Rosanna Mike's Rosanna Mike Steinel Jazz Quintet featuring Rosanna Eckert. Hey, by the way, I sent you a track that I got it. Totally cool to play. We're not totally going cool to get dinged. We will not get dinged. Okay. Hey, check this out. When I touch my microphone, it disappears. Ready? Are you ready? Yeah. Oh, it didn't do it. It didn't do it. Anyways, green screen is weird. How's Dang the weather it. in Denton? Oh, it's got, it got up today, uh, up in the 80s, 84. I was out working on cars, starting cars and airing up tires. Texas, spring in Texas has to be the most beautiful time of year, right? I wrote a, I wrote a beautiful chart called May, and it was written in May, my first May in uh, Texas. And uh, it's, on a, it's on an album that the, the lab bands did. How far are you from the Pernells? I don't know that couple. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Purd and Alice? Purd and Alice. Oh, not Purd and Alice. The oh, Purd and Alice. Alice. I don't, I don't, I'm not, see, I'm. I'm like the LBJ all, Ranch. How far are you away? Oh, we're close. That's just Johnson County. It's, you kind of drive through that area. It's by Waco. Um, we it's drive beautiful. through there on the way to Austin. Yeah, in its own way. It's, it, you know, Texas is really maybe seven different states. It was supposed right. to be seven different things, seven different uh, <clears throat> climates, basically, or microclimates, seven different topographies, you know. Um, East Texas is Piney Woods. We're like High Plains. Austin is, is um, hill country, desert. Um, West Texas is mountains, you know, and it's uh, the Rockies down by the, the bottom of the Rockies. And you love um, Texas. I've grown to love it. I, I love I Texas. To love it. I, I, you know, uh, the, the, the parts are much nicer than the whole. Well, you know, you got the, you know, the problem with Texas is it's full of Texans, <laughs> you know, and I say but not that all of Texas. Not, you know, we live in a very um, not conservative. I wouldn't say it's liberal. It's not conservative community because of the colleges. We have two colleges. They make up about a third of the population. Austin is, is pretty, uh, you know, left because of the, you know, UT. But around everything else, you know, remember that song I wrote, uh, uh, So Many Signs? Mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm an island of blue and an ocean of red, you know? There's Sometimes a part like of I'm me. Better off dead. There, there's a part of me that thinks George W. Bush, when I'm forgiving, when I don't think yeah. of him as a, a war criminal who should be frog-marched before The Hague, when I think of the millions of Iraqis who are dead because of him, I, I, if I'm looking to forgive, because forgiveness is a part of survival, 
I, I sometimes think that he's a Texan who doesn't, there's a type of conservative Texan who thinks their heart is in the right place and just has no idea how stupid he is. And, and you can almost, you can't blame him for being so stupid. <laughs> That's the as charitable as I can get. Yeah, I know. For, I know what you're saying. You know, it's it's even Abbott and Rick Perry. There, if I want to be charitable, I just think they're they don't know how stupid they are. And if you meet them, I think if I met Rick Perry uh, or, or George W. Bush. I would find them amiable and, uh, you know, that they just don't know how evil they are. They're too stupid to know how evil they are. Yeah, I don't even know how to... Uh, you know, you're sure. That's, that's being, you know, maybe more charitable than you need to be. I think there's deviousness. You can't, you can't be doing all that stuff without some you know, a uh, bit of deviousness. Hey, um, you know, I had, you know, after Bush was, that's when I'm here, just trying to, when I tried to explain away evil, when Bush was governor here, then, then the next election, you know, uh, kinky Friedman went, ran for governor and I still have his hat cause I voted for him actually. And his motto was, uh, how hard could it be? <laughs> 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 Literally, that was his model on the wow. posters. How hard could it be? And, uh, you know, the governor of Texas is is uh, really doesn't have that much power. No, it's Dan Patrick, who you got, a, you're the lieutenant governor. Yeah. He's and, evil. Uh, and railroad commissioners, the railroad commissioners, they yeah. control everything. I got to, um, we had our uh, checkups by our, our health thing. They came to the house and everything. And... Um, you know, it was interesting. Yeah, <laughs> we're healthy. How was so far? And you're fully vaccinated. Oh yeah, well, I think I'm a month out of my second from my second shot. No, no problems at all. Right. We'll see. You know how what's going to happen. I think being in the warmth helps. You know, like John Ross was saying. By the way, I love John Ross. I do not. I do not want to tell you. I, I have Ross. to broker. I have to broker some kind of detente because it's that's not why I do this show. I, I can't stand when my guests hate each other. But uh, oh, okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll and, and I and I don't think we'll you're helping. I, I'm ho I'm hoping you can rise above the rancor and my petty concerns. Yes. Yeah, don't <clears throat> stoop to John Ross's level. But you're better than that. Just let when he attacks you, just let it go, Professor. I shall let it go. Hey, yeah. do you have your th your sound effects? Yes. You want to do the bit where I talk about the song real seriously? And <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I hope. Yeah, what? No, do you what? Have the, do you have the donkey sound? Yeah. Is it? Well, so what's the song about? Well, you know, David, I wrote this at a time when uh, I was struggling with a lot of things, you know. In my... Go on. And uh, some days I would just think, you know, that it was, uh, everything was kind of gray. And uh, I would envision these 
images in my mind that were stark. Hmm. And uh, so I wrote this song called Fading Into Blue. And uh, where's the sound effects? <laughs> you know what? I didn't, you got to tell me. Uh, you can just push them in there any little time. Yeah. I, I, I don't have I was still struggling right. with the death of my parents. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. You got to tell me in advance. I don't have them racked. Oh, what does that mean, racked? There are. I know what racked means, by the way. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a different program that has to be fed into the mix. Oh, okay. Well, let's not do the do you, I mean, I could get up from the chair and go. No, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Maybe we I did this. Hang, we did this. Um, Hang on. Uh, let me see. This is one of the songs we're going to do on Wednesday. I talked to uh, Ray Hare today. The uh, oh, tell him I tell him I said hello. Yeah, he says hello. He uh, lined up our concert for us, you know, and. Um, I told him about the orchard thing and uh, the problems with the orchard and, you know, dinging you for playing stuff on the side. He had a different take on it. He says I should just be dinged for being who I am. No, he says you, you, that you would have an opportunity to pay a fee to BMI and ASCAP and all those, and then you could play that stuff. But right. it's probably expensive for a podcast. So, yeah. and you got plenty of music. Hey, you think um, Martha, Martha, is Martha still on? You think, uh, think they would like a Diabetic Fury song? Do they have music? I know I they able, would. Of course they would. You know, I had that idea. I got the fury. The, I yeah. don't want to make fun of diabetes, though, because I know that's a source. Well, Martha, are you there? Hi, David. Hey, Martha. Hi, Mike. How are you? Fine. Great. How are you? Good. I, I, I thought about... Uh, um, a diabetic fury song. That would be great. But uh, maybe I'll shoot you some. I'll get the email from David. I'll shoot you some possible lyrics. You know, I don't want to just like I say. I don't want to trivialize it. But I do like the the hook. I got the fury. Okay. Oh, oh, the diabetic fury. In the chat room, they're saying uh, uh, Professor Adnan Hussein should get. He he he'll be back next week. By the way, he's. He'll get what? The f diabetes? No, 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 no. Uh, Even the song? I got the fury. The diabetic fury. You can hear the piano? Yeah. Fury. The diabetic fury. I'm in a hurry. <laughs> and I got the fury. <laughs> I don't know. That's it? That's horrible. That's horrible. What, what about a song that, that makes Jim Earl seethe? Well, see, I didn't want to do... Here's, an, here's another thing. I didn't want to offer music because Jim has a band, really great band. I know, but, the, what, the what, but what, is, what about a song that would make Jim Earl uh, Pearl... He's as funny as many pearls. I love Biden. <laughs> He's so cool. <laughs> Mr. Joe Biden. He's too cool for school. <laughs> and there's Jill. <laughs> anyway. I, I love that. That 
the Jim Earl love theme, <laughs> and it's just how great the the Bidens are. And, uh, Thank you, David. That would be really nice. <laughs> yeah, Dave, you, you cut me short by four minutes. By the way, well, I'm sorry. What? You, you you cut my spot short for by four minutes. By the way, uh, you can't. Yeah, I, I just want to. Okay, you can have mine. You can. I, I relinquish my time. No, but, uh, no, that's okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me do this. Let's let me mute you. Should we introduce the song? Yeah, this is called "Fading Into Blue," and it features Rosanna Eckert, uh Steve Barnes, um, and who's playing piano? Pat Coyle and uh, uh, Carl Hillman on bass. I'm gonna mute myself. Okay, here we go. Thank you. 
That's sacred. Thanks for playing that. that that's, absolutely, that's absolutely sacred. That is just amazing. That's Rosanna Eckert. Yeah, she's wonderful. She was going to be here. We have a song, a crypto asset song, but she, that girl is so busy. She had like three other projects. She'd like to come next Monday. We can hear yeah. the crypto asset song. Yeah. And, or, or maybe Diabetic Fury as well. Okay. Thank you. Thank you Thank so you. much. Wow, that's Professor Mike Steinell. Go to MikeSteinell.com. And the Mike Steinell Jazz Quintet as a CD that you can listen to on Spotify. I do. Rosanna Eckert sings on it. And you can purchase it by going to MikeSteinell.com. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. And there's now a... This is, we're going to go to Professor Marianne in a second, but this is very depressing. Uh, Martha Previtt found this on the internet, and apparently, apparently, my sex video is now circulating, along with Hunter Biden's, and I just think that's completely unfair. Can you see that? Does everybody see that? Yeah, it looks great. Yeah. Thank you, Martha, for uh, ruining my night. There's uh okay. How do I get rid of this? That's depressing. That's the president's son. Is that relevant? Let's go to uh, Aurora, Illinois, where the newly reelected by a landslide parks Woo! commissioner... Mary Ann Cummings joins us. Look at you. I decided I decided to bring you all to the partay since I couldn't bring all the partay back to my house. So I'm in John Lash's backyard. Wow. We are having we are having a a moral victory party, I guess, for the uh, all the progressives in the area. There's a bonfire over there. There's like nice little party lights along the fence. Somebody just poured me a glass of wine. It's a, it's, you know, it's a great way. Is it a super spreader party? Um, most people have been vaccinated. We're outside. Okay. So I was wearing my mask, but since I'm off in a corner here, you know, uh, so everybody's being responsible. So, well, we should mention that the election was 
a week ago, this Tuesday, oh, yes. and you won by a landslide. By a landslide. You were unopposed, but nobody would but, dare go up against Professor Marianne Cummings. I think that's the truth. There were a lot of unopposed people, a little discouraging. However, of all the unopposed people in the area, I got the biggest percentage of the votes. <laughs> a lot of people just won't vote. And I used to be one of them. I was like, you know, there's just one person running. Like, why do they need my vote? Right. Unless they came and, get it and got it. But um, I came and got a lot of votes. So Can, Now, are there any funny write-in? Did somebody... Funny. Did somebody... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm live, dude. I'm that, sorry. Oh, no. Who's that? Is that John? Oh, that's my, oh no, that's... No, a, no, I'm not John. That's I'm, Alan Nowakowski, who is John's communication director in his congressional campaign. So. Yeah. yeah, sorry about... Uh, your loss, not the big loss of losing a loved one, but the moral victory, but the big you yeah. know, electoral loss. Right. Well, indulge me 18 seconds. And I, I've been maintaining that this loss is probably the first time because, you know, Aurora is how many miles outside of Chicago? 35. And look at the corruption in Chicago, mm-hmm. even with whatever uh, ostensible press there was. Mm-hmm. Do you know what Joliet with that prison for 100 years, a little southeast, mm-hmm. what kind of general graft and corruption that inspired? And Aurora being a railway center without even the minuscule oversight that Chicago had with the corruptible press. I mean, it's freaking fascinating in my head but what we do have i believe at this election is an accurate snapshot of the electorate in this town and i don't think that's ever existed mm-hmm. in the history of this town what do you so mean everybody well nobody gave a flying fuck about what happened in aurora it was a business town it was a transient town it was a manufacturing town and and union wages ultimately led it to be a viable town right so to have this reflection of what's happened in wonderful postmodern late stage capitalism which we're firmly immersed in following things like nafta and the loss of manufacturing jobs we everybody who lives here everybody who worked on john's campaign and i promise you they're exactly everyone you would ever want to drink with and they're all here and they're here <laughs> too no lie yeah. no lie they're they're like living breathing human brains with with, with liquid blood in their veins Mm-hmm. So at least we know what we're dealing with. Right. You know, when, when AOC s- starts defending Nancy Pelosi, at least you know what you're dealing with. Right. You know? And I think that's probably the most important lesson. Would, would you like to talk to AOC? By the way, we have AOC here. She's a, <laughs> Seriously. Yes, we do. Where's we, we, AOC? <laughs> a, a, I don't know if I can. She's uh, on the phone with Nancy Pelosi, but uh, AOC... They're trading recipes, from what I understand, and, yeah. and, and stain removal tips from red wine. Well, let me, let me, you know, I actually a- spilled some red wine on my pants earlier, so I would like to have some of these tips. All right. I, I, I listen, I don't want to get into a heated argument here, but AOC. Is, she has a question. Yeah. AO. AO. Hey, everybody. Hi, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. 
Hey, uh-huh. congratulations, Marianne. Way to go. <laughs> oh, thank you, Alexandria. And I and you know, and, and don't take my Twitter responses too personally, okay? Okay. I know it's not your fault. I know it's not your fault, AOC. Being in the beltway can break a woman's heart. It can break a man's it can break a stone in half. Uh, AOC, you're taking a lot of hits on this show. You know I love you, AOC. Oh, thank you, David. You're so nice. Oh, really, I feel the love. I feel the love. It's really big. But but uh, you should. in Aurora, there there's a party going on in Aurora, and they're kind of disappointed with you. They're they're saying that you've kind of sold out. Um, that's violence. <laughs> That, that is violence. Whoever you are, I want to buy your drinks for the next six months. Okay, yeah. just so you know. Hey, take them up on it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> they were saying that you're like a, a lap dog for Nancy Pelosi. Oh, I love Nancy Pelosi. She's my <laughs> idol. She is someone to be idolized and put up on a pedestal, and we love her. Okay. The madam. She was a real activist. She she's actually she's an idol. activist. I'm sorry, Mama Bear. You were talking about Mama Bear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. We are. Right, Taking thank, your name in vain. Thank you, AOC. Thank hey, you. Is- Good night, everybody. <laughs> Bye-bye. Send me your recipes. Send me your recipes in your cooking uh, shows. <laughs> oh, okay, David. Good Bye. night, everyone. Bye, AO. You know what? It, it comes from. No, for, that's that's a good sport there. That she's a good sport. She's yeah, yeah. She, she is. She, yeah. she she can take a a punch to the chest or a kick in the ass. I know she right. Can. So in all seriousness, because I got you. Yeah, sure. I, I'm blind to certain people like AOC. She can do. She's like my she's my daughter's age. So I just have this. I go, I, I'm in awe of AOC. Give me a legitimate complaint. Like what, what? What did she do wrong? Well, she has power that she isn't using. That's that. That would be an encapsulated in, in a nutshell, really. I mean, what what do we need in the house other than somebody to actually get elected from the quasi left, even the quasi left, and hold a mirror up to what's actually going on? You know, when somebody gets in the Beltway and suggests that Nancy Pelosi is an activist worth $175 million uh-huh. with, with a portfolio that an average Joe or Jane could even in, imagine, what, what is that distance? You go in the Beltway and you lose all sense of proportion and reality, evidently. And evidently the power is too much. Just hold up a mirror. Just, just, just when there's a vote on Medicare for all procedurally, highlight the amount of money pharma and AHIP are giving to elected reps. Just show us what's going on in that damn beltway. Right. That's it. And, 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 and why did she surrender? I'm sorry. I just came over to say hello to Marianne. No, no, I, I just, it's That's nice to happens. It's somehow when, when it, it's Jim Earl, when he says it, it sounds different than when you say it. 
Huh. So it could be the blood alcohol contact. Presently. Yeah. I mean, you don't know that. So but. who's doing so? Uh, let me try to just ask you a couple of questions. I asked Jim Earl, because somehow when it comes out of your mouth, it's not <laughs> it's, it's reasonable. Do uh, I drool? Yeah. The communications director for John Lash. But, you know, oh, did, well, did, there did, you uh, go. Maybe you should be Jim Earl's communications director. Dig, I, I, I'm an art guy who's in politics. I'm not a political guy who's arty. So I come to this whole discussion with a very humanistic frame of reference. The issue that activated me was Medicare for all. You know why? Because as somebody who went through 12 years of Catholic school, I don't use the word moral anymore. But the idea of class tiered access to health care offended every moral sensibility and fiber in my body. That's what activated me. I'm sorry. There are people I love who have lost their lives because of late stage profit driven capitalism on health care, commodifying health care. That is my metric. That's how I enter this conversation. Brother, I don't know you from anyone. But I would stand for you, especially when it came to health care. I am activated and motivated to that end. And it's very, very personal for me. You know, there are many things I can be incrementalist about. Campaign finance reform. You know, what, what Seattle is doing for offering people effectively coupons to fund their campaigns. In, 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 in enriching democracy. But not when it comes to whether or not you need to see a doctor, friend. That's where we have to stand and say, capital commodifying this? Kiss my fat Polish ass. <laughs> Honest, <laughs> God. Honest God. I can't not bear that. I cannot stand that. You know? And I don't really eat Polish food anymore, even as a Chicago I was almost going to use. In that case, I'll kiss your ass. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well played. Sounds like it's well played. Hey, you know what's interesting about this, Professor Marianne? Um, On the show and in the past couple of weeks, I've been like I say to Jim Merle, I agree with everything you're saying. I don't agree with how you're saying it. Well, Jim has the added little panache that he is diabetic. Right. He is like in like he is in the center of this inferno. And uh, there are those of us who, well, you know, reasonably healthy and happy, but nonetheless are only morally offended. If I was sitting here looking at a bill for cancer treatments. Oh, my God. um, That, you know, my little. My my little art piece that's on the display of my icon right now that, that that's a real weapon, man. You know, I don't know what I do. I wouldn't be as I don't know if I could be as civilized as Martha and yeah. Jim Earl if I was in their situation that they have to deal with every day of yeah. their lives. Right. And so maybe that makes them great comics. Okay, there's that. Uh, but I think that there's a certain. We've all internalized uh, a certain sense of, like, we have to go through the charade of politics. And I think well, I think the problem, seriously, with the squat, and I'm not going to just, uh, d- just focus on one person, but it's like, we really are so done. I don't think they realize how toxic this little partisan play is that they're, they're doing. 
and they are demoralizing their core to extent that they have no idea they can't see it or feel it because they are in the beltway um, what, did, what did you say earlier about marketing? Yeah. Well, you're a communications. You were John's communications director. What does that entail? What is being? What does it mean to be? A, it's it's learning how to frame an art. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and anything from 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 you know, Jesus, boy, sorry. I, I I learned about Johnny in his 06 run while I was living in Southern California. Against Denny Hasters. Against Denny Hasters, With the no speaker help of the house. From the he was my wrestling coach. Oh, I'm so, oh, no. We never you wrestled, know, I, though. I, I, have, I have a whole list of trauma-based, serious trauma-based therapists <laughs> that I, I will forward you the links to. Okay. I mean, it's troublesome. It, it's kind of evil. It, it's also kind of like uh, white and power privilege, yeah. right? I mean, do you think anybody in the Beltway while Denny was doing that knew anything? Did not know about his predatory nature? Everybody knew about it around here. Democratic and Republican. Everybody, like our our old friend Landrew was on a high school wrestling team of of another school. And even as a teenager, knew about Denny Haster. So, but your question was amazing. your question was the na- about the nature of comms, right? And and we just talked exactly about what the nature of it is, especially within a progressive campaign, because we know about the gaslighting. We know about the secrets held within the Beltway. We know about the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I mean, and, and we see it not necessarily in multi-billion dollar scandals. We do, we, all, we all have to do is look that way. But we see it in things like sexual proclivities, about predatory nature with children, Matt Gates is you know, presently going on. So that circle of silence within the Beltway is perhaps the most troublesome thing. So working for a progressive can- candidate within comps is just, just to try to find the avenue to actual truth and reality. When you say com- communications. Co- communications, yes. So sir. as an experiment... <clears throat> Could you, I don't know if Jim Earl is here, but in the future, Professor Marianne, it might be interesting for for Jim to, he's going to get, let me see if Jim's getting angry. Yes. Should I I be concerned about this guy being pissed off, by the way? Yeah, Jim's an old friend of mine. And I just. Friend of ours. Oh, friend of mine, Dave. Dave. I haven't, I haven't traveled in the same circles. Forgive me. And, and Jim, I agree with everything. Dave keeps passive aggressively bringing me up. And then mutes me again. Yes. Well, no. I w- I, as an experiment, I would like Jim to run for office in Kennebunk, Maine, and and have somebody work with him. On how to make his, to, how to message properly. Dave, you're more concerned about tone than you are content. Oh, friend. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, my goodness. Tone and content. You might as well say head and heart or science and, and love. Okay. They're the same event, brother. I'm sorry to have to report to you. Um, and if you think for a minute that the logic and the, and the intellectual validity of your position can tra- tra- traverse the space between you and another human being without crafting, then, then, then you're, you, you've, you've, del- you, you've compartmentalized your world just a smidge too much. I'm sorry. I'm out. Pleasure to meet you, sir. No, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. This is really interesting. So you're saying, 
uh, the tone and content are the same thing. Effectively. Uh, well, effectively, when you have an agenda, effectively, when you're trying, when you when you're, it's either persuasive or you're trying to get a candidate. Candidate. C-A-N-D-Y slash D-A-T-E. Candidate. Sorry, uh, digression. But no, no, I, I think... I think the, the problem here is that, that the same problem people had with Bernie Sanders and his sh- so-called shouting. I think I think the time for politeness when it comes to racism and, and cops killing people in the streets, over 70,000 dying every year from lack of proper health care. Yes. I Time for being polite is over, and I think I think the majority of Americans realize that. And I would not disagree with you at all on that premise, okay? But generally, and, and I would only attribute to this the fact that I have a performance background. Most people seem to think that their intent, their moral outrage, naturally is the most effective way to convey the message, okay? And you forget that within the space that you need to fill between another human being to bring them to your side, at the very least, it can be cited as a skill set. And in, 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 in my travels, I've come to the conclusion that it can be an art form. So it's, it's certainly not the message or the level or the degree of anger of outrage. It's the skill set you employ to communicate that, to, to make it effective in a public forum. That's the only variable that I personally have seen very honest and very true and very sincere people miss when trying to convey their message and make it effectively as, as a policy position. Jim, your response to that? Oh, he's full of bullshit. <laughs> Dude. Okay, now I got to buy drinks for two people tonight, man. I got your bar tab too, brother. So, but before you go, and I, I hope you come back. Thank you, Professor Marianne, for this. Was great. I hope you come back because I think our side has a is is not communicating properly. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. I think that there is a lot of, well, anything from condescension to, you know, a moral superior. Condescension is a pretty big word for a physics yeah. professor. Yeah, yeah. It's huge. She's a physicist. physicist. That's a huge word for a physicist. F-I-Z-Z-Y. T-Y-S-T. Yes. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. There is like a... Because going door to door, which was basically my campaign, I had to get all these signatures, so that was my campaign. She and actually does that kind of shit. Yeah, I, I know. actually do this kind of shit. And I actually enjoy talking to people. And I, I mean, even if they have some kind of hideous views from my perspective, to me, when you go door to door as a candidate, it's such an honor that people give you the time of freaking day. You know, like I'm on your front porch. And you're sitting there talking to me instead so, of reaching for your shotgun. You know what I mean? Right. Which, you know, in some sense might be in some cases might be, um, you know, appropriate. But yeah. the thing is, like, I listen to people and I actually I genuinely like them. And I can genuinely yeah. see when you talk to them because they're giving you the time of day to talk to you. Yeah. Why they wouldn't jive with the squad or why they wouldn't. Some people don't like Bernie Sanders. Actually, a surprising number of people who you would consider on the right like Bernie Sanders. What's well, because he speaks the truth? 
Well, I think it's because it's, there's something that people can't quite pin down upon. But one of them is that he speaks the truth. You're right. He, you, you get the impression that even if you disagree with this guy, he's not going to be lying to your face. And this, this whole thing, I think this credibility. is credibility. But I think uh, part of the problem that the far left has with the progressives in Congress is like, hey, you're doing to us what the Democrats have been doing to us. You told us one thing a mere yeah. eight months ago. Credibility. Now you're doing 180s. Now you can tell us why you're doing 180s. Yeah. But if you if you read from the same consultancy-driven nonsense, you're insulting us. And, and in this beautiful digital world, we certainly have clips of what she said six months ago, six weeks ago, and six minutes ago. What everybody but, has. But again, what is that most reflective of? A 24-hour news cycle? I'm sorry. It's like a 24-minute news cycle now. Mm-hmm. Okay? And and you, when you premise your entire public communications on for-profit media, it will be, by definition, designed to sell soap and laundry detergent. You know? Right. Right. That's the same thing. I was looking for somewhere to contrast it. But by definition, right, uh, Bob McChesney has, in, in my travels, has done the most detailed work on what the quote-unquote founding fathers had in mind for public media. And who is this guy? Because I, I don't know who Robert this guy. McChesney? Yeah, Robert McChesney. Uh, uh, he writes a lot. He's written historically a lot on media. I mean, I would say he's certainly one of all of us. But but the idea that, that the, the founders of this country were committed to a public media, you know, one, one that wasn't left to the to the private interests and i forget what mcchesney said but it was it was if we had followed those kind of standards the amount of money we would be spending what money do we spend on public media pbs brought to you by just sesame street brought to you by you know and then we have 15 minutes of non you know theoretically non-advertising sales pitches so by all means we're the bestest late stage capitalist country since this time began and we will probably perish we commodify our students we commodify our prisoners we commodify our elderly we commodify our sick which is the most offensive to me jesus and our love our love is commodified. Oh, yeah. Indeed. Yes. If you call people, go, people don't understand why they're so lonely. Because oh, yeah. You're lonely because you've been, you have been commodified. Yeah. Your time is commodified. You assess relationships based on whether it's worth your time and money. Benefit or love. Everything's transactional, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, we will live and die by capitalism, no doubt. You know, we will. So that's what's great about being with a group of people like this. You know, of course, you know, we lost. We lost electorally and we kind of know why that was. And that was heartbreaking. But it didn't it wasn't without effect with people. Heartbreaking, but not soul killing. Yeah. God damn. You know what, David? There's a reason, by the way, it's called. I'm being serious. There's a reason they call it a party, a political party. Yeah. Oh, dude, a, a dozen years ago, I said, remember, this is a campaign, not an explanation. <laughs> yeah. 
Right. And, and it's, it's real. It's a celebration of humanity. And, and uh, believe me, I never expected. I told Johnny a dozen years ago, you realize you're soliciting the, uh, the advice of an unemployed bartender. <laughs> Uh, which is effectively what I was. I lived in L.A. for the 90s. And, and because Johnny said single payer, I came and poked at his campaign when I got back to Chicago. And, and it, like every people, people here tonight reiterated, it changed my life. Mm-hmm. And that's, for the better. And that's what good campaigns do. And they're so very rare. Yes. They're what so is the line, Marianne? Good campaigns are transformational. Yes. And, and, and the thing I even said tonight publicly was, once you know, you can't not know. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people like reeling today, and even now in Aurora, that were surprised at the results. Yeah. But a stunning number of people, even people who gave this campaign money, didn't vote. I, I don't yeah, know yeah, what, yeah. what. What is that to We got we got to no, figure no perspective out. Perspective on that. There brother. were like almost three thousand people of Black yeah. Lives Matter if they had gotten out and voted. Yeah. The people who were on the streets last summer. Right. In an, uh, well, it's not necessarily BLM though. It's just the general. What, is, what no. is the detachment from something so local for governance? Yes. You know what? Well, what it, it's an issue. I you know I don't want to scold our side, but no. but. It's fun to have an opinion. It's fun to complain. It's right. fun to have moral and intellectual certitude. But you, but actually getting up and going to the polls or filling out your absentee ballot, if you can't do that, then you can't even do the, then you're not, you can't govern. You can't implement, you're not, you can't even implement your ideas. All you can do is complain. That's why I can't. I, I cannot really hate anybody in politics, even the most loathsome right winger, if they themselves put themselves on the line and went and campaigned. All right. I know what campaigning is now. <laughs> so and, 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 and building on what she just said, what it, in my humble opinion, the most toxic, injurious thing within this realm, within this political realm is the moment when anybody dehumanizes another. When, you know what, what offended me viscerally as an artist before I got into politics? Oh, those stupid voters. Oh, those low, low information voters. That's a dehumanization that can be employed by either side. And yes. once they're not human, you don't have to be concerned with their welfare. So right. that troubled me always deeply. This is why I will always be an art guy first and not a political guy first, unless what I believe can transfer into that. And then look, saying all that, <laughs> Mr. Lash is a friend and is still a friend. And mm -hmm. we both were very willing to work for this gentle person. Right. You know what I mean? So right. Please, let's do that. We have, we, we have to wrap it up. But right. give my best to John and, and Professor Marianne. Let's continue John. this conversation. John, come over here. Yeah, let me exchange with John, okay? And, and sir, I've never met you. I've heard Marianne talk about you the whole time. Well, please. You've, you've, you've just indulged the crap out of me, and I don't no, know. No, I, I think you've elevated. You, you said exactly. You articulated. You, you provided vocabulary to what I was feeling. About John, come over here. our side and and communication, and I think it's really important. I would love you to come on and and teach us how to 
be more persuasive and less condescending towards those assholes we're trying to convince to vote. Yeah, you you don't have to drink with those douchebags, okay? You just have to, like, hey, let let me let me exchange for the star of the show. Miss Marianne knows where to find me. Okay, Professor Marianne, the physicist. Sir, it was an actual pleasure speaking with you tonight, and it was all because of the gentleman who's about to stick his underlit face into the camera in a (laughs) minute. Thank you. Oh, look at this. Look at this media dude. This guy brings Wow. Freaking, oh, man. What this gentleman has learned in 10 years. Yeah. Hey, John. I can't, I can't see you. How's it going? Congratulations on a, on a campaign well run and, uh, and for putting yourself out there. And I hope you're going to run again. Well, uh, we've got a few wins and some losses, and uh, we'll regroup and we'll be doing something in 2022, 2023 at at all levels of government. That's what the movement needs right now. So, um, there's a we had a meeting here at Rebel Base, about 50 people here tonight, and I know there's other candidates in the race. So, behind the scenes or on on the uh, the ballot, I'm sure that we're going to continue to build the movement here. Right, right. What are we for? And the other thing was what do we stand for? Well, social and economic justice, fairness, quality, opportunity for everybody, a government and economy that works for everybody, uh, closing, here, closing for, the wealth gap. And we're basically all of that is just for us to be live a maximal human life. That's it. That's what's really driving all of this. Anything that's soul killing in our in, in our society, we should be against. And how do we stand up to the forces of capitalism? Because the, the, if as long as capitalism is strong and powerful, it'll poison everything, including our soul. How do we compete with capital? Well, to me, I think I think it's a question of building a structure that works. And once people see that we can build an alternative to predatory capitalism, and it works for everybody, and there's more people enjoying the benefits of a middle-class lifestyle. I think they're going to love what we have to offer. What do you say to people? I I agree with you. Uh, I've said, and then I'll let you go. This is your party. But I've said we have to figure out some kind of Scandinavian hybrid American solution where the forces of capitalism are forced to peacefully coexist with government-run services and i've been told you don't understand capital will not allow that you have to destroy capital you cannot peacefully coexist with capital what do you say to people like that well i think you first have to build up the alternative structure certainly what you propose creates competition in the marketplace true true competition capitalism doesn't want competition no but i think that what what you the idea that you're presenting where both exist uh, peacefully is uh, certainly one model that needs to be tried. But first we have to erect the, a government that does work for everybody and offers everybody equality and opportunity uh, so we all have the same chances in life. So uh, to me, that, that still needs to be done. It's a major hurdle. Um, and, is there any way politically, because I hear a lot of people saying we have to eliminate capitalism, uh, I think we have to recognize that capitalism is a cancer, but is there any way to eliminate capitalism? Extra we, we just have to evolve it. I mean, it's going to change. Capital, 
listen, like everything else is always changing and it's changing with technology. It's changing with our interconnectedness now. It is literally a smaller world. I mean, they're the same proportion of people who care to people who don't, but numerically, those of us who care are greater numbers and we're connected with each other in a way that was not possible 40 years ago. We share an electric lawnmower. Yeah, we right. share an electric Okay. So the, the um, conversation can't end with, well, the problem is capitalism. Unless we solve capitalism, there's no point in X, Y, and Z. Yes, we, yes, capital is a problem, but there are children on the streets who are starving to death here in the United States. How do we get them fed uh, in the next month? Since we're not going to be eliminating capitalism in the next 30 yeah. days. Probably not. I would say it's going to take a little longer than that. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. To be continued. Yes. It was, it was good being on. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm back in the dark. Yeah. Okay. You Thank. No, that's okay. We're we're just about going off. Thank you here. so much, Professor Marianne. I'll, I'll see you Thursday. Yes. Thursday. Good. Thank you. And maybe Professor Hussein will join us. I don't. Okay. That would be nice. Thank you, Dan. That was great. That was that was fantastic. Dan, shall we wrap it up? Uh, let me just piss Jim Earl off a little before I go. Jim, are you there? Oh, Jim hung up. All right. We'll say goodnight. I, I'd like Jim to work with a, a communications director and, and run for office. That's my goal. We'll get him connected, David. Yeah. I, I'd like... Jim to learn how to frame everything he says, but sugarcoat it like a joke. All jokes, I think Jim hung up, but all jokes come from hatred. You have to dip it in chocolate and sweetness so people don't know how much hate is emanating from you. I think Jim could be the next mayor of Kennebunk if we get him a good communications director. Dan, should we... Uh, John, we'll, we'll say goodnight uh, in a second. Stay with me, Dan. John, what's on your mind? Uh, nothing that'll get me to an argument, I hope. Um, just checking in about Molly, maybe this Thursday, one more time. Thursday night, absolutely. Any... Late, any later, later towards, towards <laughs> the end of the evening would be... But do we know when you're going to start? Because it keeps changing. I'm, I'm having trouble. I, I need to eventually start this show at six o'clock. We're having a meeting tomorrow. The, the security, the permanent members of the security council of, I don't know what that means, of office at, we're having a meeting to go over the, the scheduling and the calendar so that we can accommodate our European listeners and, and their guests who are phenomenal, but it requires an earlier start time so I don't know how to resolve this. Well, I suppose you could start even later, and then they could be like, for them, make 9 a.m. guess. Of, I, I, you know, <laughs> that's a great idea. I thought of that. I, I thought of ending this around midnight and bringing on the Europeans. But then we lose. To be discussed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I'll tell her. I'll tell her then that maybe Thursday or probably. Yeah. Thursday. If she wants to come on Thursday, that's fine. All right. Okay. Thanks. Thank you, John. Thank you. Hey, Dan, should we try to see if I can remember? Can we go through the run through? Yeah. Let's see if I can remember. Um, and then we'll wrap it up. What's the weather like in, in Rochester? 
It's been chilly and rainy for two straight days. I like it that. A, it was gorgeous for two days prior to that, but last couple of days, stick in the house. Do you know that I made soup yesterday, and it was sickening, made me sick. I can't even make soup. What'd you do wrong? You I don't know. know. I don't know. But there's this uh, woman who lives next door who's killing my mice. So very attractive. She thinks my mice are sneaking into her apartment. To eat? To eat. So, <laughs> and I told her I can't work a mousetrap. So she said she would empty the mousetraps for me. David, you just made me, uh, just something I've been meaning to ask. Why aren't you using one of these humane traps that several people have pointed out? In because these, uh, I have a very uh, uh, comely, comely, comely? Comely is the way I've heard it said. Uh, next door neighbor who. Uh, oh, you're trying to trap her. I see. Very good. Yes. And she's blaming the. Uh, Humanely. <laughs> She's blaming the mice on me, and, and she said, well, why don't you get a mousetrap? And I said, I don't think you understand. I'm a vegan Buddhist. And then she rolled her eyes with disgust and then said, if you get the mousetraps, I'll change your, your uh, I'll come in and empty the traps for you. And, and she's not vegan, I take it? No. Well, she could eat the mice, at least they'd be... Getting right. something out of their deaths. Ask her to bring some vegetables. Oop, she's at it. She doesn't think it's cute that I can't change. <laughs> it's not like there, there's just complete disgust with the mouse and me. Um, but uh, every time I hear a, a mouse dying, I'm thinking, well, a pretty woman is about to knock on my door. <laughs> I'm worried that uh, the mice are going to, I'm going to run out of mice. I got to keep I'm running to, down to the pet store to get mice. Uh, I have, yeah, I have a snake. <laughs> yes, it's a snake. All right. That needs feeding. All right. Uh, it's the saddest thing in the world to hear those mice squealing. I couldn't sleep with that going on. Ugh. I know. <laughs> I, I am. Uh, and I have dreams of living on a. I do. I dream of living on a farm. All right. Let's do it, Dan. The show has gone on long enough. And, and I blame you for the last 10 minutes of Friday's show. You weren't here to tell me to stand down. Yeah, I, I haven't even listened to it yet. I downloaded it. You don't, I was like, like, don't, don't, I'm like, don't, yeah. don't listen to it. <laughs> you know, you don't want to hear it. All right, we started at 4 o'clock, yep. I believe, with Martha Previtt. Then we went to Jackie the Joke Man, correct? Yep, correct. And then Henry Huckamacki talked to Professor... No, uh, oh, damn it. Martha Previtt. Hang on. Oh, In Texas. Oh, um, you just uh, bought Mark a house in Texas. Huh? You just bought a house in Texas, I think. Oh, Laura House. Bought a house. Then Mark Breslin. Henry, then Mark. Uh, no. Okay. I, this is no okay. good. I can't I'll remember. Read, I'll read it from the top of the ones you got so far. We had Martha doing AOC with uh, Jackie the Joke Man in that half hour block, then Laura House. 
then Henry with uh, Dr. Jared Ball. So now right. we're up to 530. Uh, okay. Then after Dr. Jared Ball, it was some uh, 530 and then six. Uh, six was Breslin, but you're skipping one. I have no idea. Pete Dominic. Pete Dominic. He was great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Breslin at 630. Then it was, I have no idea. Who? That was uh, that was on the schedule. I think it might have been Roar Ricky, and you ended up talking for a bit. I think we did community building. Oh, Roar Ricky's guests fell through, and so and right, okay, and then yeah. so then we had Howie Klein, then seven thirty, Jim Earl, mm-hmm. and then at eight, Doctor Harriet Fraud, and then you, right? Was I that late? I don't even remember. Well, Professor Hussein usually comes on after Dr. Fraud. Yeah, I think you're right. Yep. Right. Okay, so then uh, you, then uh, Profe- uh, Professor Mike Steinel, then Professor Marianne Cummings, and then you. Did I, leave? I left it. something out, right? No, it all looks good. All right. The memory is going. Mm-hmm. All right. That's the show. It's a short one. It's only six and a half hours. That's, <laughs> I like that. Like, I like a nice short six and a half hour <laughs> show. Thank you to all our guests. Thank you to everybody in the chat room. I can't do this show without you. You've changed my life and this show here in the Zoom room. So I appreciate all of you for coming. You make this a great show. And uh, so thank you. And thank you, Dan Frankenberger. If you would like to join these mouth breathing monsters in the chat room <laughs> go to davidfeldmanshow.com and sign up for attend a live taping i'll send you a link and you can take part in this it's a very special group of people who show up here on uh, mondays and thursdays to help record this show and uh, join us on office hours every friday night starting at 8 p.m subscribe to my newsletter Go to davidfeldmanshow.com. I will send you uh, some of the stories we talk about and some clips. Okay. I'll see everybody on for Thursday's taping. Remember to stay strong and protect the weak. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too Now tell a dirty joke if you want him to He's just a lefty From way back He's a union man with an Emmy for writing Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting It's time right now for the David Feldman Show To get your ears on right, buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way
It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Your way. 